Okay, all flight controllers, go to go for landing. Retro. Go. Fido. Go. Guidance. Go. Control. Go. Telcom. Go. GNC. Go. Econ. Go. Surgeon. Go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Eagle, Houston, you're go for landing. Over. Roger, understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Let us now go to Los Angeles, where Howie Klein is standing by. He is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive and some socialist candidates around America. We're going to talk Bloomberg. We're going to talk what happened last week in New Hampshire, what's going to happen this Saturday in Nevada, and then what happens in South Carolina. Is South Carolina, when is South Carolina? Is it a week from today or two weeks from today? I'm embarrassed to not know the answer to that. Um, I, I can tell you in a second for sure, but I think it's in, I think it's two weeks from today. I don't think it's right after, uh, let's see, Nevada is on February 22nd. So that's this Saturday. Yes, uh, it's uh, a week. It's a Saturday. Yeah. No, so Nevada is this Sorry, Saturday. That's, that's, Nevada is the 22nd. And then South Carolina is the 29th. Oh, OK. OK. All right. And very quickly, I want to ask you the difference between a cacacus. What is it? Cacastic. Cacastronomy. Cacastrophic. Aristocracy, cacastrocracy. Cacastrocracy. You're right, thank you. What is a cacastocracy versus an oligarchy? Uh, well, actually, the opposite of cacastrocracy. Cacastro- <laughs> so you just sorry. wrote about this. Aristocracy. They're, they're polar opposites. Uh, where an aristocracy is supposed to be, you're supposed to be ruled by the uh it's not a democracy by any means but you're supposed to be ruled by the um you know the best in society a catastrophic <laughs> is you're ruled by the worst society and it comes from the word cocky which is you know is shit means shit mm-hmm. so you, so it would be like stephen miller and uh william barr and 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 trump that would be uh, that. That would be a cacastrophe. Uh, and then with um, then an oligarchy, much easier to pronounce, uh, is, uh, is 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 ruled by uh, you know the richest, uh, just the richest people, not not the best people, but the richest people. Okay, so oh, that's re- why people call uh, Bloomberg an oligarch. He's you know it's kind of you know it it it, it would you know sort of. Uh, you know, hint that it's also a dictatorship of of wealth. A cacistocracy, government by the least suitable or competent. Right. Exactly. Is the democratic... When they give a a definition in Webster's, they're not going to say you're ruled by shit. Right. It comes from the Greek word for shit. Great. Okay. So the Democratic Party tells us they're a meritocracy, but we're beginning to learn that they are, in fact, a cacistocracy. And Bernie's going to reveal that, that that the Rahm Emanuel's and 
the David Axelrods, that these are the least suitable, least competent members of the Democratic Party who have risen to the top because they're willing to take the money and go for the money. That doesn't mean they're smart or competent. It just means they just want money. Is that a fair statement? That's what I've learned talking to well, you for the past several years. I think that these words really apply to societies uh, and and uh, rather than to to um, a party. I don't know that you could call it you could call the Democratic or the Republican Party a cacistocracy because it's too few numbers, too few people to say that. So a cacistocracy, could you say that? Let's talk about the Republicans where it's really easy to say they are. You know, when you think about who who uh, who works there in in the party itself, there aren't that many people. But, yeah, they are, they are the least suitable. But I don't think you would refer to them as, a, you know, as a cacistocracy. And it's the same with the Democratic Party. You know, they are, you know, their Democratic Party is certainly run by very unsuitable people. But, you know, we elect the DNC members, and then they, the president or whoever is the, the president decides, if it's a Democrat, decides who the head of the DNC will be. Otherwise, it's someone who's elected when there's not a Democratic president. So we elect the DNC members, most of them, and uh, and then they decide who the who, who the uh, head of it will be. And some of the people who are in the DNC are really good. I mean, most people don't even know that they can they can vote for them, and I don't think that they do vote for them. People don't uh, don't bother. But you know, I have friends who are on the DNC, and they're really great, uh, and they vote all the right way. There just aren't enough of them. Uh, here in California, we elect people who who are, who are excellent who take it very seriously and, you know, who, and who fight for things. Unfortunately, they're a minority, so mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't rule it. Okay. So let's talk about progressivepunch.org, because you have a very upsetting piece over at Down With Tyranny. But first, tell us what progressivepunch.org is and what a... I'm going to tell you very briefly what it is. But I would really like you to have uh, Joshua Grossman, who who is Progressive Punch, on the show, so he could really go into it uh, in great detail. And he's a good friend of mine. I just spoke to him the other day, and I'm sure he'd like to do it. And I've known him for many, many years, and a great guy. So Pro- Progressive Punch basically is an algorithm. So so there's no one sitting and deciding who is going to get the A and who is going to get the B and who's going to get the highest numbers. It's just an algorithm. Uh, and, and, the alg- and right now there are only two members of Congress that have a 100% voting record, just two. Andy Levin from uh, Michigan and Ayanna Presley from um, Massachusetts, from Boston. And they're the only ones. So, but then there, are, but but the, but there are others who who have A's. Uh, who you know, maybe they disagreed with one vote. Maybe they were even to the left of something. Like, in the, I, th- I think I've mentioned on the show before that Barbara Lee uh, had points taken away from her because she voted against the Afghan war. Taken away from her. Yeah, because she, it, in other words, if there was a person doing it, they would have given her more number, a higher number for doing that. But there is no person. It's just based on an algorithm. The algorithm 
interpreted her vote as a bad vote because she didn't vote. The way they do it, this is really for Joshua to explain to you, but the way they do it is they have a panel of the most progressive voters. And if you differ from that panel, it's a negative. And if you agree with that panel, it's a positive. But sometimes people who vote um, to the left of the panel it doesn't happen that often, but sometimes people who vote for the left of the panel uh, are penalized for it. Alan Grayson used to get penalized. Ted Lieu has been penalized a few times. Like I said, I just explained what happened with um, Barbara Lee. I mean, imagine having the courage and the stamina to get up in front of Congress and be the only person to vote against the Afghan war and then, <laughs> then get penalized. Okay, hang on. For one, and I'm looking at progressivepunch.org, and I want to get to your piece in a second. But Kamala Harris has a higher punch score than Bernie Sanders. Yeah, well, well I wasn't really going into the Senate. Which, what, what score are you looking at? Well, I'm looking at the lifetime. So Bernie has 95. Well, only look at the crucial votes. So that's the very first uh, column. Okay. Okay. Cru- crucial, so votes. crucial votes. You don't you don't care how anyone voted on a uh, you know naming a post office. So forget. forget okay, so Kamala has eighty eight percent, and Bernie uh-huh. only has eighty three percent for twenty nineteen through twenty twenty. So, well, Bernie, remember, has been away from the Senate uh, a lot because he's been. Uh, so don't look at that that score. That's just for the year. Look at the lifetime score. Okay, you're not going to like this. Kamala, 97%. Bernie, 95%. Kamala has been in uh, in the Senate for far less time. When, you get, uh-huh. when you're in a long time, there are lots of time. There are lots of opportunities to vote against the algorithm. Okay. And, and you know, the, the wrong thing to do is to ever use the algorithm, ever use progressive punch or any other single thing as the only thing. It, it points you in a direction. But between 95 and 97, it's not that accurate to make, where you can make any judgment that one is better than the other. It's impossible. Uh, it's, it's just not that accurate. It, it, but it does certainly tell you the difference between someone who has a, a 100 score and someone who has a 70 score. There's, right. there's a big right. difference there. And, and it points to that because it points to a pattern more than uh, anything really, really specific. And that's only and that's only on on voting record. You know, there are people who don't do as well on voting record but are really good about other things. We were, we were talking earlier about um, Katie Porter, whose who's score isn't that great, uh, but who, who takes a very, very important leadership role. But you don't get points for that. I well, mean, wait, wait, wait. Let us let me let me slow you down there for one second, because I want the audience to follow this, because this piece over it down with charity is incredible. You 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 write. We should have uh, Joshua come on the show and, and really discuss this with you, since he he you know, he know, he designed it and he runs it. He it's, it's his brainchild. OK. And he can talk about it with you much, much more uh, um, with much more elucidation than I could. And, and I don't want to mislead anybody with giving wrong information or anything like that. And, and, jo- and Joshua often, you know, when I write about it, Josh and o- Joshua will often call me up and yell at me and tell okay. me I'm getting something wrong. So, so why don't we go, to, go uh, and, and I promise you I will deliver uh, Joshua. Okay. All right. I, 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 I should... like him a lot. He's, He's very, very funny. He's a great guy and uh, and very, very smart. Right. I, I just find it interesting. Just full disclosure, Katie Porter, 
who studied, who studied bankruptcy law with Elizabeth Warren, and we had her on the show, her punch card is F. Right. It's an F. I mean, a high F. A high F. No, no, really. There's a very there are people. Look, what's her number? I bet her number is around seventy, right? Uh, let me see, Katie Porter. Uh, Katie Porter, sixty-three. Oh, you're right, sixty-three point thirty-three. Now look, and now tell me what uh, Anthony Brindisi's uh, score is at the very bottom. Twenty-one point sixty-seven. Right. The, the difference is, even though a sixty-three, he's calling it an F, and then a twenty-something is also okay. called an F. Look at the difference between those scores. And like I said, it's not only about, you know, when you look at somebody as a, uh, if you want to decide if you should vote for them or not, you don't just look at them for, for only for their progressive punch score. You have to also look at what, in, in Katie's pa- case, she is one of the best freshmen in the house. Uh, aside from who she votes, uh, you know, there aren't that many freshmen who are doing anything. I can think of like maybe five or six or seven or eight. I mean, right. that's it. You know, most of them, dozens of them are just worthless. They're literally worthless. They do nothing but sit around and, and do whatever the leadership tells them to do. Well, or, I, li- I like this. I like these numbers you posted. It's just good for following it. Andy Levin has 100 uh, percent. Ayanna Presley, 100 percent. AOC, 98 percent. Rashida Tlaib, 98 percent. Elan Omer, uh, 95%. I mean, Don't these are the people away. to follow. Right? Give out my uh, URL. <laughs> I'm sorry? Get it down with tyranny.com. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's really and interesting. Top, yeah, I, I know you just discovered it. You're enjoying it. Yeah. And it, it's a, it's, it, it is a lot of fun. It's, unless you, you're looking at the people like Anthony Brindisi, and then your, your blood pressure is liable to go up. But instead of, of, of having your blood pressure go up, just donate to... Uh, the um, the box, uh, the blue box, which has it's a thermometer where you can get rid of people like that. You could help get rid of people like that by supporting their opponents. Unfortunately, Andy, Anthony Brindisi himself doesn't have one, but there are other really bad um, uh, Democrats who do have uh, opponents, and it's worth trying to replace them with good progressives. Okay, and that's what Blue America tries to do. If you don't Let- mind the uh, little pitch, yeah, absolutely. Let's look back, New Hampshire. What was, were you disappointed by how close it was, or was it close? Uh, it was close. I mean, you can't make a case that it wasn't. Uh, but, you know, it was all, it was not close enough to, to say, oh, it was, you know, it was, you know, where they could steal it from Bernie. Uh, you know, Bernie won, and he won by a few thousand votes, and that's, uh, and that's very good. And, and uh, you know, in, in a, you know, and people say, well, he won by more last time. Well, there were two people last time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this time there are a lot of candidates. So, uh, but, you know, everyone except for a small handful of crazy people who, you know, are, are like, you know, obsessed with this stuff is going to get around whoever wins the Democratic primary, which is looking more and more like it's going to be Bernie, and they're going to support them. You know, and I'll tell you something, if Biden were to win, there'll be a few people who won't vote for him and would just sit out the election just like I would, I would. and there'll be a few who sit it out if Bernie's the candidate. Yes, it always happens. It, it ever, it, it, there's never a time when that doesn't happen. So there's no sense in obsessing over it. But right now you've got Bloomberg with all that money. You know, he's made a video about the Bernie bros, 
and he's he's doing everything he can to spread that. And then you turn on MSNBC, which is really just a channel filled with uh, never Trump Republicans, especially during the day. And all they do is sit around and talking about the Bernie bros bullying everyone. I mean, that's mm-hmm. such, such utter bullshit. They're just repeating what Bloomberg says. Uh, I don't know if you saw his new ad, but that's what his new ad is. You know, Bernie, you know, it's, it's trying to say that Bernie is like Hitler and, you know, his goose-stepping uh, followers or something. It's just awful. I mean, Bloomberg's not even a, even remotely a Democrat. Bloomberg is a Republican who changed his, ran as a Republican, changed his registration so that he could win again in New York City, which is all you know, a purely democratic place. And and now he, I don't understand why he's even running as a Democrat. He's not a Democrat. I never saw about him. That's democratic. I mean, look at look at all that all the stuff that's coming out. And I'm not even talking about that. He's a sexual monster and stuff like that. Forget that. I don't I, don't, I, I mean, I shouldn't say I don't care. I do. But that's not what I'm talking about now. I'm just talking about where he is on policy. You have him on a microphone talking about how he's going to, you know, gradually uh, decrease benefits from Social Security. That's what Republicans say, although Biden says it too. But that's not what that's not what Democrats say. That that and that's who this guy is. This guy is, is you know a racist austerity whore, mm-hmm. and that's that's for that's a that's a Republican thing, not a Democratic thing. He should not be uh, our nominee, no matter what. You asked me at some point. If I now hate Biden, if I now hate uh, Bloomberg more than Biden, and no, I mean I've hated um, I've hated Biden since the seventies, long before I ever even heard of Bloomberg. I've you know detested Joe Biden because uh, he was active in politics. Now that he doesn't seem like he's going anywhere except to uh, back to take a long, long nap. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I'm not obsessing over him. And I'm more concerned about Bloomberg because he seems like more of a challenge who's going to, uh, you know, uh, smear Bernie. Uh, I don't think he'll beat Bernie in the primary, but he'll do so much damage to him, uh, with, you know, independents basically who are watching TV. He'll, he'll hurt Bernie so much that it'll, it'll make it more difficult for Bernie to beat Trump. So if you see a lot of antipathy on my blog towards Biden, that's the reason. I'm sorry, on my blog towards Bloomberg, that's the reason. That's why I'm writing more about him in a vitriolic way. And, you know, there are five, I do five posts a day, and only three of them are about um, about Bloomberg on any given day. <laughs> so Nevada is this Saturday. Sanders seems to be leading significantly in the polls. He is, and you always have to be careful with Nevada to caucus. And, uh, you know, uh, Harry Reid is, is, a, is, a, is the boss of the Democratic Party, even though he's retired from the Senate. He still has quite he, his machine is still in control and they cheat. They routinely cheat. There's never been an election uh, where they don't cheat. So you don't you don't know. I mean, the polling shows that Bernie's going to win uh, by quite a large margin. But that doesn't take into account Harry Reid. I mean, Harry Reid doesn't understand what democracy is. He's never considered it. It's, he's just a cheat. Right. It's just him. It's just a, it's just a bare bones fight. And you do anything you can do to win. Right. It's not like playing, you know, at a, a, you know, people who care about democracy. He looks down on people like that and scorns them. That's Harry Reid. 
the culinary union, they didn't endorse anybody, but they're smearing Bernie Sanders. But that doesn't... not that, well, the, the union, some of, some of the union leaders are. The, when you say the union, I would, I might, from what I'm hearing from, you know, I used to live in Vegas. People in Vegas is that if it was up to the, uh, to, to the members of the union, Bernie would, it would be Bernie by a landslide. Right. It just speaks volumes of the corruption in unions and most of the workers are trapped. A, a one specific union. Yeah. I mean, they're, not they're, unions. I mean, there are there are some unions that are very very democratic. Uh, so it's different unions, you know, do different things. And the the, the culinary union is pretty notorious. Well, it's I just, mean, Las Vegas is is a really screwed up place. Come on, you know that. I mean, it's it's a it's a mob run universe, and every and the mob has their fingers in everything. Right. And uh, you know that's that's Nevada. So, you know, yes, Bernie is, is way ahead in the polls. What's going to happen Saturday? Who knows? Who knows? Right. I mean, these people are trapped carving at the, you know, at the carving station because they're afraid of losing their union health care. I mean, it's almost f- a form of indebted servitude to the union. And, and that's why yeah. they don't want to. That's why they fear Medicare for all. And I. Why? They fear Medicare for all because they'd be being uh, fed a line of shit. Medicare for all is better than their union health care. The union health care is good, but Medicare for all is better. Uh, in fact, Medicare for all is a lot better. Now, uh, Joe Biden is saying that Bernie has to call off his attack dogs. I'm an attack dog. You're an attack dog for Bernie. You turned me into an attack dog for Bernie. <laughs> How bad are we? <laughs> are we as bad as, uh, what's her name, that monster from Westchester going on MSNBC and talking about how Bernie uh, makes her skin crawl on, mm-hmm. in front of, like, uh, I don't know, however many million people watch that thing? Right. So how about her? Is she an attack dog? But the people from the culinary union said they were they were threatened after that pamphlet went out. Attacking Medicare for all. Do we see any of these threats? Has anybody posted any of these threats? Who knows? I like I, there's a there's a very very tiny handful of people that get to very crazy on all sides, and that's the way it goes. That's how they play politics. And you know the, the new the new they're looking for ways to get at Bernie. And this is the, this is this week, last week, this week, next week. It's all about uh, Bernie is bullying everybody. That's the new, that's the new thing, and that'll go away too. Okay, we hate, we shouldn't hate, but we hate Mayor Pete and the stuff he's been saying about Medicare for all. He should just be kicked out of the Democratic Party. He should not be allowed in our party. <laughs> Why is that? He should be excommunicated. We should excommunicate. Oh, I was so scared. I thought you were going to say executed. The microphone is on. But we need to, don't we need to excommunicate certain Democrats? Won't that make us more powerful? And, you know, by getting rid of Judge, you've taught me this. You get rid of Judge. I don't like Buttigieg. I'm not into execution. I mean, ex- excommunicating him. Uh, you know, he he's he's not my idea of a Democrat, but he's not outside of the bounds. He likes the way. Uh, I mean, Bloomberg isn't a Democrat. Uh, Buttigieg, you know, he, he's he's extreme, 
but he's not like he, at least in, from my perspective, he's not uh, someone who should be excommunicated or, or executed. Right, and to his credit, I, would, no, I wouldn't vote for him. I would not vote for Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> right, but he's uh, yeah. There's a lot worse than him. Yeah, and to his credit, uh, Telemundo asked Steyer, Amy, and Boo to judge who the president of Mexico is, and only Mayor Pete knew it was AMLO. And for Amy Klobuchar not to know who the president of Mexico is? That, I was pretty shocked when I when I read that as well. Uh, I, I really was, and I, I don't understand why she she doesn't know that. Did she give an excuse? No, I think she just said pass. Somebody pointed out it's not ignorance, it's not caring. It's I mean for for somebody who's a democrat not to be following AMLO who I you know, I'm not an expert, but he is a transformative president. Isn't he? I mean, he's pretty important yeah. if you're a democrat, you should know who AMLO is. I would think he's like the Arab Bernie. So looking at the polling with Nevada, Sanders is in first place. Biden is in second, but he's going to disappear after Nevada. Well, well, he's in second, but he's he's he has negative momentum. So he every day he he kicks down a little bit. So uh, he may be in second, but he's not going to come in second. Who's going to come in second? Warren. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is this is shocking to me. South Carolina. Assuming South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, Bloomberg, because a lot because of the uh, the ads that are blanketing uh, the state now, Biden is losing his edge. So he was winning by, you know, massive numbers, untouchable, untouchable, untouchable. And now, uh, you know, all those votes that Steyer is taking, taking are coming from him. So he's he's no longer a prohibitive first. He's now a challengeable first. So he, you know he could win. I, you know Bernie says he's going to win. Bernie says he will win. Uh, I hope he's right. But remember, Bernie is going to be. Everyone likes to get behind a, a winner. So Bernie won in Iowa. Bernie won in New Hampshire. If Bernie wins in Nevada, and then a week later is in um, South Carolina, there'll be. Quite a few people who aren't following too closely, who just sort of are into politics in a very casual way, which is probably the majority, uh, they'll say, hey, he's the winner. I want to be the winner, and they'll, they'll vote for Bernie. And you can't do it without the African-American vote. That's conventional wisdom. You cannot win South Carolina without the black vote. Why would you? You cannot, because the black people uh, are... Uh, well, I'm not sure in the primary exactly, but I, I, it's something like two-thirds of the votes come from the African-American community in a Democratic primary. Is it conceivable that the people who are polling are ignoring black people, just like oh, most it, institutions? It, it, oh, no, it's not conceivable. Well, then how do you explain Biden leading in the polls and Michael easy, Bloomberg easy. coming up? Huh? Biden, easy as pie, and, and Bloomberg easy as pie, two different things. Biden, and, and anyone will tell you this who does the polling and talks with people, it's because he was Obama's VP, period, nothing else. They know nothing else about him except that. That is the only thing they know about Joe Biden, nothing else, just Obama's VP, period, end of story. Why is... Um, why is Bloomberg coming up? Because he's spending an Im immense amount of money targeting every African-American in the state with an ad that, sh that shows, they think, shows Obama endorsing him. Okay. 
They think. It's a fake ad, of course. Obama right. never endorsed him. But the, the way the ad is made is that unless you're a professor, you, you come away from that ad saying, yeah, Obama just endorsed him. Right. And we're seeing in the national polling for the first time, Bernie leading. In the na- not that that means anything. but it it, mean, What do you mean not that it means anything? It does mean it. It does means a lot. We have Super Tuesday right around the corner. And, and the national polling is kind of reflective of that. Okay. Okay. And there is no one who's, except Bloomberg, who's spending any money in, in, uh, in, in, most, in most of those states. I mean, for example, none of the other candidates has spent a dime in Arkansas, in Alabama, in Oklahoma. Nothing. Zero. Not one penny. And Bloomberg has spent millions and millions of dollars in those states, just in those states. Okay. Uh, California, Super Tuesday, it looks like it's Bernie. Texas, it's looks like it's Bernie. It looks like it's Bernie, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, in our and, and, yeah, go ahead. Things create a certain momentum when, like I said, people want to be with a winner. Uh, you know, it's not the way you and I would vote, but uh, it's a way a lot of people look at it that way. They, they'll say, hey, Bernie's winning. I'm with him. Right. They want to be on the winning team. Well, what happens uh, a week from today, we'll be talking about Las Vegas, uh, Nevada. And let's say Bernie wins big in Nevada. Then we're looking at a coronation after. No, there won't be a coronation because Bloomberg is going to do, you know, Bloomberg, Bloomberg will do everything he can to stop Bernie. He says he tells people around him that that's the reason he's running when, when it doesn't look like he can win. He'll say he doesn't care. He just wants to stop Bernie. Okay. But you've gotten this right all along. I mean, you told... The only thing you got wrong was Warren. Uh, We thought... uh, (laughs) You kind of thought Warren was going to be fighting it out with Bernie. We we didn't see this implosion coming. But well, I have said from the first day that she would eventually be Bernie's VP. I never thought that she would be fighting till the end. I thought that Bernie would beat her. Okay. Do you honestly believe if he wins on Super Tuesday and he becomes the the the, the putative nominee? That anybody is going to challenge this? That the Clintons and the 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 Obamas and the Bloombergs would unite and fight for a brokered convention? Do you honestly believe that they care that much? Honestly, yes. yes. They they have their their excuse will be we're doing it for the good of the party because Bernie cannot be Trump. That's what they'll say, and they will fight. They will. I don't know if Obama will join that crew, but certainly the Clintons and Bloomberg will. And won't that backfire? I don't know. The Bernie people tell me that every time these attacks happen, their um, uh, their contributions tick up. Their contributions and their polling numbers tick up. It it you know maybe I'm mythologizing the Reagan Revolution, but. Didn't he purge the Republican Party? And didn't George W. Bush purge the Republican Party? And isn't it time for the Democratic Party to be purged of the Obamas and the Clintons? No, no. Stop purging and and executing and all that stuff. I think that when uh, Bernie gets in, he isn't going to purge the Democratic Party. He's going to change the people uh, that he can at the DNC. The leadership. Yeah, well, certainly the leadership, that's for sure. 
But, you know, it's, then it's his party, and he can, there's a lot that he can do to make the Democratic Party a better party. And he will. Uh, whether he, whether, you know, he uh, beats Trump or not uh, in November, and I think he will, but before then, he can do a lot uh, with uh, to make the Democratic Party better. Hopefully, on the first day that he becomes the nominee, he gets rid of that uh, Tom uh, Perez. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, all of the candidates and the former can all the former candidates who I've spoken to have said the same thing: that Perez is just a disaster. I've been saying to people who are on the fence with Bernie. And this upsets them. I say, you're going to get in line. You're going to get on the bus and you're going to keep your mouth shut because where else are you going to go? You're going in this direction and we're not asking you to read the map. Now shut up and look out the window. Is that wrong to talk that way? Enjoy your health care. <laughs> enjoy your health care. <laughs> Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive candidates, some socialists, and can't wait to talk to you next Tuesday. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Take Great. care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, David. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Let us now go to Washington, D.C., where Zach Ford is standing by. He is the press secretary for Alliance for Justice, AFJ.org. Alliance for Justice is a national association of over 120 organizations representing groups committed to progressive values and the creation of an equitable, just, and free society. They have been fighting for an independent justice system, preserving access to the courts and empowering others to stand up and fight for their causes. Welcome back to our show, Zach Ford. Good to be here. And I'll just just say up front, just in case, I'm speaking here in a personal capacity. So since this week we're going to go into topics other than just the work my org does, just in case I'm not speaking on behalf of AFJ. Yeah, and we'll divide it up into AFJ stuff. And then you, before joining AFJ, were very active over at Think Progress. You're the White House correspondent over there. And... You are an LGBTQ activist. The listeners to this show know you as a teacher on the show who has spent years explaining that every American has the right to love freely. Anyway, teacher is the most flattering compliment I think I can receive. So thank you. Yes, that, that the most important thing in the world is love. Without it, we're lost and there are people who are not allowed to love the way they want to and sex is an expression of love how you have sex is no sometimes yeah or yeah well yeah uh that being said stephen miller got married over the weekend you are not yeah, speaking, what's up with that yeah now you are not speaking as the press secretary for the alliance for justice yet we're just talking as uh 
friends. Uh, how is it possible that Stephen Miller, the, the lizard man, the skink, found another lizard person? I don't know. I have to say my best friend and I, who are both single, uh, were, were commiserating that when we were getting drinks the other night. Like, oh, my gosh, gosh, we are successful and bright and not totally unattractive people uh, that should be getting dates. And Stephen Miller is a Nazi and is getting married. And <laughs> What's wrong with us? Yeah, he really. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're unfamiliar with who t- tell everybody who Stephen Miller is. Please. You know, so Stephen Miller is uh, one of Trump's uh, chief strategists and is largely responsible for uh, children being in cages and in the other just disgusting aspects of Trump's immigration policy, uh, among whatever else he may or may not be doing. Who knows exactly who does what in that administration to the extent anybody does anything. But, you know, de- definitely responsible for some of the ugliest stuff. Uh, and, and we saw... Earlier this year, uh, some emails come out, or maybe that was even in the last year, um, showing how he would always send some of this white nationalist stuff to Breitbart, just like really vile guy, and and describing him as a as a Nazi is not really a uh, an exaggeration too much. Uh, he is Jewish, which yeah. you know some people try to uh, use to excuse uh, his hateful views, but I don't really think that that uh, I don't think that all adds up. Well, he married uh, Katie Rose Waldman, 28 years old. She's an assistant to President Trump and Vice President Mike Pence's press secretary. I mean, you know, birds of a feather flock together. That's yeah. what I hear. Yeah. And she was a spokesman for Christian Nielsen, the uh, former Homeland Security chief. How... Uh, you know, how do hateful people find love? I mean, th- th- these are people who spend 12 hours a day, seven days a week, hating on, as you say, babies in cages, kids in cages, people of color. And then somehow they convince themselves that they're righteous and that they should have a rabbi marry them. And Mike Pence is watching and everything is angelic and beautiful and there's a wedding night but here, here's the thing is you're you're comparing love and hate as if they are two sides of a coin and that's really not how it works when you have views like they have you see other people as not human but you still see yourself as human so their capacity for romantic love or committing themselves to another person isn't really encumbered by their ability uh, to also see other humans uh, as disposable uh, or, or, you know, capable of being treated in the way that they've treated them. So uh, it's, I think it's inviting to try to, you know, say, how can they love when they hate? But it's really all about power dynamics, right? It's all about um, we have power and they don't. We have a right to a comfortable life and they don't. Um, you're going to embrace that comfortable life and you're going to find others who believe in it too. So I, I, I think I'd, it's not the right way to, to imagine it. Uh, evil. I want to get to Rush Limbaugh in a second because... Well, we'll get to him in a second. There are evil people in this world. And, and when you when you meet them and get close to them and come in contact with 
their quote unquote loved ones and see how they live, they kind of know they're evil. They kind of know they're broken and damaged. And this is the best they can do. And they kind of know they're sadistic. If they're functioning in, in our society, they're aware that they bite and can't help themselves and kind of wish they weren't like this, that they were born a certain way. I, I, you know, I, this is a very contradictory thing that I, I believe, but I don't believe anyone is inherently evil. I believe that everyone is, is redeemable and everyone is capable of learning how to see the humanity in others. But it, it, the reason I say that sounds contradictory is at the same time I'm saying, you know, as part of my job at AFJ, hey, these people are, are despicable and should not be judges. And there's an important distinction there, which is they're being elevated to lifetime positions in which they can do a lot of harm. Um, and I'm not saying that they're, that we shouldn't treat them as humans. I'm saying they shouldn't have powerful positions while they still have these uh, ra- rather evil views. Okay. All right. Let's turn to Rush Limbaugh, given a Presidential Medal of Freedom at the State of the Union. He has a long history, it's not worth going into, of homophobic, racist statements. They go back to his beginnings, and they're not so veiled. A week after getting the Presidential Medal of Freedom, he made a statement. He said, Mayor Pete, let's see him after his debate with Donald Trump, invite his husband up on stage and kiss him on the lips. Then we'll see what a man Donald Trump is. And the American people are not going to vote. This is what Rush Limbaugh said. They're not going to vote for a candidate with a, a male husband. Well, I guess that's the only type you have who's, you know, they're not going to vote for a gay president. Uh, even Trump distanced himself from that. I mean, as if that matters. Trump just gave him the Medal of Freedom. Like, <laughs> yeah. what? What? What does Rush Limbaugh stand for other than a long history of just nasty shock jock rhetoric? I mean, even you should be able to look at Rush Limbaugh and see a, a distinction between how to. Uh, you know, thoughtfully convey ideas and, and nastily just rant about things. Um, even me. Oh, even so he, you. oh well, yeah. okay, we'll get to Bernie <laughs> in a second. Apparently somebody has been reading my posts on Facebook. I took a couple of them down. We're getting there. I, I want to get to the the intolerance on my side in a second. But, but go ahead. You know, watching, watching the State of the Union and, and watching that surprise moment and Rush Limbaugh's like crying, he's so honored and everything. Else. What is he getting a medal for? It is literally an award for just being a nasty person. Uh, suddenly he has lung cancer, which I don't want anyone to be miserable or have not have access to the proper health care that they need in this country. But you know, just because we can feel bad for somebody with an ailment doesn't mean we suddenly ignore all of these really damaging things that he's done. And it's not like he's a better person just because he has a new challenge in his life either. He is clearly still the same terrible person. And that's what he got a medal for. And, you know, Trump's whatever, he he picked this guy as a winner and, and there's only one thing that ever elevated Rush Limbaugh and it was his, his terrible attacks on people. 
ad hominem, cruel attacks on the way people look. <laughs> you know, here's a, a morbidly obese guy attacking the way people look. A guy who has never had children, married three times, talking about family values. A man who was addicted to Oxycontin, talking about personal responsibility. A man who sneaks infomercials from the Koch brothers into his monologues, which is a form of payola. I mean, this is one of the most despicable human beings. He's really, really dangerous. And when you say, and this is worth discussing, because... I made a joke. I said, I want to do a GoFundMe page for Rush Limbaugh. I want to raise $3 million for his lung cancer. And I was shy about making that joke on stage until it got the laughter and applause it so richly deserved. And I thought, well, A, is God going to punish me? And I thought, well, no. And B, does he deserve to be made fun of? And the answer is yes. The answer is he's a bully who lived in a bubble. You know, he's on radio, so there's no accountability. There's no audience. He can say whatever he wants with Im immunity. When you say Rush Limbaugh, you don't like to see any human in pain, and I hope he gets the, the medical care he so richly deserves, but he's depriving Americans of the health care they so richly deserve. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I think about this all the time whenever somebody who has just done a lot of evil in the world, um, you know, faces a health crisis or dies. I was thinking about this the other day because it was the four-year anniversary of Justice Scalia's death, uh, which led us down the path of, you know, Merrick Garland's nomination and um, McConnell blocking and, and keeping that seat open for Trump. But there is something to... I don't think celebrates the right word, but there's something to recognize that, hey, this person that was delivering a lot of harm into the world is no longer capable of delivering that harm. And that is sort of a net good um, that that we can recognize. But I, I still don't want to wish harm upon people because I think that gets into the territory of, you know, not being any better. You know, I don't mm -hmm. I don't want to root for Rush Limbaugh's lung cancer, but I do want Rush off the air. So right. it's this weird thing where I I don't want to, you know, wish him ill will um, as just a human being, but I do welcome anything that, you know, protects others from the, the, the nasty stigma that he puts out into the air every day. Right. I always call you my Jiminy Cricket. You're, you're my conscience. I don't know why, but you are. So... I'm not running for office. I have no responsibility other than to my listeners and to myself and to my family and to my country. I'm a Bernie bro, and I'm angry. I, I am mm -hmm. really, really angry. And when I say that, when I hear that Bernie bros are intolerant, I respond, if, you know, anybody who is so prejudice and bias to accuse a Bernie bro of being intolerant deserves their door to be kicked down and their house set on fire because we're not <laughs> we're not intolerant.
Your cognitive dissonance is just so impressive. Your ability to sort of hold this idea in your head that there are real tangible harms to the kind of harassment we're seeing in in large part from supporters of Bernie Sanders. Uh, All right, hang on for one and, second. And willingness I, I, to reinforce that. Okay. It's, it's just it's a really impressive cognitive dissonance. Thank you. Let, let me tell my listeners, back off, because uh, uh, Zach is one of the, or if not the bravest guest we have on this show. And uh, I do not want anybody tweeting at him if we're going to have this conversation. Do oh, not- you are Streisand affecting this without even my permission. <laughs> David. Explain, explain, the tri- explain the Streisand effect. I don't even remember the exact story, but there was something that Barbara Streisand didn't want to get out, and so she tried to kill it, and then the story of her trying to kill it was even bigger than the original thing would have been and it became known as the streisand effect that you know if you try to shut something down and and especially twitter trolls like just love jumping on people who say oh no my mentions so that they can fill up your mentions some more so you are like not even being subtle here no trying to sick people on me mr feldman no i do not appreciate that no no i I trust my listeners to be respectful i really do they're not your listeners are usually pretty great yeah they are i think we'll be okay And, and let's Let's be honest. I will vote for whomever the Democrats nominate for president. I will vote for Mike Bloomberg if he gets the nomination. Okay. And, and the, and, but, and I would assume you would vote for Bernie if he gets the nomination. Yeah. I think I feel comfortable saying I will also vote for the Democrat. Okay. So we're, we're both Democrats, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we, and we both hate. We're like, I wish there were better alternatives, but. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we both want pretty much the same things. We do. Sure. You want to end income inequality? I do. You were part of the unionization of Think Progress? I was. Definitely a big fan of labor rights. You're big on LGBTQ rights. I believe you're one of the biggest people on LGBT, LGBTQ rights, correct? Uh, I'm on a list somewhere, probably. Yeah. I believe you think we need a Green New Deal? Sure, yeah. That climate change is a mortal threat to our planet? Very real and present. Very real and present. Do you you have college loans outstanding? Uh, Actually, not anymore, but I... Congratulations. It's a, uh, it's sort of a blessing in disguise that I I, I got a little extra severance that worked out that way. Hang on, hang on. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so I am, I'm officially student debt free, but, uh, it was a very long journey and I don't need extra compensation myself, but I definitely support, uh, reimbursing folks, uh, help them pay for their, their college experiences. So yeah, I'm with you on that one too. Do, do you think college should be free at all public universities? Sounds great. Yeah. You do, you do support that. I, I generally do. I mean, I want education to be as accessible for everybody as possible. I mean, I, I also think that trade schools are an important thing to keep an eye on and apprenticeships are an important thing to keep an eye on. And so a four-year liberal arts degree is not the perfect journey for every single person to take, but I don't want anyone to be prevented from taking that journey because of their financial life circumstances. Do you believe we should put an end to permanent war? Yeah, not a big fan of war, actually, ah. as it happens. Yeah. So we could cut 
maybe half of our military budget easily? I don't know about easily, but uh, it's certainly a good goal. Mm-hmm. What about Medicare for all? Big fan, yeah. I was just, uh, before I got on, I was watching the clip from uh, John Oliver this week who really digs into what is Medicare for all and, you know, how misleading are the attacks on it. And, and so we, we agree on everything. Uh, yeah. Uh, are, are you an incrementalist? Do you think we should take our time or do you think we should do it as soon as possible? I'm definitely more in the as soon as possible camp with the recognition that that's usually not what succeeds, but uh, definitely the direction that I lean. Okay. So let's talk about me then. Okay. Because I'm. Uh, this is the David Feldman show, I guess. Yes. So I'm a Bernie bro. And mm-hmm. now I deny the rage. I deny the rage. Tell me about this rage. What What is this rage? How that could, you deny? Uh, and I think it's fueled, as I'm talking to you, I'm beginning to realize that the anger in Bernie's speechifying animates me and activates me so he is a bit and by the way i'm not criticizing bernie i think he has the potential to be the greatest president uh since roosevelt if not greater and i think the time and the man have reached that perfect confluence where it's it's bernie time uh he is hitting a note that resonates with me and a lot of disgruntled, unhappy people and who want to tear it all down and are looking for victims. I'm being honest with you. I'm looking to, you know, figuratively punch somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm angry. Who who are you angry at? Well, uh, you know, I feel like I'm a boxer and just put me in a ring with anybody. and I just want to throw some punches figuratively. So it's just pure, raw, toxic masculinity. You'll take a swing at anybody. Uh, 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 you know, uh, metaphorically. Eh, I mean, what we're still talking about. Like, I'm being totally honest with you now. I, listen, I know I'm trying. I'm, I want to help process this okay. with you, David, because I feel like you're you're starting. You're you're getting a little testy. On social media, you're getting a little into the territory of uh, losing yourself in the irony and, and becoming part of the problem. And I don't want that for you because I think you can rise above that uh, without compromising your values at all. And so that's what I, I want to help you process. You say you have this rage. What What is the value of this rage? To whom is this rage directed? What are you going to do about this rage? We need to like we need to talk about what it is and where it comes from, because that's. It's it's getting in the way of a lot, I think. Okay, my rage, I'm being absolutely serious. My rage is directed at some of my peers, some of the people who are my age. I would call them hyper-educated, but they haven't cracked a book in 30 or 40 years. Self-satisfied, smug. They're the adults in the room. They've been around the block. They say things like, this isn't my first rodeo. I want what you want, but uh, how are we going to get there? And they're really frauds, intellectual and 
morally fraudulent. They just want to, they don't want to pay more taxes and they don't know what it means to sacrifice for their country. They really just want what's best for their kids and themselves. And they call themselves Democrats and they attach themselves to easy issues to come across as compassionate, but uh, they're, they're frauds and they, they, they don't care. It's kind of like Amy Klobuchar not knowing who the president of Mexico is. They, they asked, Telemundo asked the candidates who the president of Mexico is. And that's willful ignorance for Amy Klobuchar not to know who AMLO is, who was one of the most transformative Latin American leaders of the 21st century. So it's that willful ignorance that I see in the professional class. And I just want, metaphorically, figuratively speaking, want to crack their skulls. All right. So let's let's start unpacking this a little bit. First of all, do you have more rage for those people than you do for Trump and the Republicans? Yes, I do. Okay, so see that that right there is a really important revelation to have right here is a group that is the worst and really doing a lot of harm in our country. But you are angrier at people who don't want to go as far in the other direction. Do you, if you, if you could like set it aside and think about it objectively, do you think it makes sense to have more rage for the people who don't want to change as much as you do than it is to have rage at the people doing the worst? All right. Hang on. I, I want to think for a second how honest I want to be with you. <laughs> Hang on. Let me just think. It's, for the, a second. it's the David Feldman. If he feels like it show. Well, no, hang on. I just want to make sure. Cause, uh, let me see here. How honest do I want to be here? All right. Uh, I, I would go like the, the Romulan warrior nuns on Picard and go for absolute candor. Well, it, uh, I'm going to obfuscate and then I'll tell the, tell you the truth. The reason the Palestinians and the Jews hate each other is it's a sibling rivalry. The reason the Shiites and the Sunnis hate each other is it's a sibling rivalry. We, you know, there's a thing called black on black violence, Jew on Jew violence. We tend to be rougher on our own than those who are not part of our tribe. I don't know. I usually hear about those things from white non-Jews, so stick a pin in that for a different day, but go on. Okay, so I'm, I'm justifying why I'm angrier at uh, Biden supporters. I mean, Amy, I mean, Amy supporters, I, 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 I see I'm blinded, and, and I hate anybody who supports Pete Buttigieg. I think he's uh, everything that's wrong with the Democratic Party, everything. And it, so the rage is we could beat the Republicans and we wouldn't have lost in 2016 had we been a party that represents the 99%. And it makes me very angry that... That I bought that BS, that I voted for Obama, and I voted for Hillary, and I voted for Bill, that I got suckered into 
into their narrative, their story, their personal journey, as opposed to what they were going to do for the 99%. And it, it, it enrages me. So in other words, you're blaming the centrist Democrats for what the nasty Republicans have been able to accomplish. Yes. Yes. Now, do you honestly believe that that is the most helpful approach to mitigating the harm that the Republicans have, especially considering uh, the way that they have tried to rig the elections, as we know, Trump was impeached for this, as they've tried to rig their control of legislatures, as we know from gerrymandering, as they've tried to rig access to the polls in ways that largely affect Democratic voters like uh, people of color, people with disabilities, etc., through voter ID and other voter suppression things. And the fact that, like, just the way our Constitution is written is really undemocratic, and currently the Republicans in the Senate represent millions of people fewer than the Democrats in the Senate and yet still have control over the quote-unquote upper house. Given all of that, all of the way that the odds are against any non-Republican to try to move our country in a different direction, do you really still feel like the best approach is to look at it all and say, I would rather squabble with people who aren't as far left as I am than figure out what I can swallow to work with the people to at least alleviate ourselves in whatever capacity possible from this really unfair stranglehold that Republicans have on our democracy. Right. This is great. Uh, and uh, my answer, as you're saying this, is and I'm being totally honest with you, that what you said, just said makes me more of a leftist and more intolerant of the centrists. And here's why. Everything you said is correct. So I have to ask, why is it that the Republicans are able to commit voter suppression, why they're able to take over the state houses, why they're able to keep the Senate and even uh, block Supreme Court nominees when, when we have a Democratic president? Why are the Republicans able to accomplish so much? Why is that? They cheat. They and cheat. they already have the advantage, right? They're already catering to white uh, people, rural people, and they already have a constitution that gives them the advantage there. And as soon as they rig one thing, they use the benefit from that to rig another thing. That's why Trump wanted to have this citizenship question so that he could depress uh, the count of immigrant families and lower representation uh, for typically Democratic voters. I mean, you're, you're imagining this clean slate and this is, you know, actually kind of goes back to other critiques I've, I've shared with you on, on your show about Bernie, which is this assumption that Whatever, we can just change whatever tomorrow and it'll reset things and all of these other inequities will disappear. And that's just never been the reality of our country. We have so much reconciliation that we still need to do over slavery and over our takeover of Native American lands uh, and all kinds of other 
you know, intolerances built into uh, the fabric of our country. And so you can't just say, well, they cheated, so we should get to cheat and we should have the advantage or whatever. Like, you have to sort of recognize all of the forces that were at work to allow that to happen. And you have to decide that you want to take the higher road, right? If you just cheat to try to win in the other direction, are you really making things better? Are you really speaking on behalf uh, of, of what people want in this country? Are you really actually fixing the democracy or are you just abusing it for your own devices? I, I, I think this is like the big challenge that Democrats face. One, because their the spectrum of their views uh, is a much, quote-unquote, bigger tent, although I don't like that phrase, than the very narrow, extreme views that the Republican Party now uh, offers. Um, but we, we actually have to think about how we all can work together to move things in a different direction, even if it's not at the same pace as everybody wants it. And that's the, the challenge. But you're never going to win if you just say all or nothing. Because we will keep getting nothing because we the circumstances aren't in our favor to actually win. Okay, let me push back on this, and this is great. Please, I agree. Please. I agree with everything you're saying. You you are presenting facts, but the conclusion you're reaching is to me disappointing. When Michelle Obama says, "When they go low, we go high," and I agree with that. I don't believe in cheating. I believe in appealing to the voters' better angels. I believe in going as high as to the clouds upon which the angels are dancing. But that doesn't mean civility. That means policy. When when Trump goes low, you have to return his attacks with policy that makes the angels head spin. And that is... Medicare for all yesterday. Yesterday. So I, you're, you're just kind of jumping over it to reinforce what you already believe, but not in the way that's really helping you sort of sort out why people are concerned that you're actually part of doing harm in the process. And this reminds me of what's known as the paradox of intolerance. Are you familiar with that concept? Uh, no. So... A lot of times when there are lots of evil views in the world, uh, as we've seen, especially in recent times, people who hold those evil views or adjacent enabling views will say, you have to tolerate my right to believe something different than you do, uh, or, or there is no tolerance in the world. And what the paradox of intolerance says, that's actually not true, because if you tolerate intolerance enough then the intolerant people will snuff out the tolerant. And then there won't be any tolerance left anywhere for anybody. Um, and so there, there actually is a line that you have to draw. We have to say, no, we need to start raising the bar again. We need to start thinking about dignity, thinking about integrity, thinking about justice in a way that is fair and approachable and not just re-rigging the game. Or otherwise, we're just all going to be constantly cheating each other and, and nothing actually good is going to come of it. So I think we really have to... It, it's hard, right? It's very hard to say we're going to take the higher road because the people who want to cheat are still going to cheat. We have to still compensate for that. But we have to find a way to do it 
without cheating, without just jumping in the front of the line. We have I to convince people to move in that direction, right? You and I can both sit down and intellectualize that, like, this world would be a lot better without the U.S. health insurance market, right? Like, all of that is just nonsense that steals money from poor people and gets in the way of people getting health care. But people don't understand that. And so we have to work with them to educate them. And we have to, you know, it's not cheating so much as thinking about ways to move them in that direction without them realizing that they're doing it so that they can get past their preconceptions and see that, oh, you know, actually if there are other ways of imagining the healthcare industry, I can get on board with that. And if you're just going to drag them along, they're not necessarily going to come with you. And so I think you have this idea in your head that because these ideas are right and need to happen yesterday, we should just do it and then we win and everyone will come along. But that's just not the reality of politics in our country. You actually have to do the work. And whatever Bernie stands for or Warren stands for um, – isn't necessarily where everybody is going to be. And if you alienate those people, if you if you just then respond by saying, you're dumb, you're terrible, you're destroying this country, then they're, they're just going to say, well, screw you. I don't, why would I hang out with you if this is the way you treat me? You don't actually, you know, hear out where I'm coming from and you're not open to any negotiation whatsoever. I think it, what this all is is about moving that Overton window as much as we can, as quickly as we can, but still recognizing that it's a window and it can only move so fast and so far. And if you just toss everybody aside, you're not going to get anywhere. You're just going to look as extreme as the Trumpists who say, we've got our guy. If you're not on board, then you're the enemy. Okay. Tell us what the Overton window is and tell me who in the past 10 years has opened the Overton window, the widest? So the Overton window is the concept that at any given point in time, there's a, a certain range of political ideas that are currently viable. And, you know, Trump has definitely pulled the Republican Party very far to the right. So if you have even the most, the, the slightly moderate kind of view as a Republican than you're seen as an outsider, right? That Overton window for them is very narrow. Um, and, and what we're seeing, I think, with both this race and in 2016 is an attempt from Democrats to pull the Overton window to the left with ideas that are more revolutionary, like Medicare for all, than, than other ideas have been in the past, uh, and, and get people thinking outside of these really narrow confines uh, of the way things have happened before. Um, and so we, we need to keep moving that window. I, I, I believe strongly in this concept because I've seen it so much in LGBTQ equality where, you know, we, we started by just creating basic visibility. We started having pride marches, which was a response to police brutality to say we are here. We're not going to hold this anymore. We started getting more representations in media. And then we started making some success, uh, with political views and shifting that. And it, it, it is, a slow process and I don't like incrementalism because I want to help move that window more but you know you can only stretch it so far before it breaks well uh, and the second part of my question I don't know who's moved the Overton window the most in the in the general sense of things. Um, who do you think? It, who do you think I think has moved the Overton window? Oh, I know who you think has moved <laughs> the Overton window. 
here's the thing. Has, has, is that what's happened with Bernie or is the kind of political approach that you're talking about the idea that you have your own separate window and anybody who's not within it is the enemy? Um, I don't really know that that's the same thing. I think that that's this other, uh, I've, I've carved out this specific kind of loyalty to a brand and if you're not there, then you're just as bad as everybody else. And I just think that that's be short-sighted. I don't think that that actually describes um, who people are or, or what this country is like. Okay, so again, you will vote for Bernie in November. I would vote for Mike Bloomberg in November. I will vote. I will show up on Election Day and vote for whomever the Democrats choose. Uh, would you agree that in the debates of 2016, Bernie said things on primetime television that had never been heard before. Sure. Never listen, been I mean, heard before. Attacking. Listen, here, this, I, I'm just going to stop you, David, because I'm not here to fight over what Bernie has said or stands for, because that's not really something that we disagree on. We've okay. already established that. So reverting back to that is just going to sort of fuel okay. your rage because you're still not getting to the point where you recognize how you uh, demonstrate your allegiance to what Bernie stands for in terms of how you treat other people. And I'm not saying that you're the worst, but you've done it a little bit, and, and it's a way that's sort of emblematic of, of the Bernie bro concept. Yeah, I mean, I've said things, and I took it down. Uh, you know, uh, you can <laughs> wring your hands all you want about Bernie, but where else are you going to go? You're going to get in line, get on the bus, shut your effing mouth, and there's a new driver, and you're not giving us directions. There's a new, And that felt good to write that, and I do feel it. I do feel that the Democrats will get in line. And so let me ask you some questions now. Well, I do have one question based on what you just said, which is how do you feel about the poll that says that only 53% of Bernie supporters will support the Democratic nominee? Because I hear you saying you'll get in line and you'll vote for the Democrat. But it's very alarming to me to say, hey, we have the most leftist candidate. If you don't support him, you're wrong and we're going to harass you into submission. But... Also, we're not going to commit to supporting any other Democrat, and we'd rather throw the country back to Trump than commit to that. All right, so I'll answer that twofold. One is, uh, I, I get enraged, not at you, I love you, but I get enraged when people attack the messenger, not the message, or, not, or the messenger's messengers. This idea that Bernie bros are toxic and they won't vote for the the democratic nominee in the general to me that shows how bankrupt the rest of the party is because they can't fight bernie on the issues they have to attack his supporters i also suspect that a lot of the toxicity while real and you're talking to a very toxic bernie bro but i suspect that the real toxicity a lot of it is coming from Russian trolls, bots, people posing as Bernie bros to create division. We know that that is a real, that's a real problem. Sure. 
Now, I, I, I don't disagree, and I, I will say I do know people in real life who are much Bernie broier than you, but what again, you have to kind of stop and say, like, why are they doing that? And I, I think the bigger question is not just why do Russian bots think that, you know, harassing non-Bernie supporters will help them in the election because they clearly want to keep Trump there, but also what happens to the Democrats who didn't support Bernie when Bernie wins the nomination? That's 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 what I really struggle with, which is oh, they might get in You'll be sent to re-education camps. We'll take away your eyeglasses the way Pol Pot did. Do you? I mean, what are you afraid of? You you actually think the Bernie Bros are going to start going through the voting records and hold you accountable, and there'll be truth and reconciliation? What, what do you mean? What happens? To- I I mean, here's the thing. So. I really don't want to support Bloomberg at all, stop and frisk, all kinds of, you know, allegations or whatnot. But he has an interesting new ad out that highlights some of the ways that Bernie bros have harassed non-Bernie bros. And I think it's an interesting conversation that just doesn't enamor me at all to Bloomberg, and I don't think he should be the one to lead it. But when you look at that ad, you see some of these, uh, and I, some of the examples are not good, but some of them are uh, exemplative of, you know, some very real harassment that causes harm oh, tell and- me what that harassment is because i do know that women here's the thing i do know i do know that female guests on this show tell me that they receive uh, the are called the c word and they are attacked and they are attacked and they are attacked i do know that this goes on however and i'm looking for examples when the union the the culinary workers went out with that pamphlet saying that bernie wants to take away your health care in Nevada. They they kind of demonized Bernie. In my mind, they lied about Bernie's policy. Nobody is more pro-union than Bernie Sanders. Nobody wants to provide health care more than Bernie Sanders. He has addressed the issue of private union health care vis-a-vis Medicare for all, and that there would be a... a a transition period. He has addressed this. My, I was really angry at the culinary union because, you know, politics is a blood sport. They are lying. This is tantamount to that pamphlet back in 2000 in South Carolina when Karl Rove was passing out literature that suggested John McCain fathered uh, an African-American child out of wedlock because his wife turns out adopted uh, I think a, a child from uh, India or Bangladesh. So that that pamphlet that went out was horrific. And then they play the victim and they say, uh, we were harassed by Bernie supporters. But they don't show what the harassment consisted of. Was it, what kind of vitriol are we talking about? Were they, were they, writing mean and nasty messages on Twitter? Were they writing angry emails? I mean, what when when Biden supporters complain that Bernie supporters are harassing them, are they are they threatening them physically? Are they arguing with them? Are you know, a lot of times people who live in bubbles uh and when they're called on their own BS and you've been in relationships. 
where people have their own inner narrative. And the minute you puncture that politely, it's as though you clobbered them with a baseball bat. I'd like to see, and I know there is evidence. I know there is evidence. But, you know, on Twitter, Nasty Woman 2020, Nasty Woman 2020 wrote to me and complained that she was on a face a Twitter uh, group and uh, a Nasty Woman 2020 said that she got into an argument with a Bernie bro and then he went to her Facebook or Yelp page and accused me, my business, of being nasty and intolerant. And I said, send me the the review, prove it to me. And secondly, you're leading with nasty. Maybe it's not just politics. Maybe you are nasty in how you conduct your business. And she went after, I mean, she, she called, I mean, you know, I said, maybe you're a nasty person. You're a sexist. Nasty is a sexist. I went, okay. Okay, so you're blaming the victim anecdote aside. <laughs> Let's get back to the important question of what is the proper response to a group putting out unfactual statements? There is a reasonable response, but, I mean, honestly, uh, I was enraged that they and they weren't factual statements. I, listen, I'm not disagreeing. Like, I, I hate the way that Republican talking points about choice are are used to attack Medicare for all because it's clearly misleading. Right. I'm with you on that. But what is the proper way to convince people that the, that is misleading and wrong? Like, I, the goal I would hope is to say. Actually, the way you're framing this sort of misunderstands the size and scope of what kind of changes Medicare for all would provide to this country, including how much you would be paying out of pocket, including in taxes, and what kind of access to health care you would have. Right. It's it's just a story. And most importantly, you- most importantly, you're going to be stuck in your job at the whatever culinary job you have. You're a carver or what, whatever. You're going to be stuck carving turkey at the Bellagio for the rest of your life because you are afraid of losing your health care. This is how the union traps you. Well, I, I I don't want to sort of go down the road of what the union is doing or trapping because I think the union is trying to advocate for its workers. You're not wrong that the worker might not have an alternative of somewhere else to go. But, again, a great compelling argument for what actually is in Medicare for All. But do you win those people over? Do you help dispel some of the myths they believe? Do you actually help them understand how they would benefit from this policy by attacking them, by harassing them, by going after them, by, you know, channeling your rage in their direction? Well, I don't know. I would like ah, to. Well, hang on. You would like, you don't know. And you would like to believe that they would, you know, just be like, oh, these people are mad. I must have done something wrong and take responsibility. That's not actually how political education in this country works. You have to meet people where they are. And if you just try to beat them over the head with something, 
you're not going to get there. The, I was trained as a teacher. I obviously took a different direction with my life. But one of the most important things you learn as a teacher is the importance of repetition. People don't get it the first time. They might not get it the fifth time. They might not get it the 15th time. But the more you help them hear it again and hear it in a different way, take them on a different path to get to it, and the more patiently you work with them to help them figure it out, the better chance that they're going to learn it. And that's no different in the world of politics, even though the scale is different and the energy is different. You still have to meet people where they are. You still have to be willing to hear their concerns, to hear their misconceptions, and just talk to them and work out, well, actually, this is what you're saying, what you believe about this is wrong, um, but I want to help you understand how you got that false impression and how to help you dispel it. And if you're not doing that, you just lose them, right? They, it's, it's, it's no different than in the classroom, the kids who don't get the support that they need and just drop out. Uh, and, and I don't think that your approach is going to be any different if it's just, well, I have this rage. It's about me and my rage. If you're not on board with my rage, then you're wrong and, and I don't care about you anymore. That's, that's really going to keep dividing the country and it's not going to help us get away from the harm of Trump. And that's what I was talking about earlier is, you know, if Bernie wins this nomination, then we do need to all rally behind the Democrat if it's Bernie, but we also need to recognize that a lot of the people who were helped get Bernie there threw a lot of the other people whose support they need to get change under the bus. And we need those people not just to elect Bernie, but we need them to elect Democratic senators. We need them to elect Democratic uh, members of the House. We need them to help fill in uh, Democratic state legislatures as well, uh, because the system is rigged at all of these different levels. And if we don't actually bring those people together around a sense of understanding and shared values, we're not going to get anywhere. We're not, even if Bernie wins, but doesn't uh, have any legislative support, then all of his best ideas will just sit out there and do nothing. And then you might be mad because he'll have to actually make the kinds of compromises that other people are asking for. You have to build a coalition and it can be a coalition that's all the way to the left. But what drives me crazy is that whether they're real or not, a lot of the people who support Bernie aren't committed to that. They aren't patient about letting other people um, sit with where they are on, on these different issues and work with them to move them in that direction and be satisfied for any movement that they make as opposed to settling for all or nothing. Okay, I have three points I want to make. Uh, one is uh, you know, more, more Bernie voters voted for Hillary in 2016 than Hillary voters voted for Obama in 2008. You've seen Okay, that. so there's, again, this is not, you're, you're using a different example to try to, to shift this topic because there's a whole I'm not, other I'm, element of, I know. of I'm race just, in that comparison. So it's not, you're, I, I'm just. I hear what you're saying that that Bernie folks were more likely to get in line than this random group of people who couldn't support a black candidate, but I don't think that that really helps your story very much, and it doesn't answer the question of how are things today, how is it playing out now? Okay, I will get to that, I, but I just want to. I jotted down some points that I just want to put out there that may not be germane to your question. Uh, that. If Hillary is going to blame 
Russia, uh, if she's going to blame 2016 on Russia, then then part of that argument is that they sowed the myth that Bernie was undermining Hillary, that that was part of what the Russian trolls did is they presented this image of the Bernie bro who was against Hillary. So if you buy the idea that Russia was trying to damage the Democratic brand, part of that was creating the schism between Hillary and Bernie. That, you know, that's the truth. Now, well, are, hang on. If, if 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 part of the Russian strategy to support the Republicans is creating a schism between Bernie and Hillary, isn't reinforcing divisions between Bernie and less socialist Democrats part of that same plan? Uh, reinforcing divisions, but when when I go on social media and act like an a hole and tell people, where are you going to go? You're going to get in line. You're stupid. Yes, that is not helping the cause. I agree with you. Okay. Okay. Just, just you're, you're, and I took down a couple of these. Chris McGuire, a great comedy writer, sent me a note. He goes, take this down. Are you okay? And I took it down. I realized that this was more about something else than about politics. Uh, so, yes, I agree with you that talking to non-Bernie supporters in a condescending way and saying where else you're going to go you're going to bend to our will and you're you're a fraud and an ignoramus and you're the reason we're you know democracy is failing because idiots like you shouldn't be allowed to vote yeah that doesn't help the cause that being said I, i i will grant you that there is this myth you know the cliche if you repeat a lie Long enough, it becomes the truth. You know, the idea that Vietnam vets were spat upon uh, and called baby killers in this country when they came home, that never happened. But that became a nice story, and it was used by the media, and then Republicans it became this talking point about uh, liberals and the left, that we spat on soldiers and disrespected them. That's simply not true. There was not one recorded incident of a Vietnam vet getting spat upon and called a baby killer. But the Republicans were able to use that lie to foster this notion that Democrats and liberals hate our troops. And I'm a leftist. I don't hate our troops. I hate the generals and I hate the Pentagon. I love our troops. I love the VA. I don't like the Pentagon. And the myth about Al Gore being a serial liar in 2000. That just became a story that the press decided was true. He didn't claim he invented the Internet. We could go through this. Now, the question about the what I call the mythical Bernie bro. Now, I'm a Bernie bro. and But the mythical Bernie bro is aggressive, violent, the equivalent of Antifa, Dangerous. I think Chuck Todd called them brown shirts, which was highly offensive, considering Bernie's family was wiped out by the brown shirts. So that is this lie that they've taken 
our passion, our willingness to fight for our cause, to send you hyperlinks, to say, look, I think you're wrong about this or, or, or knock it off. This is a lie. You're lying. Drop out on Twitter. You know, I would like to see the, the vindictive, hateful language, the examples that the, the culinary union is citing. I'd like to see the examples. If it's you're lying, you're an effing liar, stop lying. If these are emails and, and they're getting, you know, if you post a lie like that and I tweet at you, you're an effing liar, back this up, I'm crossing the line. But come on. You know, I'm not calling you the C word. I'm not using a racial epithet. I'm not threatening to firebomb your offices. Uh, they don't like being challenged. These are people who are accustomed to being right and, and s seizing the moral high ground. And when they get challenged on it, their worldview crumbles and they're being called on their BS and... They overreact and say, this is vindictive, and I felt menaced and threatened. Not that that doesn't happen, but I don't think it's happened. I'd like to see, but I keep asking for proof, and nobody sends me any. Have you seen any of, of these, these toxic emails from Bernie Bros that were sent to the culinary unions? I, I haven't specifically followed that conflict closely, but you know, do you wonder what I'm thinking about as, as you're talking is all of the mega Christian anti LGBTQ hate groups in the United States who say, Hey, at least we're not supporting uh, the criminal death penalty for homosexuality. So you can't say that we're bad. But, it's but this I idea. mean, where, there was one guy who shot Steve Scalise and he was a Bernie supporter. Listen, my point is 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 not to say that all Bernie supporters are as toxic as you described. But what I hear is an argument that we're not as bad as these extreme examples that are being cited, so we can't be held accountable for it. And I just don't think that that actually answers the kinds of questions that I'm asking about this rage that you have, because it's not a question of whether you're as terrible as others. It's a question of whether or not you're still contributing to this toxic culture where... You're not actually looking to cooperatively help people better understand your issues. You're just attacking them for not already being on board. And I, I know from just other examples in my life how debilitating it can feel when you, people decide that you're going to be the target of, of trolling on Twitter. You're going to get ratioed. You're going to be the one um, that is swallowed by this because you can't have you go been, on have, social. Okay. Have oh, you been attacked? By, have you been attacked by Bernie bros? I, I know. Listen, I have not, I've had some interactions with Bernie bros that were one-on-one -on -one, um, that were negative and, and fuel my belief that this is a real concept. But what I'm saying is that, for the other people who have experienced this from Bernie bros, when you are experiencing that kind of ratioing, 
it actually is kind of a private hell. You are just being bombarded, and because you're only getting these one-sided messages, it actually feels like you have to kind of question everything and question whether or not um, you can move forward. And a day later, it passes, and like things start to restart, resume to normal. But you have to stop looking at social media. You are you are frozen out in a sense because there's no room for you to move on to another topic, to try to engage in, in other work that's important to you because everything is now going to be just attacking you for this one thing and ratioing you for this one thing. And we don't have enough conversations yet about what that experience is for people. And we don't recognize that it does cause real stress, real mental health harm when people are experiencing that. So what the important, the point that's important to me is I'm not here to call you a brown shirt um you know like that's that's not what my concern is with with you um or or with anybody else but my concern is are you putting good out into the world or bad out into the world and if you're just attacking people uh and harassing them making them feel bad or ganging up on them in certain cases just because they don't share your view are you really helping anybody? And I think the answer is no. Okay. And I don't think that as a candidate, Bernie has done enough to recognize the loyalty that some of his supporters have and the way that they've engendered that loyalty into the way that they try to advocate uh, in an unhelpful way for their candidate. And that's just, it just really disappoints me because as we established at the beginning, we agree politically mm-hmm. uh, on most of the things where Bernie stands. And so what I just want to see happen is an engagement that is fruitful, that isn't just rage. Because if you're allowing yourself to be fed by the rage, you know, I think I, I commented on one of your Facebook posts, oh, this is like textbook toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. It's it's just saying, I'm entitled to be angry and so if you don't let me vent in the way I want to, I'm the victim. And that's just not true. You have a responsibility to think about how passionate you are about these issues, how passionate you are specifically about the nominee that you think best en- engenders them, and how you then choose to express that that passion. And if you're just venting rage and attacking people, I don't think you're doing that responsibly. And that's what I would like to just see uh, shift in, in this political Great. conversation as the primary moves forward. Great. Great. I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. And, and this I is, look forward is, to you to start modeling that on your profile with oh. the new post that you put up. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. However, let me just... Uh, the, the, the myth of the Bernie bro, it, to me, it's, first of all, Twitter is uh, a toxic. Oh, it's the worst. It's the it's worst. The worst. And but it's still an important place where you have to do advocacy. So it's it's, you know, I hear you saying like, yeah, Twitter is terrible, but a lot of us still have to use Twitter to do our important work in advocacy. So it's not enough to just say, uh, you know, just forget it. Right. It's important to remember, however, that the people who gravitate to Twitter is not the real world. We agree on that. Right. But most. Yes. I mean, I mean, it's <laughs> worlds are colliding, but sure. M- most people, most voters are not on Twitter. Most people don't have time to go into these ideological food fights the way I do and the way I should stop. And uh, it is fascinating 
I mean, there are brilliant people on Twitter, but it's designed to be kind of UFC-y. There's a, it's people, you know, jousting. It, it, it's swordsmanship. It's not good. It's toxic. It's much more toxic than Facebook. Facebook is not toxic the way Twitter is. And Twitter, so yeah, you're, you're going to most likely be harassed and see that harassment on Twitter, regardless of who you are for. So that's, that's the first thing. Um, my problem with the attacks against Bernie bros is when people talk about tone and civility, it reminds me of Joe Biden. I'm not accusing you of having a bankrupt ideology and standing for nothing. Obviously, we stand for the same things. But when you get people like Biden talking about how we just need to bring back civility and the tone, that means you're bereft of ideas. So, it, it, No, see, I disagree, because this goes back to what I was saying about the paradox of intolerance, which is we shouldn't, like, I rip my hair out every single time Biden says, oh, once Trump's gone, we'll be able to work with Republicans again. Like, no, pay attention to what they did during your administration. You're just totally out of your mind to think that that is going to happen. But that there's a difference between uh, leniency and civility. And I think that there is a way that you can be more civil without being more lenient. Okay. So I, I just I just want to disagree with the kind of conflation that's happening there, which is you don't have to compromise what you believe or the passion with what you believe it. You just have to be more responsible about how you convey that. Okay, I agree with you a hundred percent. But what triggers what, what what as a Bernie supporter, what triggers me when people uh, accuse us of having uh, a tendency to be uncivil and they don't like our tone it's that old trick where you have an idiot for a, an agent who just lost you a gig and because of his own incompetence and you say are you effing kidding me i don't like your tone i can't work with you i don't like your tone of what have you ever been ever deal with a divorce lawyer who com who, who just completely just you know, ruins your life, and you say something as anodyne as "Are you kidding me?" and they say, "I don't like your tone of voice." Oh, okay. So we're going to talk about my tone and my lack of civility, as opposed to how you just cost me X amount of money. Is that the game we're going to play here? And that's what I'm picking up when people say to me, "We don't like the tone of the Bernie supporters." I know that game. Because you can't talk to me about the issues. You can't, I see it in the debates. Nobody challenges Bernie. They wouldn't dare. So they attack his supporters, the tone. That's, that, that's one thing. The, the other thing I want to ask you about. Can I, can I respond to that real sure, quick? Sure, sure. I think there's an important distinction here again, which is the two little anecdotes you shared. You're responding in the moment 
two news. So I think there's one difference that is how you respond on one occasion versus how are you responding all of the time is, is an important one to make. And there's also, there's still the reality, like you're still going to have to work with your agent probably, or you're still going to have to work with your divorce attorney probably. Like there is a relationship there that you need to preserve and hopefully it's strong enough that they can tolerate your reaction. No, no, they use it as the reason they, in my, in those instances, the, I went through five divorce attorneys and I've been through many agents and, you know, when you call them politely, if you just say, are you kidding me? It's such an affront to their bubble that they can't work with you. I've been fired by divorce attorneys because they, they, because they knew I knew they were incompetent and, and, and they couldn't take it. So it's an old game. It's an old. Okay, you can only you can only fire the like voting population so many times. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's not like there's another three hundred some million people that you can rely on to help vote the way you want to. So again, it's just a metaphor that like I hear you justifying this kind of rage and this kind of experience, but it's not transferable to the case that you're trying to make. Last question. And by the way, okay. this, this has been fantastic. Thank you for this because. This is a conversation that needs to be had. It's almost like family therapy. We're both, you know, we're both Democrats. We both want the same thing. And as is always the case in family dynamics, it's about how we communicate with each other. It really is. I mean, it, it's, it's so reminiscent of family therapy. You know, we love each other. I just don't like how we communicate. And that's the criticism of Bernie. Nobody's disagreeing with Bernie on anything. It's it's how we communicate with each other. You're one of the biggest, loudest proponents of LGBTQ rights that I've met, if not not just who I've met, just in the world. You are a teacher when it comes to LGBTQ issues. Isn't there room in the movement for all types of people? There are the people like you, there are the people like David Geffen, who's working behind the scenes quietly, moving money around and punishing people who aren't our ally. And then there are people like Larry Kramer and ACT UP. Don't we need the Medea Benjamins, the Code Pinks? Don't we need a couple of people who are willing to throw themselves into the gears and stop the machinery? who are angry and loud, isn't that a sign that a movement is afoot? Uh, I don't, because it goes back to the importance of shifting. So the problem is the examples that even now you're making don't compare because you're citing people who take provocative positions on issues and make their critiques about issues and they are not just out there attacking people and so of course i'm going to defend act up and, and, and others like that that really pushed for the kind of change that we did this was on the change to oh, you're, you're breaking other up. people you're, 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 on breaking, hang on, you're breaking up you're, for some reason you're breaking up uh say that okay. again please so the problem that i have with your comparison is that these groups 
have a focus on policy. They're taking provocative positions, they're engaging in provocative actions, but their focus is still on what do they believe is the best way to move the issue forward. And they're not doing it by just attacking people on a human level. And so again, I want to see that Overton window move. I don't think that the way that the quote-unquote Bernie bros are trying to move it is effective. Okay. Glitter. I, I love the glitter bombs. And to me, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. And this, and thank you for this. This is just beyond, I can't, it's, you know, I want to put the health insurance companies out of business. I, I want them locked up. I think they're criminal. Uh, so if somebody were glitter bombing the CEO of Aetna, and humiliating him personally, attacking him personally, not physically, but just, you know, marching outside their homes. And, you ha- you know, I don't want to be the guy who glitter bombs uh, Lloyd Blankfein, the former head of Goldman Sachs. But I hope he gets glitter bombed. I hope he's speaking somewhere and somebody stands up and screams at him peacefully and, and is willing to get arrested. Uh there are Bernie supporters who are willing to do that. And, if we're, you know, the fight doesn't end after Election Day. It just begins. We've learned that with Trump. So maybe we need And again, target your enemies, not your would-be allies. That's still the distinction I'm going to keep hammering back is it's not enough to just say you're you're not towing my line and so you're the enemy. It's how do I move you in my direction and are you worth trying to move? And you need to be open to moving a whole lot more people than I think you currently are, my friend. Well, you know, it's the baptism scene from the Godfather. We're all part of the same thing, this thing of ours. But uh, when Carlo, Carlo's son is getting baptized, Stracci, Fabrizio, get rid of, got to start getting rid of uh, the other families who are getting in the way of our business. Or maybe we just need to get rid of all the mobs. Just maybe. (laughs) Zach Ford, fantastic. Thank you. I could have kept going, as you know. Zach Ford is on the right side of history, and people should follow him on Twitter. Zach Ford, that's simple. And he is press spokesman. For Alliance for Justice, where you should donate, go to afj.org and donate money. They do important work. This conversation was not a reflection of anything Alliance for Justice may or may not believe in. This was Zach Ford as a private citizen. Right? Doing a favor for my buddy, David Feldman, who I just adore so much. I love you, Zach. Stand the line for one second. Thank you for doing this. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Laura Quint on Twitter, a friend, said in a tweet tonight, supporting Bloomberg in the primary is an easy way to let people know that if Trump had just called himself a Democrat, 
you'd be wearing a MAGA hat right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is the voice of Professor Harvey J. K. His latest book is Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again. Now, we joke about Michael Bloomberg, Professor, but you've been on this show enough times. I know from listening to you that you believe Donald Trump is an existential threat to the soul of our nation. And most importantly, we just have to win. And the best way to win is to turn the Democratic Party over to Michael Bloomberg temporarily. I know you. Listen, we can all be bought. <laughs> <laughs> and and he'll just set us, you know, set the part because the problem is the party. And we just need to come together and let a billionaire buy his way into the Oval Office. And then things will be back to normal again. Right. Here's, yes. And I'll ask you, I have to say to you, and I, I could get in trouble for this. but I got to say this. There are people who are endorsing Michael Bloomberg, real Democrats, Democrats who not in a million years should be endorsing a guy with his record of racialism and sexism and 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 class, you know, exploitation. With call it what you might. Today in class, uh, one of my students. I asked one of my students. Anybody know how? Well, I asked them a group. Anybody know how much Donald, uh, Donald, um, Michael Bloomberg is actually worth? And somebody said sixty-one billion. Then somebody else said, "Well, it says here sixty-two billion." So I said, "Well, what time of the day was it that you said sixty-one, mm -hmm. and what time of the day was it you said sixty-two? Well, you know, there are, but there are Democrats, black and white Democrats, who are endorsing Michael Bloomberg. And I honestly, you know, I I, I have no proof, but all I can think is, what did that cost him? How much did it cost him to get that endorsement? Right? Take hold of our history." Make America radical again. Take hold of our history. People either forget history or they've never studied Michael Bloomberg's history. Yeah. You know, I live in New York City. I'm embarrassed to say that I and a lot of my friends who are Bernie supporters really didn't understand that stop and frisk created an apartheid state under Bloomberg. Yeah that mm -hmm. he was a Republican who supported George W. Bush and the war in Iraq. This is a really bad guy who used the media to paper over his atrocities. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, which is why I, and I'm trying to, in fact, there's a part of me that isn't quite sure that his campaign for the presidency is really based simply on his ego. I have this feeling there's this little thing that keeps gnawing at me that says this guy actually wants to devastate, wants to devastate the Democratic Party. And then, and then, and then he, he and Trump, you know, whether the one is media and the other is real estate, whatever it is, these billionaires or pseudo billionaires, perhaps in the case of Trump, who knows? Well, by now, given his corruption in the White House, is probably a billionaire. I mean, it's, it's the case that what is it? these guys just seem to want to run things. Mm -hmm. You know, they just, they just want to run things. And, you know, what else is he going to do? So it's, is he really believe that he's a savior of American democratic life? I mean, is it possible? I, I just, I, I, I can't fathom it, you know. And not to mention the fact everyone must think he's actually on the ballot in these camp, in these things. He's not going to be on the ballot till Super Tuesday, right? In so, a couple you know, of states. Yeah, I mean, geez, he's not on the ballot in Nevada. 
It wasn't on the ballot in New Hampshire. It wasn't on the ballot in Iowa. But I could sure as hell bet he's running massive campaign ads in all of these places. You wrote he, his candidacy is an insult to democracy. Yeah, that's right. Why? Well, for a start, I mean, democracy is, however corrupt our democracy seems to become these days, it is the case that when you've got a guy with $62 billion entering a campaign this late in the game and, and, and mouthing, mouthing the words that basically far more progressive candidates have been speaking to. And even, look, if you listen to his campaign ads on TV, and I, I avoid them as much as I can, but when I have heard them, he's saying the things that basically you could almost imagine Bernie Sanders saying, but in a much more truthful direct and and serious uh, struggling like way i mean he he says health care he says communities he says all the things that would lead you to believe this is a sweet nice guy but in some fashion he's cor he's corrupting democracy as much as uh, donald trump i mean you can't really imagine that that this is a guy who's going to that this is a guy who's going to pursue some kind of health care plan that all Americans can enjoy. And if he is, why doesn't he lay it out? Like, why doesn't he just embrace Medicare for all? I mean, it's an insult to democracy because it shows just how little he respects, first of all, the democratic process, okay, because he's not entering the campaign until until the hard-fought battles have been, have been you know, taken up. He's insulting democracy because democracy assumes a kind of trust and confidence in your fellow citizens, and his campaign ads are, are filled with falsifications, filled with, with, with exaggerations and misrepresentations. I mean, there's, there's, just, there's no respect for democracy. There's no desire to enhance democracy. So it's an insult to democracy. Yeah, Am I making you know, myself clear? Yeah, okay. yeah. I, you know, I don't mind having a, a guard dog who's vicious, and if you come on my property, he's going to bite you and kill you. But don't tell me he's cute and cuddly. So when oh, Thomas yeah. Friedman writes that Michael Bloomberg has a heart of gold, I don't I find that insulting to my intelligence. You can't be Michael Bloomberg and have a heart of gold. I'm not. Listen, you know, I'm moving. Well, uh, look, keep in mind. Let, let's keep in mind. This is Thomas Friedman you're citing, right? Right. I mean, this is this is the Thomas Friedman who basically wrote a book in which he told everyone it it, we live in, a, in an essentially Hobbesian world of all against all. What was it called? That uh, The earth is getting it, flat or something? Something to that extent. Flat earth, flat world. Yeah. I mean, flat brain, frankly. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it really is the case that, that, that Thomas Friedman, you know, he should have he, he stayed a reporter and given up on this column stuff because he sounds like a he's always been a mouthpiece for global capital. And it's mm -hmm. just it's outrageous. And, you know, so, God, look, the people we, I mean, I assume most of your listeners know, this is the stop and frisk mayor, okay? Right. This is the guy who, when asked about uh, the way he, 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 he um, what do they call it, sent police and, you know, um, uh, police forces into minority and, and, you know, persons of color neighborhoods and, and neighborhoods that, that were lower income, he said, well, that's where all the crime is. Right. Well, but of course, but of course, there may be others who said that. I don't think there were many prosecutions of the Wall Street gangsters, bangsters. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is a this is a guy who who has who has no respect for his fellow citizens, and, and and the proof of the no respect is he doesn't even lie about it. Well, yeah, that's where all the crime is, so we sent him in there.
stop and frisk, you know. In fact, did he not say, did I not hear the other night? I couldn't believe it. Let's see, it was, you know, poor people shouldn't have too much money because they might hurt themselves. Right. Is that his? Yeah, he was defending I mean, regressive taxes, like, on sodas. So yes, poor people right. wouldn't suffer from obesity and diabetes. Yeah, and and by the way, tell me, Tell me if he, if he doesn't sound like a, a sort of another version of Donald Trump. In the, I mean, he, he's not revealing any kind of great insights. He's revealing great antipathies and prejudices when he speaks like that. I mean, the prejudice was really indefensible, what he said about minorities, that he said all the guns and drugs are in the minority community, and when we yeah. empty their pockets, we find guns and drugs, when in fact fewer than 1% had guns. They, yeah. And they ruin right. the lives of these yeah. young kids who they stop and frisk. They, they're fingerprinted often and brought in. And yeah. you know, the... if, if you think about it, you know the, the Central Park of the Five, mm -hmm. those young black kids who Trump was, was so ready to electrocute, right? right? I mean, th it, Trump's may be a truly, truly brutal, vicious way of, of proceeding, in, in trying to, to cement racial antagonisms. But but Bloomberg is like, what is he? Maybe he is the soft and cuddly version of Trump, right? Is that what it is? Right, right. And the idea that you can promulgate the notion that Michael Bloomberg is going to destroy Donald Trump in a presidential debate, you should be brought up on charges of either journalistic malpractice or political consultancy malpractice. The idea yeah. that Michael Bloomberg could debate Donald Trump. Where do you where do you summon an idea like that? Right. And, or even refer to him in any fashion as electable. Right. One of my one of my one of my better informed students obviously heard about all the soda stuff in, uh, in, in, in his in his mayorship said to me, uh, oh, that, the, the big soda thing should really fly well here in Wisconsin. I mean, <laughs> this is, I, and so my only answer was, well, he didn't want to eliminate beer. You know, how's that? Right, for, uh, right, you know? right. Should there be room in the Democratic Party for a billionaire? Not just, a, forget candidate, supporter, voter. If you're a billionaire, there should not be room for you in this Well, wait a party. second. If you're Pete Buttigieg, you want this to be an all-inclusive party. <laughs> <laughs> this is an all-inclusive party, and maybe because he's doing his best to try to get a lot, a lot, a lot of money from billionaires to help him try to catch up to Bernie. We'll get to him in a second, because I Thank can't... You. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but, sorry. But, but, but look, is there a place for billionaires? Sure. Right? I mean, you're not going to say to them, you know, you can't be a Democrat. But, but why not? Why, let me ask you a question. I'm being serious because I, okay. people have been telling me to dial it back. That I'm. Well, how are you going to know if somebody's? A, how are you going to keep somebody from getting? How are you going to keep somebody from showing up to vote in a primary? How are you going to keep someone from? How can you block someone from running for office? All I know is that what have we become? That running as a billionaire without truly running a race is somehow legitimate and acceptable. Has are we really in the? in a world in which Donald Trump has turned everything upside down and inside out, or maybe we should go back to, to, to the Clintons, who were what? Selling nights in the Lincoln bedroom, whatever it was. I, right. mean, I mean, over and over again, we've seen for, for years now the, the, the corruption of American democratic life. Well, so am I being, am I out of control? I mean, 
imagine I'm out of me as I can a, tell you that. I'm sorry. Sorry. Sometimes I think I'm out of control. Imagine an old school uh, British labor leader, and yeah. I'm talking about uh, was it Wilson? Was he the British? Somebody well, he, was a, he was a prime minister. He was a labor leader, prime minister. There was yeah. also Paul Foot, uh, an old an old lefty who was um, Clement yeah. Attlee. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, an old school lefty, a labor yeah. leader, from the unions to the prime minister. Yeah. What happened to a to a party? Why can't we have a party that says, what are you worth? Oh, really? You're worth $200 million? Get the F out of here. You're not welcome. Go <laughs> no, be wait. a Republican. Yeah. Get the F out. But I'm for abortion. Good. Then make the Republicans for abortion. But you're not welcome here. Am I out of control saying that? Well, let me explain myself. I sympathize, indeed empathize, with your with your attitude. Okay, I mean, we, we don't want billionaires uh, corrupting the system. But then, you know, it's one of those things of where do you draw the line? What if you're half a billionaire, right? That's a di- you know, is that a different story? I mean, take it. Let me use a case of of my dear friend Norman Lear. Okay, very wealthy man, I assume, from all of the uh, sitcoms and all that. Would we really not, I'm not asking him to run for president, but we, would we not have wanted him to be deeply involved in, uh, in you know, talking about Democratic Party politics? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, he is management. He is management. You know, he's somebody, yep. uh, you know, he's mm-hmm. one of my heroes. Absolutely mm-hmm. one of my heroes. But he is management, and he's worth a lot of money. So the question is, yes, he's so for freedom of speech. He's for freedom yeah. of speech about the Declaration of Independence, but is he a Bernie supporter? Uh, that I can't tell you because I don't know. Okay. I, I so if guess, he's not a Bernie supporter. I would guess. that's a. Re- but by the way, I want you to know I think that's a wonderful question, and I do wish I knew the answer. Okay. And again, he's, you're, he's a friend of yours, and uh, he's one of my heroes, and he's, you know, uh, he's an inspiration to all of us. I think he's pushing a hundred, and the mind is as sharp yeah, as it's at. Right. He's ninety-seven right now. I think. Yeah, ninety-seven. And he's got deals with Netflix. God bless him. But yeah, right. he's but he is management. And what I would like is to go back to the fifties, where you had a party, the Democratic Party, that. Claim to be the party of the working man and yes, woman. That's right. And if you were management, you were suspicious of government. You wanted lower taxes, and you were Republican. You were, yeah, you bl- true, true. So basically, and the answer to your question is, we need, we need to do everything we can to strengthen working people and enable, and and literally, we need labor strong again. Once upon a time, they what they used to say: big government, big business, big labor. When is the last time you could have imagined anyone saying big labor? Never. I mean, back back in 1955, one of every three workers was in, a, you know, private sector workers was in a labor union. So, am I wrong? Okay, I'm wrong for saying get the f out of my party. Well, that's a moral judgment. It's a moral judgment. I can't. I mean, it's you know. It's, if you feel that way, more power to you. That's all. So, but if I were to say to the Obamas, "Get the oh, f yeah. out of my party," 
Go be a Republican. <laughs> oh, that would that would that that would make you a lot of friends. And, and if I said to, to Rahm Emanuel and, and 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 the Clintons and Chelsea Clinton and her thief <laughs> of a husband, her her congenitally criminal husband, Chelsea's Mizvinsky or whatever he is, I don't know who that guy is. Yeah, well, I mean, it would be a better country if they went to the other side and became Republicans. Because all we all we have to argue with right now well, you know, is Gomert and and it, McConnell. I'd rather debate the Clintons. Actually, you're not asking for much, considering considering Michael Bloomberg until very very recently was a Republican, right? Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton in the 1960s was a Goldwater girl, right? Right. Okay? I mean, we look at these people closely. And and all those talking heads on MSNBC, you know, were all you know they were all Republicans basically, and now all of a sudden they're all trying to you know trying to to hide themselves or or, or find a, a refuge in the Democratic Party, and as a consequence, making the Democratic Party all the more schizophrenic and crazy. Look, let, let's get really to the point, and the point is this: How dare the Democrats call themselves Democrats when? when they see as their primary, you know, sort of antagonist, the very guy who's going to redeem the, the greatest tradition of the Democratic Party, the FDR Democratic Party, and that's Bernie Sanders. Right, right. Well, I hate to belabor this, Professor, but sometimes, and, and it's, I know my listeners complain that I don't let go of something. I'm like a dog with a bone. And I, I apologize, <laughs> but I'm just, you've clarified something in my head, that yeah. if, Pete Buttigieg, who I know you love. And we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. <laughs> you know what? Can I tell you? Uh, if you? Somebody said to me, if you had to choose between Michael Bloomberg and Pete Buttigieg right now, who would you choose? <laughs> I told him I think I'd leave the presidential level blank. Yeah. But... Shouldn't Mayor Pete go be a Republican? What is that? What is, I, I, I'm, without being without the get the F out of my party. I'm not saying that. Wouldn't that make the Republican Party better if Mayor Pete was a Republican? In other words, instead of having a deal with the Louis Gohmerts and the Mitch uh-huh. McConnell's and the rest, yeah. that you had somebody like Mayor Pete and who is smart, but he's just not. A Democrat in the tradition of Franklin Roosevelt. He belongs to the platitudinous party. The platitudinous, yes. <laughs> the platitudinous party, yes. And by the way, Amy Klobuchar belongs in that same party, the platitudinous party. Yes, yes. Uh, can, I, can I report on something to take your 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 mouth, the bone away from your mouth? Yes, please. Somebody listen, I don't know how reliable this poll is, but... A former student of mine sent me the, uh, the latest data progress poll on Nevada. Did you see this poll? Well, go ahead. Okay. Sanders, 35%. The next one down, Warren, at 16%. He's practically 20 percentage points ahead. Below Warren is Buttigieg at 15, Biden at 14, Steyer at 10, Klobuchar at 9, and Gabbard at 2. I always forget she's there. Um, but that if, if this if this is at all accurate, this could be a, a, a wonderful Saturday. Although the rumor, the story has it, the Democrats are prepared to blow another caucus event as they did Iowa. 
in terms of screwing up the the vote count. Screwing up the process and the technology. On purpose? Maybe. Maybe. It seems to me that they're going to do everything they can not to have to send Sanders forward. And by the way, it's like they want to prove they're right. That is, they want to prove that Sanders would be another McGovern of 72, and therefore they're going to do everything they can to fuck up the Sanders campaign. They want to prove they're right, even at the price of having another term of Donald Trump. Because they, they won't be affected. It's not their kids in a cage. They have, That's right. They have their own health insurance. What do they care? And, and they don't send their kids to public university, I expect, so they're not right. hoping for any kind of you know, free public higher education. So, you know, I don't mean to jinx this. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, I'm upset by how good I feel uh, <laughs> when I read the polls. I think this is this. I'm a you know because I I swore off sports years ago. I remember watching Nolan Ryan pitching for the New York Mets, and and I he mm. and I thought I was a kid, and I said, mm. I'm, and he was a wild pitcher. He was Nolan Ryan was horrible for the Mets. I remember watching Channel Nine and thinking, what am I doing? Why am I investing so much emotion into into how the Mets are doing? And now I find myself emotionally invested in Bernie's numbers. Are you finding yourself emotionally invested? In okay, I, I am more than emotionally invested. Seriously, more than emotional. I have already come to believe that if Bernie Sanders does not get the nomination, that that I, I'm I may never vote again. I agree with you. I mean, because there is, look. If if Bloomberg gets the nomination, I might vote for Trump. Well, that I could never do and ever show up (laughs) inside of any of us. I could, no. (laughs) Who got the nomination, did you say? If if they give it to Bloomberg, (sighs) the Democrats deserve to just be thrown into the dust trash heap or the dust heap of history. Yeah, well, seriously, I mean, to get serious again, I know you're serious, but to get in, to tell you why I feel the way I do, I honestly believe we're at this really critical moment, this, 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 this moment where we go one way or the other in American history. Now, it's one thing, look, it's one thing if you've got a, a conservative Republican as president. Who, and, and our mutual friend, John Fugelsang, said to me, look, George W. Bush, far worse basically, than Donald Trump, given the numbers of people who were killed as a consequence of the invasion of Iraq. Okay? But it remains the case. It remains the case that we are now at this critical moment, this turning point. And that turning point is, if Donald Trump wins re-election, that means that all the forces of the right, the rich, and the rotten prevail. Mm -hmm. Okay? If we elect Bernie Sanders, we're giving America another chance. We're giving ourselves another chance to recover to recover a set of priorities that we all have already, that the overwhelming majority of us have already acknowledged matter more than anything else. The priorities that were established under Roosevelt and, and the age of the greatest generation. Okay? A decent life, a secure uh, 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 income and, and job, a chance for our kids to do things with themselves in terms of education and get, and advancing themselves, um, standing in the world not as a, as a, as simply some kind of imperial power, but actually 
you know, truly in some way uh, a nation that, that, that folks can turn to for refuge and asylum for mankind and enabling democratic forces around the world to, to, to thrive. I mean, this is that moment in American history. More than, I think, any moment I, I can imagine in my life, this is that moment. And the fact that the Democrats are so eager to block the redemption of the best, of the greatest generation experience, just, it horrifies me. Right. I, I agree with you. Uh, let me ask you if we're overreacting to Donald Trump. You know, the coronavirus, it turns out, we're overreacting to. I had a, a reporter on from Beijing who was saying, uh -huh. you know, if you compare uh, per capita the flu virus in America to the coronavirus. Right. 60,000 people a year die from uh yeah, it's far worse. Yeah. Than, but we, you know, we get these ideas in our head that this is the worst thing. Now this is the worst thing. You know, Al Qaeda is more dangerous than Etna. Really? I happen to think Etna <laughs> is more dangerous than Al Qaeda. We are we are not. Which are we talking about? Etna as in volcano or Etna as in uh, the insurance company? I would say <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> and and why are they naming themselves? After a volcano that destroyed <laughs> hundreds of thousands of lives. That, that, that's an interesting question. So, you know, Trump, yes, of course, horrible president. I, Look, I, I see Trump as, as I think, well, maybe I've, I haven't said it clearly enough, but I want to make clear. I, I see Trump as a consequence of, the, of, of the, the, the worst of America. And I don't mean the worst of in terms of, you know, sex, violence, drugs, and rock and roll. Those are, okay, I, I mean, what I'm saying is, that for 45 years, now I know I'm repeating myself from other occasions, 45 years, there's been serious class war on working people, and the consequences have been inequality, the loss of pension programs, the loss of homes, the loss of lives, over and over and over again. And, it's, and so it got to the point where working people couldn't trust, they obviously knew they couldn't trust the standard Republican, but they came to the point they couldn't trust the standard Democrat. Mm -hmm. And that, now, of course... A Republican is trying to become a Democrat. So you tell me how working people are going to respond to that one. Boy, the, why would anybody think that Bloomberg could be Trump? I mean, yeah, now that one I really that that I find uh, just, that I find incredible to believe. Like, how could anyone imagine that happening? Now you're a PhD, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. you would be called a doctor in some. I circles. am called a doctor. Thank you. Yes, you would be a doctor. Yeah. Are you stunned? Do you have anything that, that's ailing you? Tell me. Yes, Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> Although Telemundo gave these this, this interview, and only Pete could name the, the president of Mexico. Amy couldn't. Steyer couldn't. I, oh, honestly, I saw that. Hmm? I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. What about quizzing what these? They should have done. Wait, there's a problem here. I wanted. I would like them to have asked Amy Klobuchar, being being sympathetic to her. After all, she is in Minnesota, not Texas, mm -hmm. right? So I think they should have asked her. Can you name the Prime Minister of Canada? Well, that's easy. But you're right. But uh, are you stunned? By the level of stupidity or ignorance, ignorance yes. among the cognoscenti. Yes, I am. Because let's remind our listeners that in the, when she was asked about who the president of Mexico was, 
Obrador, what she said was something to the effect of, well, I just recently voted on that new, what, the MCA bill, whatever it's called, you know. Um, in other words, she was revealing her level of ignorance. She had literally voted on the, alter- on the, on the bullshit alternative to NAFTA mm-hmm. and still couldn't name the president of Mexico. Right? Shit. And then did you hear Steyer? Wait, did you hear Steyer's other part of the answer? No. His other part of the answer was, well, I go to Mexico every year. You know, like, I should know this. I, I go to Mexico every year. Where does he go in Mexico? Does he go to, Ca- what's it called, Cabo, San yeah. Luca, something yeah. like that? Yeah. 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 I don't yeah. think he's, I don't think he's in the, in, in the, in the, you know, in the brothels of, of Tijuana. No. 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 It, it's, it's willful ignorance. It's not caring. Because who cares about our isn't Mexico our biggest trading partner, is it, or is it Canada? One of the two. You would think a presidential candidate yeah. should know that. What's wrong with... You would think a U.S. senator should know that. Or an American citizen. I mean, any American citizen, for that matter, perhaps. But that, it, that, I, that I know if I ask my students, they'd probably not know, other than the ones who might be of Mexican background or heritage. Would, what's wrong with presidential debates that include gotcha questions? Ooh, quizzes. Who's the Who's the uh, prime minister of France? And you should uh, be able Macron. to get that. Are you testing me? Macron? No, 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 no. But they, <laughs> if you don't know that, wouldn't should that be more you? revealing than what you believe or your plan? Well, it might be in terms of everyday diplomacy. Yeah, you know. Um, you know, I was waiting for one of them to say, well, what difference does it make? I can look it up on Wikipedia. I was waiting for that kind of answer. Right, right. right. At least to give it a little levity, the reply. Well, second terms, the minute Donald Trump, this is traditionally, though all tradition is being thrown out with Trump, but normally the minute you're reelected, you're a lame duck and the animal spirits within your party come out of the woodwork and they want your job and they're coming for you and they will sabotage you and you get nothing done. Do you think it's conceivable that Trump... If he got elected, reelected, would be innocuous because of the tradition. No, I don't. Of- not at all. Not at all. I mean, not at all. Um, in fact, it, look. Let, let's let's imagine he actually realized he wanted to go down in history as a, as something else, and so he would make the his uh, State of the Union address of 2021 a speech on behalf to pursue national infrastructure refurbishment, right? Mm-hmm. And the Democrats will would they'd, they'd lap it up. They'd run to him and say, yes, let's do it. In fact, I could tell you I was surprised he didn't make the last two years national infrastructure um, uh, his major priority because he would have compelled the Democrats to, to give him everything he wanted, although lately uh, the the Democrats in the House and the Senate seem to be giving him everything he wants anyhow. I, I don't see Nancy Pelosi getting behind Donald Trump's iteration of infrastructure because that's just money in Thomas Barack's pocket. I mean, all his friends, uh, yeah. they, they yeah. would privatize the building of the bridge. Well, bridges are privatized. I mean, they're built by subcontractors and contractors. Right. It's not the That's, government that yeah. builds the bridges. Right. That was even back in the days of Roosevelt. The PWA, the Public Works Administration, didn't build things. It paid for the building of things. Right. The WPA did build things. It did? Mm-hmm. And what was the WPA? 
Okay, so the WPA was the Works Progress Administration, and they did build, you know, hospitals, uh, schools, uh, parks, uh, roadways. I mean, they, they they created so much of the uh, so much of the American um, civil architecture that we think of. And then on the grander scale was the PWA, the really huge projects. I see, I see. So, which, by the way, uh, which by the way, in contrast to the current administration, was headed by a man named Harold Ickes, who had been a Republican, a progressive Republican in Chicago, and as a white man, the head of the NAACP in Chicago. And Roosevelt brought him in the, into the administration, and he was there from day one to the day of Roosevelt's death. And it is the case they ran one of the cleanest presidencies ever in American history. Really? Yeah, yeah. Amazing, isn't it? Uh, right. Although Truman, didn't he come to prominence by investigating fraud in the defense industry? Yes, yeah. Yeah, as a senator during World War II, I forgot the name of the commission. I should know the name of the commission. But, yeah, he was known as uh, as, as really the, the, the chief investigator on a Senate committee of fraud in uh, military, you know, the war effort. Yeah. And there was fraud, right? People were... Yeah, but that's the fraud on the part of the corporations. Right, right. Not on the part of the government. Okay. In my limited time with you, let us finish with Bernie's coronation. If I were to talk to you next week, it looks like, and we've been wrong about everything, but let's say he wins Nevada, which is conceivable. By the numbers I just read, say, 35%. Yeah. Let's say he wins South Carolina. That would be remarkable and probably probably the death knell to the other candidates. That's it then, right? Then he's going to win. He's just going to run the tables on Super Tuesday, right? Yeah, Super Tuesday he should look good after. but, But especially if he could take Nevada and South Carolina, then... If the Democrats continue to go after him the way they seem to be going after him, then I know for a fact that they would rather see Donald Trump as president. I mean, the point is, as soon as possible, you and I have disagreed about this in the last few weeks. You felt it was important for him to have the challenge of all these Democrats against him. And I still think the sooner we can get those Democrats to see the handwriting on the wall and rally behind Bernie in favor of Medicare for all, we can work out the details later, the better off we are going to be. Well, okay, but yeah, no, I'm curious. I mean, this is we're we're coming up on a moment in American history where it is conceivable that by March fourth we will have a candidate who is clearly the nominee. It is conceivable, right? It, it is. Yes, it is conceivable, except. The only thing that, that stands in, in the way would be, say, Bloomberg continuing to run ads and making those ads all the more about Bernie and less and less about Trump. Okay. That would be the only thing. Because Not that Bloomberg could be. I, I'm not, I don't see Bloomberg winning the nomination you know, in any clean fashion, what, what I, because it's, it's just not going to happen. But it is the case that he could truly, he could truly ruin the Democratic candidate, Bernie Sanders, in trying to rally not only Democrats, but a larger, a, a larger uh, voter base. It, could, it really could be, it could be, it could hurt. Okay. And that's my fear. You've written, oh, 
you've almost built your career, not your career, but you've dedicated mu- much of your life to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yeah, and, last, the last uh, 10 years, I guess, yeah. Well, besides being a great man and, a great, you know, a great visionary, he was also a great politician. Yes. Is it conceivable that Bernie Sanders is cut from the same cloth as Franklin Delano Roosevelt? You know, his last victory speech, he opened by praising his competitors and promised to vote for whomever, I hope it's me, whoever yeah. gets the nomination. Does he have the political prowess of an FDR? Could he bring somebody like Bloomberg into the fold where Bloomberg says, you know, I'm going to vote for Bernie. Well, let's put it this way. I, I could guarantee you that if Michael Bloomberg talked to me, I'd persuade him <laughs> to into the fold. Okay? I mean, I, I think... I, I, I'm sorry, I'll be, I'm being silly. No, I, I think... Let me put it this way. Going back to the way Bernie handled that victory, I don't think people hear him. They refuse to hear him. In that this guy, Bernie Sanders, has more class than the billionaire running against him. Right. More basic class. And I don't mean class as in inequality. I mean class as in... I don't know where they come off thinking that Bernie is some, some kind of sort of bizarre Bernie bro himself. It's just It doesn't make any sense. I mean, all this stuff about Bernie bros is such bullshit. If you look on Twitter, if you look on Twitter, and you see the way in which people refer to Bernie, and there's utter, utter refusal to recognize the, the imperative of radically transforming America. He, it doesn't matter if they're a little harsher in, the, in their approach to so-called Bernie bros. The point is that they're closer to reality than these other folks who believe the likes of a Buttigieg or a Klobuchar or even a Warren could possibly transform America and keep us from, from repeating the mistake of Donald Trump in the future. Unbelievable. But answer my question, Professor, about Bernie's political prowess, because you're not but a is certain... He capable of bringing, is he capable of bringing uh, um, Bloomberg in? I, I think so, in one sense. Bloomberg has said that, he, unlike Hillary Clinton, I believe that whatever else he said, Bloomberg never ever spoke as harshly about his views of Bernie as Hillary, has he? Correct me, please. I, I'm eager to be I don't know, but I, I mean, I don't think... I, you know, people tell me I'm wrong. I don't think Bernie is that tough a sell to the billionaire class. I don't think he's that tough a sell to capitalism. The same well, way, I you did, know, did Roosevelt well, save I capitalism? Why, from, I don't understand why capitalists don't want Medicare for all. I, I don't get that. I've never understood Go that. on with all that. The way, Go on. Goes, well, ever since the late 1940s when Harry Truman proposed national health care, and, and the research that I did showed that clearly the, the greatest opposition came from southern businessmen and racists who did not want to integrate their hospitals, period. Okay, but I could never grasp why big capital, say, you know, at that time the automobile industry and others, weren't eager to hand over national health care to the government. Because wh- wh- why would they have wanted to be involved in cutting deals of, of high premiums that, or, or expenditures of money? You know, I, I don't get it. Now, I understand that, that, that if a company has health care for its workers, that it gives them a certain leverage over their workers. Mm-hmm. But, it's, 
But there are lots of ways you can have leverage over workers. Who the fuck cares if they do? The point is, you know, given all the wealth that they accumulate and given all the power that they wield, you would think, hell, I, why bother with this? Unless I'm underestimating the, the, the ways in which they all get together. You know, what was that place called? Something Grove? They all get together and the insurance people said, hey, fuck you. You want to create national health care? <laughs> or my dead body, you know? Right. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, I don't hang out in those circles, but... Can I tell you one last story before we go? Sure. So I have a, I have a very nice, I have a good friend here in the Green Bay area who voted for Trump. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a business guy, um, but not a big business guy, a, very, a small business guy. And he believes, this is the saying, he believes, I mean, I definitely have got him believing in the imperative of Medicare for all. Okay, you with me? Yeah. But there's a host of other things that, that, that just, can't see beyond, such as he thinks the wall was a good idea. Okay? Right. And things like that. Therefore, he'll vote for Trump. Now, this is something, in the course of the conversation, I had to explain to him why, even if taxes might go up, Americans will have more money in their pockets with national health care. You with me? Yep. And it, it strikes me that Bernie did answer the question, but I think he needs... I think he needs to make more of the fact that working people will have more money in their pockets with national health care than they will under the current system. In other words, I don't think people, I don't think they've it landed in people's heads yet, and I really think they really need to address that. So I, I want to leave that for everyone to think about. I, I, people do believe when explained about, when they hear Medicare for All explained, they generally will bend in that direction. That's why I don't say why capital is so hostile to it. Right. But it is the case that I don't think he's done enough to help explain it. Okay, so we should all take time and explain to people we know who have reservations about Medicare for All how it actually works. I just want to get that message out. And, and the last question is, assuming that after Super Tuesday, he is... The putative nominee. Do you see any chance of a brokered convention in Milwaukee? Do you see the Clintons and the Bloombergs coming out of the woodwork to destroy Bernie? I mean, well, you know, you know what? The, the, I would have said I no don't. I don't. I, I don't. The only thing that I can't, qu you know, the, the other day when Bloomberg let loose the rumor he was going to. Ask Hillary to be his running mate? Yeah. Yeah. It did dawn on me at that moment that if if Hillary stepped forward and said yes, everything is in trouble. We're, but she wouldn't. Trouble. She wouldn't. That would that that would kill two things, the Democratic Party and the women's movement. For yeah. her to take That's, second the reason, but the reason I would worry about it in one of her stranger doing so in a stranger moment is that Somebody, did we, I don't know if we talked about that at any point, but I, I asked some people why they think Klobuchar was able to come from behind all of a sudden. And a lot of them said there are women who are so angry still about Hillary's loss that Klobuchar became the substitute Hillary for them. I, I don't know. I, I think that's partly true. I think Elizabeth Warren is the substitute Hillary. But I think a lot of women, a lot of white women, most white women voted for Trump, correct? Yeah, right. I mean, yes, right. And not, a, not an overwhelming majority, but 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 more did than did not. I think 
I think Bernie, when people actually stop and think about Bernie, they fall in love with him because of his authenticity, because he's rough around. You know, you talk about class with that Brooklyn bro. Yeah. Well, indeed, this fellow I'm talking about, this friend of mine said to me, I know why Bernie, you know, basically said that Bernie would be the, the, the great, he didn't use the word threat, to, to Trump. Because in one respect, he hears Bernie not unlike he heard Trump. They speak, they speak bluntly and clearly. Mm-hmm. They don't mess around and they're not lying to you. I said, well, wait a minute. I mean, you're not lying to you? Then I told him, you don't think Trump's been lying to you? But the point was, what his point was that Bernie, he, he almost seems to trust Bernie more, even if he wouldn't necessarily vote for him. How's that for us? Yeah, you know? yeah, great. Well, right. Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again is a fun read, and everybody should go buy it. Professor Harvey J.K. And it's only $15. $15. You can't beat that. But for the for the price of uh, a cup of coffee uh, at uh, the Plaza Hotel. <laughs> right. That's for sure. <laughs> it's invention. And follow good Professor. Good to you, David. It's, great. it's always great. It's an honor to have you on. Harvey J.K. is the Twitter handle. Follow him on Twitter. And uh, it's an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. Can you stay on the line for one second, Professor? Of course. Thank of course. you. Thank you. Have you called in your backup becomes now? See if we can get some more brain power in this We thing. got one here. Roger. Fly it in, Co. Go ahead and call. Uh, he's, never mind. He's straightening up a little bit. Okay. Okay, now let's everybody keep cool. We got the limb still attached. The limb spacecraft's good. So if we need uh, to get back home, we got a limb to do a good portion of it with. Okay, let's make sure that we don't do anything that's going to blow our CSM electrical power with the batteries or that will cause us to lose the main or the uh, fuel cell number two. Okay, we want to keep the O2 and that kind of stuff working. We'd like to have RCS, but we got the command module system, so we're in good shape if we need to get home. Let's solve the problem, but let's not make it any worse by guessing. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Great David Feldman. I, I don't want you to be intimidated by me, okay? It's Yeah, I mean, it's hard. You can say that, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to be. You know, when your dreams come true, don't question it. We're rolling, by the way. Uh, my dreams did come true, and then they all... Came falling down. Well, let's talk about that. Pete Dominic joins us. He's a stand-up comic. He was the host of a daily three-hour live radio show for Sirius XM entitled Stand Up with Pete Dominic. He did this for 12 years on a network that he himself created. He actually created, I believe it was the Insight Channel. Is that correct? That's right. I created the the channel, David. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm a huge fan. I'm a little intimidated. Well, you know, you should be, yeah, uh, because I know somebody who has a Peabody. Well, you've written for all the greats. But I know you... somebody who has a Peabody Award. 
Well, I think you're talking about me because you can see it here on the because uh, uh, I'm in my home studio. You can see that Peabody right there up in the background that I I uh, see a Peabody and a pear body. And that would, the pear body would be no. You're in good shape. No, I'm uh, in, in the best shape of my life because uh, unemployment will do that or but the opposite. But you're not unemployed. You have a. No, I'm working. Uh, I'm working longer, harder days, David, than I ever have, and I'm 44. And you have a new podcast entitled. It's called Stand Up with Pete Dominic. It's uh, three days a week, so it's a lot of work. <clears throat> and it's just, you know, the same guests I had on XM, the same type of guests, and smart conversations with smart people about the issues that uh, that we're facing, all of us individually, collectively. You know, that's the pitch. And it's a classroom. You treat your show as a classroom. Yeah, where I ask the questions to the smartest people I can find, because that's always been my game my entire life since I was a little boy. Find smart people, ask them questions. What's find smarter than me and ask them how to do it yes. and and your, your your channel that you created was called insight yep you first did warm-up for john stewart in the daily show then the colbert report then you were hired by cnn and you actually pitched not a show you didn't pitch a show you pitched a a channel to series yeah, yeah. what were you and thinking well i I was always kind of, uh, you know, taking the initiative wherever I worked. When I was an intern at Disney World, I spent at doing fast food. I spent my off days knocking on television production companies' doors, just trying to network. And wherever, whenever you let me in a room, I would try to make friends with everybody. So I had good relationships with all the executives there, and I kind of knew they were getting rid of this one channel. And I had always had this idea of creating this like daily show for the radio, having worked at the Daily Show and the Colbert Report, you know, having comedians like you and I talking about public interest on the radio, that's what I was doing for my show, but why not have an entire channel, men, women, conservative, liberal, didn't matter, but thought you know, funny people talking about these issues. And they loved it. They bought it. The Insight Channel was green lit and uh, and we went for it. Kind Tw of twelve years. I was there 14 years. I got hired uh, on the comedy channels, and then I uh, turned that into a full-time gig uh, on year three and was full-time hosting my three-hour show for 12 years, five days a week, three hours a day. That is an amazing run. That's what I like to think. Yeah. No complaints. Be, you, um, you cannot be mad at the universe. No, and I can't even be mad at, at SiriusXM or, or anybody there because it, that's too easy you know, it would be it was an amazing run. It created a great lifestyle for me and a huge base, uh, an amazing network that I'm now using, you know, with my podcast. All these amazing people that are now in my life that were guests on the show and now friends. Right. And one of the things you deal with on your podcast is loss and yeah. you lost your network. You lost your channel. I lost my my job, my health insurance, my 401k, everything that was supporting my wife and my 12 and 15 year old daughters here in the suburbs. Yeah, I, I lost it, and it has been the greatest adversity of my life. And you know, I, I recognize my privilege, how good I've had it. If that's the worst thing I've dealt with, but for me, it's it's really hard. Luckily, I have a, an amazing woman that I'm with, and also my wife. No, my wife is fantastic. <laughs> I'm a, in a thruple, and uh, <laughs> no, my wife has been through uh, hell and back, and so she's been like holding my hand and peeling me off the ground, and, and she believes in me more than I believe in myself, and so it's it's a pretty it's a pretty great situation to be in. Okay. It, it all, when when, when did insight go away? 
Uh, I guess it finally went away at the beginning of November. They let me go about a month before they uh, ended the channel. And how did you take it? I took it initially, you know, in the room. Well, I saw the the writing on the wall uh, the last six months. They were kind of deteriorating the channel, not resourcing it or me. And so it wasn't a total surprise. But after about mm, two weeks later, uh, I was I, I started coming undone. And I've been talking about this openly on my podcast, as you mentioned, with a, a bunch of people, as well as on social media and other people's shows, because I think it's important. I was hiding it. I didn't want people to know that I was upset, including my wife. Uh, that I was scared, that I was concerned and worried about my financial future, that my identity and my ego were crushed. But once I started talking about it openly, not only was I helped by so many other people, especially men of a certain age, uh, but I was apparently helping others by giving them permission to talk about whatever setbacks they've had from financial inse- insecurity to you know divorce to health issues. Everybody has their shit. Everybody has a struggle, and I I didn't know it. I yeah. only knew mine, and I started talking about it, and everybody started sharing theirs, and it's really helpful. And, you know, men are, just don't do that. And, right. and so opening it up has allowed other men to open up, and now I just have to figure out how to monetize men. I want to be the male Oprah, Oprah mm-hmm. you know, like just talking to other men about what they're dealing with because we all have stuff for sure. Right. Or, or had stuff. Like a lot of people say, listen, I was where you were at and this is how I dealt with it or, you know, so, so it's really, it's really insightful and interesting and, and inspiring and other I words to think about and to have, you know, a network that you create a lot of just strangers, you know, people that listen to the show. And, uh, and so it's been, it's been great. It's been, it's been helpful. And also I'm in, I'm talking about being in the suck while I'm in it. It's not like right. I'm, you know, doing this TED talk, David, like after it's over, like I slept in my car for, for, for five years. And then, you know, I created this workshop and this five step process. And if you follow it, you could be a millionaire. No, it's like, no, I'm sleeping in my car. I mean, technically, you know, I own a home, a raised ranch with an above ground pool. I don't want to brag, uh, in the suburbs of New York, but I want to make sure I don't lose this home. Right. You know, right. So what were your politics a year from today and what are they now? In terms of understanding the plight of the 60% of Americans who can't come up with $1,000 for an emergency, what were you thinking a year ago in terms of politics? My my politics haven't changed because I think I've always been sensitive to the idea uh, that I could lose everything. And I've talked to so many people over the years who have lost everything financially, especially healthcare. I think the one thing that has really changed is I've only become more radicalized on wanting to change the healthcare, the health insurance system in this country because now I'm on the open market. And it's just it's it's impossibly unaffordable for anybody. You know, my my wife and I are both freelance people. Neither one of us has a job that provides health insurance and and you can talk about why not and and ask, you know, say I was irresponsible or something, but my wife and I are both hardworking, educated people. And now, you know, the, this health insurance situation is unaffordable. And so if anything, I've become more passionate on that issue, but I've always known, you know, that, that people struggle with that. And, and of course, just the idea of freelancing and, and, and trying to make a living, it's scary, but my politics have, have, have haven't really changed. I've always been 
a person who studied and worked a lot to to fight poverty and understand i think understand the you know what what the catalysts for our economic issues and our wealth equality are in this country but it's the healthcare issue that really is is the toughest thing for i think a lot of people to overcome and to understand i agree with you a hundred percent that it is it is medicare for all medicare for all medicare for all that to me you know maybe i'm missing something something but i don't understand how the so-called wealthiest country in the world cannot provide free health care not affordable health care not health insurance but free health care just like the rest of the industrialized world pretty much does certainly our neighbors to the north so am i missing something do you in terms of politics and do you think bernie can get elected on a wave of medicare for all do you think because i happen to think that if you look at de blasio mayor de blasio of new york city whether or not you like him or not and many people don't he ran on universal pre-k that was his signature issue and when he got elected andrew cuomo the governor of new york fought him but de blasio delivered universal pre-k am i right is that true I'm, I don't. I didn't pay attention to that. You know, New York City. In that case, it's true. In that when case, I left, and so in that case, it has to be true. Well, if I say but, it's true, it's true. But so, but, do you think that Bernie can get elected defending Medicare for all? Do you? Th- I, I happen to think he runs on one signature issue, and I think he gets a landslide. I. Think, I tend to think of these things not through what I want in my own lens and my own opinion, but the people who uh, who might not agree. And I tend to think about it in terms of how a policy or a candidate will be trashed and demagogued. And so the Medicare for all is is not something even I think I, I worry about progressives who have private health insurance. You've heard some of these organized labor unions don't want their Healthcare to be messed with, and there is this idea that it has to be this one-for-one trade-off. It's a very difficult issue for people to understand. People only understand their own healthcare situation, their own health insurance industry, and even then, they don't because most people are actually healthy and don't access their health insurance, and it goes through their employer, and they don't really see a lot of that transaction. But for the vast majority of you know the rest of us, you know, we do understand the situation. And, and the crisis that is, you know, unaffordable health insurance, much less health care. I just worry about how it's going to be demagogued and demonized and the advertisements about it and what it's, you know, what how, how that's going to be internalized by voters. I, I do think Bernie Sanders has a very good chance of winning. I do think the health care issue is a huge part of it. I think uh, climate change is also an increasingly a huge part of it for voters. But there are a lot of people that are worried about Bernie Sanders, and a lot of them are Democrats and and, and progressives. And so, uh, you know, but but then the other part of me says, and I'm doing a whole episode about this this week on my podcast, talking to all these experts on all sides of it, that he's going to energize people that have never been to the polls or haven't in a long time. And so, you know, young people especially. So I think he has a really good chance of beating Trump. I really do. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's going to be close, though. I don't think it's going to be any kind of major. I don't know. I don't know. I got it wrong last time. We all got it wrong last time, especially America. 
I just find something interesting about people like you, who I have tremendous respect for, well, well-educated, well-meaning. Le- I, I, I don't know if you're a leftist, but you're left of center. Pretty far to the left is pretty. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a leftist. It could be said the, a real one. Yeah, uh, I, uh, uh, a Hannity when he calls you know people at CNN a leftist who are like corporate, you know, right. uh, whatever. Yeah. Are you a hand-wringing leftist? This is what I find so despicable about our side. And we're talking about this all day on the show, my contempt for my own family of Democrats. I hear from a lot of well-meaning, well-educated, liberal, left-of-center Democrats who say, I just, I want it, but I just don't think, I just, just that kind of BS. Where instead of worrying about how you're going to sell it and how people are going to perceive it and caring about what other people think, why not care about what you think and what you believe and fight for it? There's too much of this in the Democratic Party where people say, I just don't think we can sell this. We can't get the majority in the Senate. I see it very simply. I see... Bernie gets the nomination. And again, I've been wrong about everything. Bernie gets the nomination and he ushers in, you know, maybe a Roosevelt landslide reminiscent of 33. We don't get a filibuster proof Senate, but we get maybe we win five seats and get a simple majority. And there's such a groundswell. They rewrite the Senate rules and get rid of the filibuster. So this mythical 60 votes that you need in the Senate to pass anything is just thrown into the dust heap of of history because God knows McConnell would do the same thing. And now you just start passing the agenda. You got a you got a Democratic Congress, you got a slim majority in the Senate, and you got Bernie Sanders and you pass Medicare for all and you pass the new Green Deal and infrastructure bills. Yeah, they'll tie it up in the courts. So you start packing the courts and you fight as rough as you fight rougher than the Republicans do. It's hard to see Democrats and progressives fighting rougher than the Republicans do, because when they fight rough, they just cheat and lie in a way that Democrats have a much harder time doing, even if they wanted to. But you're making excuses. You're making excuses. Yes, I am making excuses because I've 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 lost so much faith in, in, in the years over, you know, and with, uh, a lot of progressive Democrats. Uh, and I, and I worry now that this kind of these purity tests that people are demanding without being able to compromise are a huge issue during the campaign that we're going to tear our own party and our own ideology apart, which is the vast majority of Americans, by the way, are, you know, liberal leaning. And, and so I worry about that uh, a lot. And, but, but I also think that even if they don't get that filibuster-proof majority or, you know, get rid of the filibuster, as you suggested. I'm not sure how likely that is. The, Why isn't the, it likely? Um, well, I, I think that they might not even have enough Democrats uh, for Medicare for all. I think that could be really – I mean, when you think about the fight within the Democratic Party, which I covered the entire, the entire time, uh, over Obamacare, over the, the kind of, you know, which is really – was big reforms, but you couldn't get a number of Democrats 
uh, on board for what he wanted, the most robust parts of it, the public option and so on. And so I worry that Democrats, especially in certain states or with certain constituencies in other states, even they might not be a sure vote on Medicare for all. That being said, it doesn't mean it's, you know, that you should vote against Bernie Sanders or that he shouldn't try. But as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talked about, even if we had a compromise and we got a strong public option, that would still be huge. Okay. You engage in these conversations all the time. You're on CNN. The the whirring that you do, it, it's a device that undercuts our cause because <laughs> it's not the conversation that that progressives should be having, whether or not something is doable. It right. should be about why we should do it. I you know, why are we negotiating with ourselves? The primary, we're, you know, we're in round one of the primaries, and every Democrat I talk to who's not on board with Bernie is hand-wringing and saying things like, I just, I, you know, I want it, but I just don't see it happening. Don't you think that undercuts? Don't you think that hurts the cause when you say, I don't think the votes are there? I mean, imagine listening to this same conversation in 1964 when we were discussing the Civil Rights Act. If somebody were to say, yeah, I think, you know, African-Americans should be allowed to vote the same way white people should. I just don't see the, you know, the Southern, it's going to kill the Democratic Party. The Southerners are going to go to the Republican Party. Is that really what you, you really want Nixon to get elected four years later? I mean, this is identical to that conversation, that kind of hand-wringing that I hear. Is it's I, I just I just I just uh, represented the hand wringing that you were talking about, right? Like I just played it out perfectly. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, and it seems to yeah. it seems to take up a lot of oxygen on cable TV, mm. and I just wonder why that is the answer. When when I bring up Medicare for all, so many Democrats go to, I want it, but I don't think we have the votes in the Democratic Party, to, and as opposed to. Ex- fighting for it well i'll fight for it i will definitely fight for it but you're if you're if what you're saying is that being skeptical and, and having a nuanced opinion about its possibilities is is damaging it's it's actual the reality of these policies and these people getting elected i'm open to that criticism well, are you open to my concluding that you're a racist yes okay thank you i prove my point <laughs> well, no, well, it's I mean, just it's, I wasn't ready for that, but yes. <laughs> and, but but just to be clear, my racism isn't typical. It's and, and it's against um, White certain people. minorities that you would never even expect, mainly the rich. Yes, I, uh, they're so, not a race. Yeah, yeah, that's not. Well, fair. they are. I, they won the race. Uh, I just I, yeah. I'm getting. Uh, that's why I wanted to ask you about. We're talking about my rage and anger today, and being a Bernie bro. Th- this conversation that I keep having, the-, the skepticism on our side, and you know, you talk about your show being a classroom. You know, my show's a classroom, and uh, one of the first guests I had on my show was Tom Hayden. He said to me, because I was back then, this was like 10 years ago, and I was doing the, you know, <clears throat> I was a concern troll. You know, I want all the things you want, but how do we get there? It's, you know, and Tom Hayden said to me, 
he said, you know, uh, when you're not an adult, when you talk that way, when you show concern and yeah. don't think things are possible, but want them, but you just doubt that it's possible, that's exactly what the power structure wants you to say. They don't need you to be against progress. They just need you to be skeptical. I went, wow. So that skepticism that I hear, I'm not singling you out. It's just I have a problem. Well, you can't single me out. You can make an example of me because it's 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 good. It's a healthy conversation. And if you're going to reference Tom Hayden, I mean, the guy. Why are is, you an anti-Semite? What is what is my being <laughs> Jewish? Why? What does? What, I, I'm talking politics. What what is? Yeah, I mean, I think you make a really good point uh, about. In, ter- in, ter- in terms of the possibility, you know, I, I just have always not want – I don't want the perfect to be the enemy of the good. And I guess having lived through and covered the eight years that President Obama was in office and the dirtiness and the, the tactics that the other side used, it was so hard to make even little gains because of the way that they would uh, demagogue every single idea and and choice and word and have it work. That I guess maybe I'm just beaten down yeah. as a member of the media, having seen the power of, frankly, of media, because I blame it all on the, the conservative right-wing media, not to mention the kind of middle-of-the-road corporate media at times with the false equivalencies that they've been portraying for years. And so I, I, I look at it from that standpoint often, and I, and I, it not as opposed to from the standpoint of an activist or an, an American citizen who wants to see the change that I want to be, and for my daughters, I mean, right. I, I, I'm all for this I this kind of thinking, but it's hard for me. I think it's hard for me because I was inside of it for so great. long. This yeah. is great. This is great. This is because to me, the fight is not with Trump. The fight with, is within our own family. It really is. And I'm not yeah. fighting with you. But no, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I'm seeing it play out. Yeah. No, I think it's important that we continue to have this conversation without by the way, letting it become personal. And, you know, you, you for one, you're not a good person, yet Thank you. you have been really decent with me the entire time. During this interview? Yeah, which you, I think is hard for you. Yeah, you can't see me making the jerking off motion every time you see <laughs> Actually, I'm not making the motion, I'm actually doing it, but that's... You're uh, actually masturbating? Yes, that's how I get You're through. screwing a couch. Yes. Which is... You, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean... The, the the quarrel I have with my family, my Democrats, is, and I was there about 10 years ago. Mm. I'm smart. I understand what's possible and what's not possible. You don't know, kid. I, like what you said, I lived through the, the Obama administration. I know what we're up against. You know, these pie-in-the-sky dreams, yeah, that's wonderful, but this is the real world, kiddo, and this is how it works. And I hear that a lot from people I really respect in my family, in in the Democratic Party. I'm going to start calling it my family so it, it doesn't reveal how much hatred I have for so many people in the Democratic Party. But it's this faux expertise uh, when you're really a victim of your own expect, uh, expertise, the Amy what Klobuchar. Is the, what, what, is, what are your triggers, David? Like, what are the comments, the arguments that really get you fired up? Because I want to make them, but I don't know what they are, so you okay. tell me. 
Well, I think you, I think you're, I you're being, you're being successful. You're having a Peabody, still married, uh, having, you know, having a relationship with your children. Yeah. Uh, your success has pretty much triggered me. Your youth, you're in shape. <laughs> I'm, I'm able to look at you and you have a clean home studio. You've triggered me enough, buddy. Yeah. Just my entire essence has, uh-huh. has been. Okay, well then, uh, my work here is done. But I, I'm, I mean, the arguments that you hear from the family, what yeah. are the worst ones? And why are they, why aren't, you know, the nuanced, skeptical, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good type of things? That, what is, that is a trigger. That is an absolute trigger. Ahead, why? Like, is there one specific? Or did I already make it? That well, no, I think that nuance and don't, what is it? Don't let the, Perfect, be the, Perfect enemy. be the enemy of the good. Like, yeah, that. If is... we can't have single payer, then we don't want anything. No, no, you're saving millions of lives with the Medicaid expansion, with the exchanges. You're 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 saving people from bankruptcy. It is not perfect, but don't don't vote against it just because it's not perfect. I would say that if all hope is lost, and the best you can get is improving upon Obamacare. I agree mm-hmm. with you. But we never even got to vote on the public option. The public option has been brought to us as like the gold standard, like as though it's as good as Medicare for all. Well, it, to me, in 2010, we saw how bankrupt the Democratic Party truly is. They wouldn't even right. bring up the public option. That's right. It was uh, Joe Lieberman and Max Baucus and Tom Daschle, a handful of Democratic senators. Who are now uh, lobbyists for health insurance companies. Well, certainly Lieberman was the, the real villain in all of it, unfortunately. He's it, from the insurance state of Connecticut. Right. And Obamacare was a love letter to health insurance companies. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Well, if you bought stock in Aetna in 2010... I mean... Technically, it was a boon for them. Well, I look just at the stock of look at the stock. No of doubt them. about it. No doubt about it that it gave the health. And it, it is true what you said. And I just interviewed Wendell Potter, the insurance industry whistleblower, on my podcast, Stand Up Pete Dominic David. And you are right about that. But it did give the private health insurance industry a whole, millions of new customers. But it also did create regulations on them that they didn't have before. It did regulate the insurance industry. It did expand Medicaid. It did create the exchanges and so on and so forth. So that's why it still deserves to be celebrated that we have it. But yeah, we, we didn't, we didn't put the private health insurance industry out of business. And by the way, if we did, and if we do, the hard thing about that is there's millions of American families that work in and depend on their jobs in the evil. And I mean it, health insurance industry. So what do we do with them? Well, first on, I mean this, F them. That's the first thing. F the people who work for health insurance companies. F anybody who works for Homeland Security. F anybody who works for ICE. F anybody who works in for-profit prisons. You hate your life. Hang on for one second. You hate your life. If you work for a health insurance company... You don't want to be doing that for a living. You don't, you don't want to work in a slaughterhouse. You don't want to be cutting the heads off chickens. And you certainly don't want to be denying 
a, a, a six-month-old baby chemotherapy. You don't want to do that. So if you do, go F yourself. Really, go F yourself. And if you don't, read Bernie's plan because the Medicare for All plan that Pramila Jayapal has introduced, that Bernie wrote the damn bill, it provides for transitioning people in the evil health insurance industry out into actual jobs that contribute to society. There's money set aside for training them and subsidizing them so that they can go out and do something good for the world instead of killing roughly 60,000 Americans every year. So or bankrupting them or bankrupting them. So to me, there are certain issues that are political and there are certain issues that are moral. And if there's an industry that's killing 60,000 Americans every year and bankrupting them, they, you know, the health insurance companies kill more Americans than ISIS and Al Qaeda combined. If you're more afraid of a terrorist attack than a heart attack, you've been duped. Well, somebody has out Twittered me. That's so an you, old one. Is you that what? You, yeah, that was pretty good. But so I, you agree with me, right? I do agree with you. I do agree. I think it's a little harsh to say F them because these are individuals with families that have jobs in it. But I, but at the Who same cares? Time, Why do you care about them? Seriously. I, because, because I think that people are, are, are complex and, and you're a product of the choices that you make in your career and in your life. You end up in the coal industry or the gun industry or the weapons industry or the, you know, any industry that puts profit over people. Yeah, that sucks. And I hear you. But what about those four prosecutors who quit the Justice Department after Barr intervened in the Stone sentencing? Well, they probably uh, have. Who knows? I don't know what their financial situation is, but I think that 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 took a lot of integrity. And I applaud that. Why should it be? Why should it take integrity? Am I being rough with you? No, you're not. Please. You couldn't be. Uh, listen, I've been on real time with Bill Maher. So, <laughs> listen, I was on the Joe Rogan show. I, 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 I just think that it's important to recognize that these are real people with real lives and that, you know, often we don't, we don't all have a, a dream to, that we follow and that we end up. We don't all have, we aren't all born with and instilled with tremendous integrity of, of character and of mission. And so, you know, not, not everybody, is the same that way with those kinds of choices. They, they have, they've been convinced that they're doing great work. So in, shut in their business cases. down. I hear you. I'm, I think it's, I think it's, a, I think it's a necessity. I mean, it certainly is. There's no argument with it when it comes to the fossil fuel industry. Right. I, I don't understand the sympathy for people who work for health insurance companies. Why can't we moralize? Why can't, why do we have room for nuance? If you if you get paid sixty thousand dollars a year and once a week you deny chemotherapy to a six month old baby, why is there room for nuance on that? There isn't when you put it that way. I, I agree with it. I'm not sure that they necessarily would see it that way. I certainly don't think the administrative assistant working at Aetna necessarily sees it that way. But that is the model. I mean, that is the private so, or profit health insurance model is to deny claims and to make it uh, only cover people who are healthy. That's and, how you make money. And so we destroy, we have to destroy the model. And we if, do have to destroy the model. And, 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 but we have to make sure, I think, that we take care of 
those families and those people working, especially at the lower levels in these health insurance companies, much less in the coal industry or any of the other industries that we need to destroy or reform in this country. Right. Do you think there's room uh, for irresponsible people like me on the left, people who say things like, if you work for a health insurance company, go F yourself? I mean, why? What, what, what happened to people like me, the, the, the great moralizers, the hypocrites who, you know, in their private life, they, you know, end up, you find out they're guys like me are in men's rooms at the Port Authority handing out Bibles to, to runaways and stuff. You well, know. that's just, you know, trying to make ends meet, you know, uh, but I, I don't know that you're all, I, yes, I think that voices and opinions like yours are important on the left. My brother who raised me basically in politics is is probably a lot more extreme than you could imagine being on the on left. The, oh yeah. Don't we need oh, yeah. people? Don't we need people? Yes. Who, yes. Tell me about your brother. We need people well, like your brother. Yeah, I mean, the idea my my brother is somebody who doesn't care about America. He cares about humanity. So if human beings are suffering as a result of American policies, then he cares about them anywhere in the world just as much as he cares about Americans. You know, the the, the same thing with animals. You know, he's a very moral, morally centered and focused person. And I don't really I don't have a moral argument against him or against you. What I feel like my argument is, is I agree with you morally, but I also feel like in reality, there are people in this world, forget about progressives that disagree vehemently. There are way too many people in this world that don't believe in science or believe some crazy religious things or are super racist. And and while I want to say fuck them and write them off, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that is, is how anything can ever work. I just don't, I don't see it that way. I don't agree with my wife on everything, much less on the things that matter the most. So it, it, it's it's hard for me to make that argument, even though morally I agree. Yeah. Once a week you go to church and you're supposed to hear fire and brimstone. You're supposed to hear the preacher warn that you're going to burn in hell. And once a week, that's good. It's good to hear somebody moralizing and telling you you're a sinner. I'm sorry. Wait a no, I like the I like the road you're going down. That that people need to hear somebody pounding the Bible and and beating them up and telling them they're sinners and they're horrible people and you're going to burn in hell unless you get on the straight and narrow. And we've you know religion has insinuated itself into our polit- our politics but not in the right way. You know, I I want to see uh, moralizing and, and, you know, hell and damnation from, from our religious leaders who are speaking out on morality, not politics. And right. one of the reasons the Republicans do so well is Rush Limbaugh does fire and brimstone. Sean right. Hannity does fire and brimstone. They are the great moralizers. They don't see nuance and they rally the the right wing troops, and when somebody comes along on the left who moralizes and speaks in absolutes, as somebody should, as somebody should, to remind the Democrats that there's a right and a wrong, unions good, management bad, fossil fuel bad, wind good, no gray areas. These Harvard 
hyper-educated technocrats who are paid to see nuance start talking about gray areas. I'm When you talk about what triggers me, I'm so sick of our side not saying things in terms of black and white. Something's either wrong or it's right. And we need to start moralizing. Aren't you tempted to go that route? I'm not. I'm not. But I'm glad that others are and I and I'm here for it in many ways, especially on you know the the, the most serious issues like climate, sexism, racism, and, and poverty, you know, wealth inequality, campaign finance, and so on. But but I'm just not. I'm I'm about progress and winning, and and I think that sometimes you know we take three steps forward and and, and two back. But I think that media is the most important role or industry in all of this. And I worry that if we talk too much in black and white, that we alienate those who might come over and join the party. Right. What about uh, just being pure? Do you think maybe people will join us if we're pure in our convictions? Not necessarily. I think people are really complex, and I think people are born into a certain culture or religion or income strata and their entire life is informed by that. And so often my job is to try to find them and meet them where they are at and, and try to bring them the light where they're vulnerable. Okay. So you talk about your struggle. You just shit right all, you just shit all over that with your okay. That was amazing. You had no patience for that. Well, no, because you were alpha dogging me, and I was oh, intimidated. Oh, oh, I didn't see. I, I got it wrong then. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very insecure. Really? Tell <laughs> yeah. that. Tell that to this interview. <laughs> so you talk, you talk about your your personal struggles. Yeah. I've had similar personal struggles. Uh, really? Sure. But financial, sure, sure, relationships, health, sure. But unlike you, my marriage didn't survive. Mm. And uh, when you tell me, when you say my wife, that really is a trigger with me. I'm so sorry. What happened? Would you talk about it? No, I won't talk about it because uh, I've been, I've been, I've spent enough time in court with. Well, I, my wife said after I lost my job about two months in when I was a wreck, she said. That you don't, she said, Pete, you don't realize this yet, but I'm going to tell you that you losing your job saved our marriage. How about that? Makes no sense, right? I don't Financi- know. Can, uh, I, can I get in on this? Huh? Can I get in on this marriage? Yeah, come on up. All right. That sounds like the kind of woman. Because um, does it make any sense to you? Because I can explain how it worked, but it, it, most people will be surprised by that idea. Well, go ahead. My marriage was 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 not great by her and her point of view because I didn't value what she had to offer enough, and what she had to offer was how to deal with struggle in life. And because I hadn't struggled that much in my life. I didn't have the coping mechanisms. I didn't have the ability to do it. And then she offered me all of that advice, all those coping mechanisms and all of that support. I recognize it. I was smart enough to recognize it, David. I appreciated it. 
I respected it, and I showed her how much I valued all of that advice, that she felt seen and heard in a way that she never had, and boom, we were close, closer than ever. Right, and the subtext of that is to make me feel like crap because now I realize my marriage failed because I wasn't as woke as Pete Dominic. I see what you're doing. It's possible, uh, but then you still have a lot of time left. And if I get a really, if my podcast does well and my career takes back off, my ego will be back. She'll leave me, and then you can have her. Thank you. Done. <laughs> uh, how much of uh, how much of your struggle stems from the system you're forced to live in? That's uh, everything. Yeah, it's a great question. Took me a while to figure that out, but it's really, really the question that everybody, I think most people probably never get to that question. So why don't you explain what you meant by that? Well, my son, one of my sons is a Marxist and he said to me, had you been a Marxist when you started working, you would have been very successful in show business because you would have understood that it's just about money. It's just about money. It's just about the bottom line. And that they use these controls. They use emotion. They'll say family. You're part of the family here on this show. When it was just a control device to get you to take less money. Because you're family. And we don't talk about money here in the family. So he said, if you just understood it as money, you would have been much more successful. And... So a lot of this, a lot of the lies that I was brought up with, just because it was control that my parents believed, I, I think the system creates this, this false uh, rabbit that we chase. You know, the greyhounds chase a, a, a rabbit that doesn't really exist. And I think we chase things that are a lie, and that lie controls us and creates a lot of unhappiness. I think we're sold to build on what you're saying, if this is what you're saying. We are sold a dream, and if we buy these items, if we go to these places, if we have and own these things that add to our status, then we will be happy. If only then will we be happy when we live here and have this car and go to this school and achieve this level of, quote, success, and you're the CEO of the company. That's when you'll be happy. And the same goes for our marriages, and the same goes for the expectations that we have for our kids. It's a false promise because you, when you achieve those things, you actually aren't happy. You just keep there's a hole. That you mm -hmm. never fill, and it's your ego, and it's society, and it's keeping up with the Jones, and it's capitalism, and it's commercialism, and in in reality, it, there's a whole other way for us to live the human experiment and be actually happy and content and healthy, both mentally and physically. But that's not what we're sold from the very beginning. Is that is that where you're at? Is that what yeah. you're talking about? Yeah. And if people, if we're putting people in cages. Are we entitled to be happy? Are we entitled to find love? It's a great question. If we invade a foreign country, if we nationalize, if, if you know, if we allow uh, fossil fuels 
much less water in the future to be privatized. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that we do that are horrific and that are destroying the vast majority of our communities and our country and our planet. And uh, if, if, if we participate in those systems and in those practices, then of course, uh, we deserve what we are going to get, but I think most people are ignorant to it. Okay. Last question. Pathetic about it. This was great. You'll come back. This was a lot of fun. No. This was fun, right? Mm-mm. Oh. No. Hmm. Okay. I can't tell if that's is that sar- that's sarcasm, right? No, I'm I'm uh, really upset. Okay. This has been a terrible experience for me. That's sarcasm. You're joking around, right? <laughs> that laugh is sarcasm. That was a real Jay Thomas moment. I just gave. <laughs> the, the great. Did you know him? I, I, yes, really, really well. I think that your voice is so calming that even if it wouldn't even matter what we're talking about. Okay, last question, my friend. I mean that. I love your voice. Well, thank you, my friend. And I'm saying this not as a bonding thing, but as the son of an owner of a Greek diner. (laughs) My friend. My friend. (laughs) My friend. My friend. Uh... Okay, so before we start, I I wanted to know if you were voting for Bernie. You said you prefer Elizabeth Warren right now, but you would vote for Bernie, correct? Oh, for sure, yeah. Okay, here's my... I I love Bernie. I've interviewed him a number of times. I like him a lot. He's a bit of a curmudgeon. He doesn't have the greatest sense of humor. I I actually disagree. I think he's very funny. Well, he doesn't... He speaks the truth. He's like got like that Rickles sense of humor where he just states the truth and it's funny. Well, I wish he had the Rickles sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. You're on the fence with Bernie, right? I'm not on the fence. Well, really. let's say election day and you live in New York. I worry about what the right wing media and the Trump machine will do to him. OK, but l- l- let me just pose this question. You live yep. in New York, correct? Yep. You live on 1414 Mockingbird Lane. That's accurate. In Rosedale, New York. Is that correct? That's right. All of that is right. That's my exact 14, address. 1414. Uh, Mockingbird Lane in Rosedale, New York, and your five-year-old daughter waits for the school bus at 7 a.m. on the corner yep. of Wood Road and Johnson yeah, and Avenue. Yeah, you find your friend's app identity uh, if you want to find exactly where she is within four feet, if you want. Okay, so let's say... <laughs> and, and you can, and you can uh, kidnap her. Uh-huh, her name is... That's what we're really... Yeah, you can have her. Her, her, her real name is Susan Domenici. That's her real last name. And her birthday. Well, the is- truth is, uh, this generation of parents is helicopter parents. They're so terrified for their kids. Like, I'm the anti that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Take my kid. Come, come to my house. Come over. Yeah, if you can handle them, good luck. Yeah, they'll be fine. Uh, yeah. So. Here's my question. Let's say the New York primary was next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And you're on the fence between Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, and you're beginning to see the light with Bernie. And I say to you, you effing moron, you stupid, narcissistic twat. How dare you not see that Bernie has all the answers? You're a fraud voting for Elizabeth Warren. You might as well vote for Trump. And I'm telling you right now, if Bernie doesn't get the nomination, I'm voting for Trump because anybody who's not for Bernie is going to rot in hell. Is that going to influence whether or not you vote for Bernie? No. Right. Right. 
No, I don't care what uh, I'm. I'm terrified of Donald Trump. Right. I mean, but the point, this idea of the this mythical Bernie bro who's pushing people away. It's about something else. Right. People, when they say they don't like the Bernie bros, they're they don't like Bernie. Right. Um, I I think there's some truth to that. I think I think I think the Bernie bro thing is overplayed, like free speech on campus being under threat is overplayed. Mm -hmm. I think there is a I think there's a lot of ignorant uh, people who, you know, get upset, uh, you know, over, you know, purity. If you're not for Bernie, you're not, you know, but they're not they're not they're not the majority. I think that's that's social media noise. Mm -hmm. I don't think people are like that in real life too much it, that's that's twitter in my opinion yeah pete dominic is our second peabody award-winning guest only our second peabody award-winning guest and he is a brilliant brilliant comedian were you performing next i forgot to mention that you're a stand-up sure. comic oh comic. that's fine uh i will be at the the comic strip at the end of the month, I'll be at Gotham this weekend. I'll be mostly in New York City, in and around New York. Go to PeteDominic.com for my dates. And listen to Stand Up with Pete Dominic three Most times important. a week. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. You had an interview with Lisa Lampanelli that I'm wrapping this interview up early because I want to get to what happened to I want to listen to this. What happened to Lisa Lampanelli? You'll have to listen to that interview. She talks about all of it. She's doing so well. She is really understands ego and life and career and success and what she wants from it all. And she achieved everything you can achieve as a comedian. And she wanted she wanted to make a change. It's, she, it's it rarely rarely happens, especially with someone as successful as she is. So you have an interview with Lisa Lampanelli. I cannot wait to to hear how she at the top of her game. Yeah. Walked she gives away. me great advice about my own struggle, and she's always been a very good friend of mine. It's a really uh, enlightening, funny, uh, thoughtful conversation. So thank you. Yeah, I can't wait. And the, your interview with the great Henry Winkler was inspiring. You know, the um, the interview that's it's kind of crazy, but the you know you you try to interview big names, celebrities, especially when you're starting a podcast to get attention for it. But that doesn't mean they're going to be the best interviews, right? It's mm -hmm. just business. Uh, I suppose networking. The the interview that's gotten the most feedback, the two, are my conversations with Peter Coyote, who's an actor, yeah, but he's so a Buddhist priest. But the one that really surprised me was I you know, I talked to my own brother for two hours, and I think because your politics and ideology lines up a lot with his, I think that would be the one that you would really most enjoy and probably get a lot of uh, insight on, on on why I think the way I do because of my brother, Brian Dominic. Peter Coyote is really interesting. You, you know him from a lot of voiceover work and narration yeah, for the PBS. But this guy, I didn't know he was a Buddhist priest. I know he was as far radical, as far to the left as you can get yeah. to still get hired in show business. Yeah. But when did he become uh, a Leonard Cohen Oh, he's always been. I mean, he was a, uh, you know, he went through the counterculture. He was a real beatnik and lived on communes and traveled the world. And he, he's had some amazing, wild experiences and in, in crazy childhood in New York and fascinating guy, complex guy, a guy who's seemingly lived like eight lives. And did he ever catch the Roadrunner? And did you ask him that question? I, it was how I generally open. And he says, no, but the Roadrunner caught me. I'm ah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't know what it meant, but how do, how do, how do, how do, how do people follow you on Twitter? At Pete Dominic on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and my my daughter's making me a TikTok account. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's wow. what you got to do now. All right. And let me give you your grade. I grade all the guests. Oh. A minus. Really? Yeah, you get an A minus. That is the highest grade I think I've ever gotten in anything. I will take it. Yeah. Uh, I would have given you an A plus, but you have a B body. <laughs> <laughs> I never should have left that up in my home studio. <laughs> You know what? It's not mine. It's Paul McCurio's. Oh, okay. Uh, stay on the line for one second. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Kelly Stone is back. She's running for election to the Texas Railroad Commission. She's on the ballot in the Democratic primary on March 3rd, 2020. Early voting in Texas starts today. Kelly Stone is endorsed by Howie Klein, which means that all of you have to go to your computer and donate money. Go to votekstone.com and give money to Kelly Stone so she can be elected railroad commissioner, one of the railroad commissioners of Texas. Hello, Kelly. Welcome back. Hi, David. Thank you for having me on again. I appreciate it. Well, we got a great response to you, and you're fantastic, and you're endorsed by Howie Klein. And if Howie Klein says people have to give money to you, then everybody has to go to votekstone.com and give you money if you're living in the United States, if you're an American citizen living in the United States or an American citizen living abroad, you can give money to Kelly Stone. Early voting starts today. Tell me very quickly what the primary means. Who are you running against? Uh, that's a, I mean, a great question. So the primary in Texas, uh, we don't actually register for if we're Republicans or Democrats. There, so there's no like card carrying anything in Texas. You just you pick which primary you want to vote in. And so um, we have a Democratic primary, a Republican primary on Super Tuesday, March 3rd. And early voting starts today. It's from February 18th until the 28th. We've got a 10 day window where people could go vote early at their leisure uh, or as their schedules will permit. Otherwise, it's it's uh Super Tuesday, March 3rd. And um, so and you have to tell them at the polling place, which is kind of an awkward situation, in my opinion. But you have to tell them, like, wh which ballot to give you to give you a, a Republican ballot or a Democratic ballot um, on the Democratic primary ballot. There are four candidates. Uh, it's three Dallas based attorneys and myself, Kelly Stone, as an educator, environmental activist. Uh, one of those attorneys who is sort of the, the darling of the Democratic Party, as well as the oil and gas industry, um, is an oil and gas defense attorney. Hmm. And that is <laughs> one of the candidates that that has has 
definitely been the establishment pick. I am the underdog anti-establishment candidate uh, who is the only one in the race that supports the Green New Deal. And I'm also the only one that has not been accepting funds from oil and gas or fossil fuel executives, lobbyists, or PACs. Uh, my other opponents have accepted larger dollar amounts directly from uh, presidents and vice presidents of oil and gas companies. And my campaign that is people-powered, we have more grassroots contributors and individual contributors than all of my primary opponents combined and doubled. And we might have just tripled that um, this week. Uh, we've, we have received quite a few individual contributions. But just because we have all those individual contributions does not mean that we have more money. Because some of those are $1 or $5, which is great. And we absolutely need that. Um, but we're, we're, we're up against people who are accepting $5,000 mm-hmm. from from oil and gas executives. And so, um, are there limits? But, you said there are limits on, on no. how much you can donate? <laughs> no. Um, there's no Texas. limit to how much anybody can donate to. Nope. Nope. Texas is, uh, a real special place. So <laughs> in, in terms of, uh, the railroad commissioner race, we have, we have no caps. Uh, there are no limits and, 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 and by that there's no time limits. So Ryan Sitton, who is the Republican incumbent, he has been able to raise funds for this campaign since he took office after his 2014 election. And so there's, there's no limits, uh, so for six years he could just fundraise for this this run. So, let me yeah. let me just backtrack here for one quick second because some of my listeners may not have heard your previouses previouses appearances. I added an extra s to previous because there are no caps on s's on this show. Well, there's so many of the previouses, yes, right? Yes. <laughs> Kelly is running for Texas uh, Railroad Commission. I, I think there are one, two, three. Commissioners? How many commissioners are there? There, you're right. There are three commissioners. They each hold six-year terms, and are so they, every two, are they staggered? two years, they are. Every okay. two years, one of their seats is open. Okay, mm-hmm. so Ryan Sitton is running for re-election. the The job pays one hundred thirty-six thousand dollars a year. We learned last week on your appearance, and apparently that's not enough for Ryan Sitton. He has to moonlight as a white shoe attorney representing. Oil companies. Is that correct? So, um, uh, there's, it's conflated a little bit there. So it's $137,500 a year. And Ryan Sitton owns his own petroleum strategy company. Uh, he's the CEO of that. And, um, one of my Democratic primary opponents, Krista Castaneda, is an oil and gas defense attorney. And she has her own firm. Yeah. So, um, she's, she's the one that, that responded in a, in a podcast where they asked about if it would be a, a pittance paid, um, for the, for the role and if she could continue to do her full-time job as a defense attorney for the oil and gas industry, to which she said yes. And is she a Democrat or a Republican? Uh, she's running as a Democrat. She's running as a Democrat. Does she get any help from the Democratic Party? Uh, so technically, the Democratic Party is not supposed to take sides in, in this part of the race before the primary. They are just supposed to be, you know, a support network. Uh, but they have definitely made it clear that she is 
their their pick. And so she has gotten a lot of um, speaking engagements at some of the larger Democrat events. And um, and they actually I had a meeting with them in August uh, to introduce myself and talk about the race. And they suggested that I call her um, because once I found out how smart she was, uh, that perhaps I would, you know, let her have this one. An attorney. <laughs> An attorney. Uh, yeah, an oil and gas defense attorney specifically. Yeah. Yes. Smart. So we should also remind people that the Railroad Commission of Texas regulates not the railroads. They stopped regulating railroads in the early aughts. The, the Railroad Commission has a much more important job. It regulates oil, gas, pipelines, liquefied petroleum, I believe uranium. Coal, uranium, coal. Yep, the mining fossil fuels types of right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are the the fossil fuel branch of our government, if you will. So you're the regular. You're running to be a, a regulator, and everybody who listens to this show should go to votekstone.com and donate. If you're an American citizen, donate a dollar. Donate five dollars. For people who are thinking of getting into politics, you know, I had Cenk Uger on the show from the Young Turks. You should be on the Young Turks. And I Cenk, would love to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Cenk is fantastic. He, <laughs> I found out that he not only has a law degree from Columbia, he has a business degree from Wharton Business School. So, you know, and I said to him, and I meant this, what about mediocrities? What about people like me who aren't entrepreneurs? Shouldn't we have a voice in politics? People who are just getting through life. Uh, and shouldn't we be, you know, Congress people and Kelly Stone, you're running for railroad commissioner, but you're not a mediocrity. You're a, a teacher and an educator, but you're certainly not a a Harvard-trained lawyer. You didn't go to Wharton Business School. You're not an entrepreneur who makes eight figures a year. You are a, a normal working stiff, <laughs> right? I, I mean, I would, I would argue I'm not a stiff. Uh, I'm, I'm very flexible, uh, <laughs> but I. <laughs> I, I am. I'm a normal gal. Uh, I've taught as a full-time lecturer at the university, and I've done community education and organization. And Well, let and, me put uh, it this uh, way. Uh, $134,000 a year. That's what the job I've pays. never $137,500 a year. I'm, yeah. I keep going. I'm, you know, I'm going to take a cut. That's why I'm <laughs> – we'll talk about that. But that's right. a lot of money to you. It's a significant amount of money to me. My salary as a as a full time lecturer was forty five thousand dollars a year. So don't you think a general rule of thumb in politics should be that the salary that you're running for should be enough for you? So I think it's a double-edged sword with that, right? Because our state representatives in the state of Texas, I think it's only $7,200 a year they get paid, which forces them. But they to don't meet. To, they never meet. <laughs> that's true. But 
I mean, seriously, don't they spend like a year where they don't meet? Yes. Yeah. Currently, they're not in session. So I hear that. I hear that. But at the same time, like, doesn't that then incentivize people to seek funds elsewhere if you have children or families or whatnot? If I were a working mom running for state legislature, how would I pay my bills if I were only getting paid seventy two hundred dollars a month? Right. I would have to have another job. And so we're setting our state legislatures up to have their handout. Right. Um, but the Texas Railroad Commission pays a very generous salary because it, and, it, and it's such a powerful position. But for someone like me, $137,500 a year would be a game changer for me and my children. Um, but for someone, you know, like Ryan Sitton or Krista Castaneda, who got $4 million in lawyer fees defending T. Boone Pickens in, in his last case where he, you know, she, she helped him. Uh, acquire more wealth before he passed. It was a $146 million settlement is what um, the, the, the papers say. Um, maybe $137,500 a year is chump change. Um, but not for not for most Texans. For most well, Texans... Why would you want to be railroad commissioner if you don't need the money? I mean, that's a great question. I... I you know, if I didn't need the money, it, I might not be as compelled. I might be able to do more philanthropic work, right? Or so why are these people? So doesn't this beg the question? Why are you running for this job? Why do you want this job if it's below your pay grade? I mean, I would say that's the. I mean, that's the case for a lot of our government and. Employees, right? The people that are in Congress and in the Senate, many of them have larger sums of wealth than what the job pays. And so I think that that it connects the dots too between, you know, power and influence and connections that are made where people are thinking further down the line. And many people have treated the Texas Railroad Commissioner role as a stepping stone to other positions of power. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm filled with piss and vinegar right now and I apologize. <laughs> you know, I was in Washington, D.C. and I was hanging out with Mitt Romney. Believe it or not, I was hanging out with Mitt Romney's staff, they're very sweet and they're having a good time and they're very kind. They have that look of a, a cult victim in their eyes, but they're very sweet. <laughs> now, Mitt Romney is worth easily $200 million. Is he ever asked why he wants to be a senator? You're worth $200 million. You're going to the Senate. Why? To accomplish what and represent whom you don't need the one hundred and eighty thousand dollars that you get paid why don't they ever ask that question why don't they go over the dollars and cents you're running why don't you challenge sitting and ask him why are you running for you don't need this job do you challenge them on this I mean I haven't had the opportunity to directly do so uh, I think I mean well that is sort of what I'm doing right now uh, by running to take that seat, right? But no, I've not been able to look him in the eyes and say, why are you doing this? What what compels you to do this? Well, on the campaign um, trail, do you do that? Do you say to potential voters, this is the only job 
I'm going to have? It hasn't been a question. Honestly, most people have not asked such questions. I think the assumption is that anytime you become an elected official, that is your full time job. You assume that that's your full time job. But we now have a culture where people still maintain their, their businesses that are absolutely in direct um, conflict of interest with the role that they're playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Sitton is able to vote on um, permitting and, and whatnot that benefits his clients, which then benefits his business. And so I would think that that would be his strategic um, play in, in that role is that it does it does enhance your wealth. Um, to be in such a role, which is a, a part of the corruption of our system. And our system should not be designed to, to help people who are making decisions in cigar rooms. Our system should be designed to help people that cannot help themselves because they are children, because they are elderly, because they are poor. And a lot of the decisions made by the Railroad Commission affect our air and our water. And so it's not about profit margins and economic interest. It's about the health and safety of Texans. Mm -hmm. So the Railroad Commission is what they call a captured agency. In other words, it's just completely owned and operated by the Republicans, correct? Yes. uh, There has not been a Democrat on the Railroad Commission, uh, I believe, since 1994 uh, in more than more than 20 years. So uh, it is a fox guarding the hen house. It is a system where the oil and gas industry is able to regulate itself. Right. So you've raised about thirty thousand dollars and you have about fifteen hundred dollars left. Oh, that's a good question. We actually, we, we got $2,400 on Thursday, um, from actually from 24 different contributors. Uh, and I haven't seen the breakdown of how that all was, but it, it ended up being about $2,400. And, you know, we've gotten some more bucks, um, since Thursday. I went down to the border to Brownsville to do some protesting, um, about the, the deportation of asylum seekers and, and migrants and, and refugees. And it was a really hard time, but, um, several people that met me down there contributed to the campaign. So where does um, the, where, what is the money spent on? Oh, that's such a good question because somebody my actually my financial planner was like, well, you're able to cover your living expenses right now with the money you're raising for the campaign. Right. And I was like, no, that's not how it (laughs) works. Absolutely not. No, at no level does it like is it for me, Kelly Stone. Right. Um, So in order to gain access to the voter file so that we know how to go knock on doors or call people to get out the vote, we had to pay five thousand dollars to the Texas Democratic Party to gain access to the voter file Hmm. in order to get on the ballot. We had to pay three thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars in order to have our email um you know service that allows us to blast out those emails to ask people for money and tell them about our campaign uh it's thirty one hundred and fifty dollars per quarter um and then of course i mean if we wanted to send out mailers to a hundred thousand people just out of curiosity why is it thirty one hundred and fifty dollars to blast emails out do you have to use a company that's sanctioned by the Democratic Party? 
No. So that is, we use NGP Van is the name of the company and it's a, it's a national company and it's pretty much like if I were to just put a whole bunch of email addresses into a Gmail into, to blind carbon copy, right. And blast out, um, they would, the, the system and the, the security that they have in place would, would read that as spam. Mm-hmm. And they, they would reject me. Even sometimes when I try to send out press releases, I can't, it, it won't even allow me to do it to like 150 people. And right now our email list, um, is about 60,000 people we, we've acquired as our emails to, to reach out to people. And so to be able to click send and send out an email to 60,000 people, uh, it requires a service that, and I don't I don't even know the magic of how they do it, but that's that's able to get past some of the spam filters and whatnot and to to handle that that large amount of data. Um, so we, we pay essentially, we pay for that service. Um, if we were to send out text messages, right? Like Beto, Beto blew up all of our phones in Texas very consistently with text messaging. And um, it, at the cheapest rate, we can do text messaging for two cents per text. So to just send one text message to the 8.5 million people that we've identified in the voter file as believing that climate change and environmental protection is important, they've scored on like some survey, 8.5 million people have said that in Texas. To send one text message to all of them at a rate of two cents per text, that's $170,000. Per text. Well, total, right? Yeah. It's t- two cents per text. But yeah, if we just sent one text message, that that would be one hundred and seventy thousand dollars to eight point five million people. The so Democratic there- Party, they offer a rate of seven cents per text as like a, a, a deal. <laughs> so they're ripping off their own candidates. Uh, there, there's a lot of money. In this process. Yeah. Wait, wait, so it costs two cents if you do it through an outside service. If you do it through the Democratic Party. Seven cents. And that money goes where? Into the Democratic Party's fundraising coffer. Coffer. Yeah. So and then supposedly they, they distribute it. Mm-hmm. So supposedly it's for a good cause. I mean, it is. They do. They do go in to races and support them. They can't do it till after the primary. And it, but it's at their discretion what races they're really going to support or not. Mm-hmm. And so, if if you know we're contributing or people were doing a split between me and the Democratic Party, it may not. I may never see. Any, any yield from that if the Democratic Party did not then um, support me. So. And so, you know, we've learned that the purpose of war in America is war because that's where the money is. It's just that simple that if we stop going to war, the economy will crumble. This is a war based economy. I mean, I've been reading about forget the one trillion one trillion dollars a year that we know of that we spend on the Pentagon, something like twenty five trillion dollars between. I don't know. There was a six year period where they try to discover what happened to twenty five trillion dollars of Pentagon spending. They couldn't find it. You know, they don't know what happened to it. The same thing applies to politics, that the purpose of politics is more politics. It's not about 
social change. It's about feeding the consultants, these monsters who make a fortune on ad buys. Uh, what, what, if you had to run independently without a party behind you, how cheap could you do it? Well, I would say that's exactly what I'm doing currently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because I am definitely the, the underdog, the outsider. Um, my, my, I have a fundraising firm, uh, who specializes in first time candidates and they have been so incredible with their pep talks with me and their reality checks when, when I call them and I'm so frustrated with what's taking place and they're like, Kelly, you're the underdog. <laughs> um, you know, the establishment is not going to do anything to help you right now. And, um, they told, they gave me, they gave me a really good talk one day and they said that part of it is, you know, when the establishment has decreed that they have chosen whom they would like to have this office, right? And in, in my case, it's, it's the oil and gas, uh, defense attorney that's, that's in my primary you know, pool right now. They, they decided it's her turn. And so I came out of nowhere and they were like, we don't, we don't know you sit down, wait your turn. We have not anointed you. It is right. not your turn. And, um, Jr., uh, one of my, my fundraising consultants, he said, and you know what, Kelly, you're not that kind of gal. <laughs> right. You're not one who just sits down and shuts up. And, and so, um, as cheap as I'm doing, and I'm not trying to be cheap. Like I, I would love to be able to, to purchase more advertising and to send out more text messages and to get mailers in, in people's hands. Um, but right now we're, we're doing what we can with what we've got. And so we've even, we're not, we've not printed any yard signs. Um, one of my issues is that a lot of these signs and a lot of the stuff that's used in campaigns is it's petroleum based products. There's these corrugated plastic signs that people make for the sake of putting in their yard for name recognition. Mm-hmm. But, a lot of what has gotten us into this climate crisis is our individual consumption and how we constantly, you know, buy these, these coffee cups with plastic lids that are just designed for us to toss 20 minutes later. And there's so much, um, product that is, you know, used through the materials through our materials throughput that is just waste. And for every trash can that we haul off to our own curb from our home are 70 trash cans upstream that made that trash that we have. And so what we've been doing is taking old signs from old campaigns and we've been priming them with paint uh, that we got from the hazardous waste facility. So we are upcycling and reusing and making our own signs. And, and we're doing that not just to save money because it actually takes a long time to make the signs, um, but also to be conscientious of our waste that we're putting out. And so, um, and we've got lots of volunteers. There's been a great number of people who have done services for the campaign as an in-kind contribution. So um, we, we really are. We're doing it on grassroots grid. And gumption. All right. org. <laughs> right? Dot com. Dot com. Votecastone.com. Donate money, a dollar, five dollars, or five thousand dollars. Five billion dollars. <laughs> Can somebody donate five billion dollars? 
they could they could um i don't i don't know what we would do with five billion dollars i mean we could you know end hunger in texas (laughs) um but yeah um, or do something important there are no limits we could do something important with or uh, like we could, which I see is extremely important, uh, our food deserts and, and our, you know, and, and offer, you know, healthcare services and, and, uh, really, really focus on the health and wellness of Texans. And so there's a lot that we could do, um, uh, with that, with that kind of money. But, um, yes, there are no limits, uh, which is early uh, voting. Early voting starts today, February 18th. Super. Oh, yes. Well, this is today, February 18th. Kelly Stone is running for election to the Texas Railroad Commission. She's on the ballot in the Democratic primary, March 3rd, 2020. That's Super Tuesday. Let me ask you about Bernie. What do you sense? I know you're a Bernie supporter. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you think his chances are in Texas? I am optimistic and, and, and maybe I live in central Texas, which is one of the bluer areas of Texas. And, um, people are so excited and energized about Bernie. There's lots of block walking going on and calls and, um, it's almost everywhere I go. People are Bernie supporters. They're really excited about Bernie. Um, but I, w- I will tell you, you know, when I drive, you know, through the hill country and I get more remote, there are some really interesting Trump billboards and signs and whatnot. And so it, it, it seems like that is the disparity is that people really liked people really like Bernie because he speaks the truth and and he stays on message and he says things that other politicians aren't saying, which is why people were gravitating to Trump as well. He says things that other politicians don't say. Um, but Bernie is interested in us and mm-hmm. fighting for us. And that that is the marked disparity between between him and the current occupant of the White House. Yeah, I'm looking so at the. I think, I'm looking I think at Bernie the poll- can do it. I'm looking at the polling numbers. I can't believe what I'm saying. I mean, Biden is leading in Texas, 28 percent. Sanders is at 22.7 percent. So there's a five percent difference between Biden and Sanders. But you know, Biden ain't going to do it in Texas. No. And then Warren is down in third at 15 percent. Bloomberg is at 11 percent. Buttigieg is down to five. I don't see Bloomberg. I mean, that's just wishful. Th- you know, I love how people say, you know, voting for Bernie, you know, it's just wishful thinking. I'm voting for Bloomberg because <laughs> that's not wishful thinking that Bloomberg is going to be able to defeat Trump, especially in a debate. Are you kidding? Well, me? And, well and, and what what's he going to do for us? He's he's a billionaire who's buying an election. And do you do you know what he's paying people to work for him in Texas right now? Well, you tell me. I've heard some numbers. You tell okay. me. So he is paying people 6000 to $8,000 per month. Some people are even making $11,000. And I, I just got back from Houston yesterday, and um, I talked to people who they even said that they were working for Bloomberg because they needed the money to pay their bills. And they were like, I had no other option. This money was available. But they, they said they, they were like, I don't support him, and I don't even feel comfortable knocking on people's doors to tell them to vote for 
for a candidate that's that is an advocate for stop and frisk. Right. <laughs> they were like, right. I can't do that. But and and I I watched people. They they met at a grocery store parking lot to get turf um, to go knock on doors for Bloomberg, and all of them are doing it because he's currently exploiting. Um, Poor people, and the fact that he is he he has people who are working for him that are not going to vote for him right. in Texas. Well, I've heard I've heard from my Bernie Bros at the DSA that <laughs> this is pure evil, and everybody should do this. Go take a job working for Bloomberg and lobby for 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 uh, Bernie. That a lot of people, a lot of Bernie people are taking jobs on the Bloomberg campaign and use, taking the money and then using the office equipment and, and the phones to. Oh yeah, you get an iPhone, you, you get a big salary and you get a phone. And I think maybe a laptop. My advice to my listeners, take the money from Bloomberg and then go lobby and campaign for Bernie, because that's how corporations work, by the way. There's really no loyalty. You're doing it for the money. And that's why Bloomberg can't win. That's why Hillary didn't win. There was real no, there was no loyalty. There was all about resume building. The only people who work for Joe Biden are thinking about their next job. You don't take over the government with people like that. You you win with obnoxious, unwashed Bernie bros. Right? <laughs> Um, I, I think that, that what is really incredible about Bernie's campaign is that he's giving us hope where so many of us. I you know what? We, I'm going to push back on that. Okay. Okay. F hope. That's what Buddha judge <laughs> offers. F hope. And F, uh, that's what Obama offered. Bernie's offering, you know, real solutions and policy. This isn't hope. This is Medicare for all, free tuition at public universities, a wealth tax. That's, I mean, that's, that's not hope. That's a fight. I guess. It, 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 he's fighting for those things, which gives me hope. Right. <laughs> uh, I think that's where, and, and I, I liked Obama's hopey changey stuff, you know, uh, Sarah Palin, you know, tried to mm -hmm. make it sound bad. And I'm like, no, I, yes, we can. <laughs> yes, we can. And I, I took my baby in a red and white striped jammies to try to get Obama to kiss him. I was like, I have a baby. <laughs> right. Please kiss my baby. But, um, no, and, and cause I think, Having my student loan debt eliminated, um, having the, the hope that my children might have a chance at a free college education or that I don't have to worry when they're playing on the monkey bars that I'm, you know, I might not be able to afford a situation that if they break their arm, um, th those things give me hope that, that there is a leader who is fighting to, to change the system that we have in place. That okay. Is not I, I, I just realized. I stumbled into something, and I don't okay. mean to be disrespectful, but I can remember a candidate from a town called Hope, Bill Clinton. <laughs> and I remember hearing him speak in 92 and being, you know, intoxicated by his vision of hope, that what people need is hope. 
And you can't vote your fears. You have to vote your hope. F hope. I want, right. I want free health care. You can take your I hope. I hear you. You can take your hope and, you know, put it where the sun don't shine. I want free health care for everybody. It's enough with the hope. Well, and I think that connects how you're talking about the free health care. You know, in, in, in England, in 1948 is when they implemented universal health care because they had just come out of World War II and they said, you know, if you can spend money to kill people, if you can spend money on war, you can spend money to make people well and building, you know, schools and hospitals and, and whatnot. And and I feel very much the same way. I mean, the United States, what is it? We Our defense spending is more than our next 25 allies combined, the mm-hmm. next 25. And, uh, and who's our we, enemy? Who's our enemy? Right. Uh, Trump. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's our enemy? <sighs> But it, can you imagine a world where we d- wouldn't have to pay soldiers to go guard oil wells because we're not dependent on fossil fuels? Hmm. Yep. Vote K Stone. Donate. Vote K Stone. Kelly, March 3rd. How's your polling? Super Tuesday. So there's no polling data for my race. Um, there, there's none at all. And so essentially the way that people measure the success of a campaign is the fundraising data, which um, we have been in. We've been in a strong second place, uh, with our fundraising and, um, but when you look at our, our grassroots contributors, we, we far outseed, out, um, excel, um, our, our opponents, but, um, there, there is no, there is no polling. Okay. So it's, it's really challenging to know. How do people follow you on Twitter? Uh, my Twitter is at Team K Stone 2020. It's a terrible Twitter handle, uh, but my team my team forced me to have it. I, I didn't want to play in Trump sandbox, so I had I deleted my Twitter a long time ago. But uh, they built one for me, and it's it's at Team K Stone 2020. Fantastic! Can you stand the line for one quick second? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Let's go to New Hampshire, where David Citizen Bacon is standing by. Hello, Citizen Bacon. Oh, hello, David Feldman. How are you today? Did you hear Citizen Sausage from Chicago singing your praises? I did, yes, but it was hard. It took a while to get get into there. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you mean it took a while? Oh, it was like, uh, I don't know, that last segment was kind of like, um, that was all that Technical difference. I don't know. Just you know. You mean like somebody know, was tech, like somebody breathing into the phone, even <laughs> though I've been telling them for four months to move their mouth away from the phone. Very similar. Yes, similar. Yes. Those kind of technical problems. 
Some kind, I don't know, some kind of stuff. You had some kind of problem going on. Well, just just uh, tell me how many times I have to ask you to stop breathing into the phone. Just give me a number. Mm -hmm. and I'll get it out of the way now. Give me a number. Of oh, I You're yawning. Are you, are you I'm yawning? tired. Oh, you're I'm tired. tired. You're tired. Yeah. Oh, you're it's late. You, what? It's late. It's late? Yeah. You're b bored being on the David Feldman show. Oh, I don't know. You know, late. Hmm. Bedtime, man. Wow. You know, you know, you know, up here in the, you know, in the sticks, you know, we go to bed, we, you know, got to go to bed early, got to get up when the sun comes up, you know, I know you in the, in the big city, you know, stay up mm -hmm. all night, everything's open, but, you know. Now, are oh, any, yeah, ca yeah. any candidates coming up to New Hampshire? Well, I don't, I, I don't think they will right now, because um, they have elsewhere to go. I guess they're all out in probably Nevada. And how many uh, people? How many people live in New Hampshire? Well, what is it? One million and change, just million point two or something like that. And if I decided I was going to run for president today for twenty twenty four, and I just moved to New Hampshire, could I meet a million people? When do people start campaigning in New Hampshire? How early do they start? Well, I mean, some people, I guess, actually started before they could start filing and stuff. But you know, they don't get much press then. It's I mean, not really didn't Delaney didn't Delaney live there for like two years? He he, yeah, but even when he he still he didn't get he never got any uh, any following. But yeah, he 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 was I think the first to declare, but I don't know when. He actually did do that. It was at least a year ahead of time. Oh, no. Some guys are like, they start the day after the primary is over, and they plan four years ahead. Well, what yeah, are we going to do? No what, one's here yet. No what, one's here yet. What do we do with you now? Um, I, well, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I certainly still have some tape to play from uh, from things. Um. And then more stuff will occur, I'm sure. But so, uh, but you're kind of living in in a hick town now. You know, three and a half oh. years from now, we'll be interested yeah. in you. But I mean, is anything happening where you live that we can be interested in? Oh my gosh, has I yawn more? Um, <laughs> well, there is. I mean, there are. Of course, there's. Well, we there's certainly. Uh, well, there's more local things. Obviously, there's you know, obviously we're going to have a, a, a you know, a, our governor comes up and all that stuff. But you know, that's that might be interesting to cover. I mean, what about local news? What what if we decided to cover what city do you are you allowed to say what city you live in? Well, we used to all the time from Mad Bear. You know, what if we just went over the top? You know how. Uh, Garrison Keeler talked about Lake Wobegon. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. What if you just threw yourself into Madbury and started covering local politics for us? And we just zeroed in on Madbury, New Hampshire. Do they have a city council? Madbury's pretty small. How many um, people live in Madbury? Oh, I don't know. Probably. Thousand or two, maybe I don't know. 
I've only, we haven't been there that We've only been there a year or so. Oh. Well, why don't you piss everybody off and just start covering Madbury? Like, just... Well, we just built a new library. Well, there has to be a scandal there. There must be books. I'm sorry? Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't, you know, who knows how they paid for it. If there's They didn't move very far. They built, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with the old building. Let's, well, you know. let's focus on that. Do they is Lady Chatterley's lover available for our kids to take out? <laughs> I, I, I believe, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if they can check that one out, but that might be there. Well, hang on, I, I, I think this might be fun, Bacon. Oh, there's all kind. I mean, there's certainly all kinds of stuff because I mean, like, you know, we do have the biggest, um, you know, Concord is not that, you know, we have the largest. House of Representatives or whatever for a state, you know, there's all kinds of things that go on, go on there. Um, well, I, I do think it would be kind of interesting to zero in on one city and and cover their city council, their board of education. Mm-hmm. That might be interesting. Well, something like something like Dover, or you know, something that's a little close. But just a little bigger, or uh, no, no. I Durham like the idea of a small like town. What about I, I oh, like? Yeah. What about the police blotter? Like if you did a report. What, what's the What's the name of your shit town? What is it called? Madbury. My shit town. What? Come on, I'm I'm a New York that City part. slicker. Come on. Oh no, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mad, yes, Madbury. What if you gained access to their police blotter and told us? What crimes were committed this week? <laughs> I'm serious. I think it would be fascinating. And and you cover the city council and the board of education, and you kind of give us a master's a master's class in local uh, citizen journalism. There was a like yeah, there was a week like uh, at again. This was Dover, so it's just the town. Why right are over. you selling me Dover? I'm more interested. What's the shit town that you're from? The hick town, like shit town. Um, one, I'm not from there. Come on, the the, 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 the bordello, Mad the madam in your on, bordello. How hard is that is one to goat. remember? The, 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 a goat runs your bordello. Come on. No, there's actually there's like I think we have llamas down the street or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We do have some some uh, some some wildlife, right? Do, uh, are you yeah. an independent city? It's a tiny little town. It's like a bedroom community. But, but is it is it incorporated as a city? Do you have your own police department? Oh gosh, I, I get. I mean, we don't we don't even have a post office in our town. Well, we like get our post office. Our post office is again in in Dover. Right, and 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 okay, and Dover. What's the population of Dover? I don't know. That's like, it's, you know, Let me look five thousand. I don't know. Oh, I like that. It's 5,000. That's good. I mean, I'm guessing. That's a guess. I'm looking at no new. Idea. What if you covered the shit out of a shit town like no, like Dover? <laughs> Dover is a city in Stratford County, New Hampshire. The po- oh, the population was 30,000. Okay, well, I was guessing. That's not. That's too big. Oh, thirty thousand. Is that what you said? Yeah. Well, do you yeah, want to? I don't know. Do you, I think it might be interesting 
for you to spend a year on this show covering the shit out of Dover, New Hampshire, going to the city hall meetings and just covering the politics. I think that would be really interesting. What do you think? Yeah, that that probably could be interesting. I don't know if that will be the city. Yeah, something like that. It sounds like a good idea, without a doubt. That would, would be good. That could be fun. Um, you know, I don't know if I want to get all those meetings and stuff. I have, you know. But there, there's obviously. a coffee with the mayor and the city council. It'll be held on February 22nd, 2020 at 9 a.m. in the community room at the Dover Police Department on Chestnut Street. The mayor will be there. City council, city officials will be on it. Why don't you show up? Well, because, well, one, now it's getting real close. It's getting a lot closer to my, uh, you know. Closer to where I live, you know, because you know I have to be be more on my uh, on my guard, or you know, be on be on my best behavior. And, uh, on Channel Twenty Two, we can live stream the city council. You know, I, I'm, I'm looking. If you I, hang on for one second, Bacon, be quiet. Be quiet. I'd be quiet. Yeah, you, what are you talking about? I'm running this meeting here. Okay. Well, it, it's, it seems like you're you're possibly asking me to do quite a bit. So I, you know, about you running the meeting. You know, to, to be honest, my wife and I, when our kids were small, we did go to our local uh, water board meeting because our water pressure was so bad, and we cared about our little kids. And like, no family, no one ever went to, even though it's open to the public. No one ever goes to those meetings. So, like, we were like the talk of the town. And we can watch you. My listeners, they they stream the videos of the Dover City Council every Wednesday (laughs) night. And if you go to (laughs) dover.nh.gov, you can click Uh here and live stream. We could watch David Bacon getting up (laughs) at the City Council meetings. Tomorrow night, the Parking Commission. Oh, no, it's tomorrow morning at 8.30 a.m., the parking commission is meeting Dover Police Station community room. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to go to that. Uh, February 18th, the joint building committee at Dover High School is meeting. The planning board yeah, they, subcommittee. They, oh, they, they canceled the, the, the subcommittee meeting for the planning board February 19th. City Council meets February 20th, 7 p.m. at City Hall. I want you to cover that for this show. Yeah, I know where that is. City Hall. I saw. I, I saw some people there. The cemetery board. <laughs> Seven p.m. February twenty-fifth. Civic engagement. This this can be a master's class, Bacon, in, oh, yeah, yeah, in citizen journalism. Sure, I, I, there's some good things about that, without a doubt. Yes. Yeah. 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 And if everybody, here's why I think this is kind of interesting. Everybody listening should do this. Everybody right. listening to my show should cover their city and they should either get a podcast and report and ask questions and record the interviews and post them on the internet on YouTube. Everybody should be doing this. You saw what's happening to McClatchy. They're being taken over by private equity. They're going, they're just going to keep. Oh, right. You're right. So 
you, you, let's do this. Let's cover Dover, New Hampshire. Let's be all over it. And I'll make yeah. fun of it. And I'll call you a bunch of hicks. And I'll make, you know, we'll do it in a way where I get to crap on, you know, you hayseeds. But it'll be interesting. And I think you will, uh, I think it will be edifying for everybody. Yeah, well, I mean, that's one way to go. I, I, there's some other things, like we're going to, uh, one of the groups, I think the second tape that I play is this rights and democracy group called RAD. I think they were started in Vermont or now in New Hampshire. So that's like a, like advocacy, I don't know, maybe that's not the right word, but you know, like, I was, I was kind of thinking of like maybe, you know, joining some of these groups that are in this area and see what they're doing and, 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 come at it that way at like, you know, and, 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 you know, I'd like you to cover the government (laughs) dog licenses, the public library, public welfare, public safety, recycling center, solid waste and recycling. That's right up your alley. Yeah, I, I mean, I, we, when, we, when we were homeschooling the kids, we took them to the, there's like an incinerator plant. They got to run the little crane. But, yeah, there's, some, you know. Okay. All kinds of things. Yeah. We have one of those, you know, ice prison things or something where they hold the people. That's in, I think in Dover they have, they have the place where they hold some prisoner people for the ice group. You know, that. Why aren't you covering that? Well, I, hey. Other stuff's going on. You drop everything for my show, Bacon. Do you understand hey, me? Do I do I have a full uh, lineup of uh, audio for you and your listeners for this show? Yes, I do. Okay, I expect you to be at the parking commission meeting. We better hurry up because <laughs> it's tomorrow at eight thirty a.m. I, want I you heard at- it's hard to get a space. I'm being. I'm being. <laughs> I, I am being really serious, Bacon. You are now. Our Dover, New Hampshire correspondent, and I expect you to start covering coffee with the mayor, city council meetings, arts commission meetings, cemetery planning meeting. That I'm very interested in. With the cemetery planning? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, Bacon. They have mounted police. They have their own. Uh, they have uh, you know mounted police like you guys police still have in the city. We have. They, Dover has a you know a horse police cops. It's kind of odd. Really? Uh, yeah. Every once in a while you'll see them out there, and it's like, really, what do you guys? It's a small place. Like, what? What's up? But I don't know. They still have mounted police. Okay. Clipping yeah. letter one. Okay, so this is gonna be this is the this is gonna be from like primary night, you know, and um, this is at the big rally, and this is a this is gonna be AOC of all the people. There was a whole bunch. AOC was the last one right before Bernie came out, and she just this is just this is pretty much her speech, and you know she's just she's she's not reading this. She's just free, you know. She's just going. It's pretty good. So I just okay. thought. It's kind of cool. It's powerful to hear her. You don't always get to hear her talk as much. We love know, so. AOC. Right. She's amazing. It's, yeah. You know, it's, you know, she's young and tough. It was great because, again, no notes, nothing. She had the crowd. It's fabulous. Here we go. Where are you? Is that real? Yes. This is like huge. This is like 7,500 people. This is at 
UNH at the stadium. This is where the Strokes played. And, yeah, the, the, the audience, that's also why I want to play this, because you can really hear the audience, because I'm in the crowd. I'm, you know, right there. So you hear them just going crazy. It's amazing. Yeah, it sounds like a meeting at the Dover Parking Commission. Well, uh, this is Durham. This is Durham, close by. Okay. We're at a key crossroads. We're at a key crossroads. And we cannot underestimate the power of hate. We cannot underestimate the power of that divisiveness and the century and the vitriol and all of that. We cannot underestimate that. And that is why we need to nominate someone with a political revolution at their back. This is interesting. So Robert Carrier, that was great, by the way. Robert Carrier is the mayor of Dover. And yep. Dennis Chiatti is the deputy mayor of Dover. Yep. And then you have city councilors. You have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All their terms began January 1st, 2020, and they end December 31st, 2022. So it's kind of like the House of Representatives. Interesting. Two years. Yeah. Sure. They're all white. 
There are one, two, three women. One, two, three, four, five men. Interesting. Yeah. And they have uh, they have city council meetings the second and fourth Wednesday of every month at 7 p.m. Nice. Well, that's yeah. That's what you're going to be doing on Wednesday nights. <laughs> and then the parking commission meets in the morning, so that's not a problem. It's an early one. Yeah. I don't know. Do they have cars in Dover or horses or mules? <laughs> Just, I think only the police have. Well, other people might have horses. Oh, I see. Uh, I'm looking at a map. Madbury. Mm-hmm. I see. You're right yep. on the border with Maine. Not too far. Yeah, yeah. Not too far. On the Great Bay? I see. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Near the uh, Piscataqua River. Possible. Piscataqua. Pis- the only river I know over here is uh, is uh, is uh, with the lamp lamprey or something like that. Hmm. It's like blood sucking eels or something. Like the lamprey or something like that. Okay. Clipping uh, letter two. Okay. Stop so breathing. Eddie, that- you're breathing. I told I you know. to stop breathing. Oh, always, always. a lot of demands. Do this. Do this. Do this. Um, so this is a guy, uh, from, it's called Right and Democracy. He was, he was in the lobby of a, a Bernie event in Exeter, New Hampshire. And so just a quick interview with him. He'll talk about the organization. What does he, did. what does what he run? It's, he's part of Rights and Democracy. It's, it's called RAD. It was started in Vermont. We'll talk all about it. And I guess they support it. They support Bernie. You know, they're, they're all along the same lines. Okay. Here we go. This is David Bacon with the David Feldman Show. It's uh, January 18th, and uh, the Bernie uh, event just ended in Exeter. And there's a table uh, out in the uh, lobby, and there's some people, and uh, let's hear what they're all about. So uh, if you want to say your name and your organization, that'd be great. My name is Isaac Grimm, and I'm the organizing director with Rights and Democracy New Hampshire, which is a grassroots people's organization. Uh, Our members endorsed Bernie at the end of last year, and we organize year-round to build the progressive movement and fight on issues that are impacting people here in New Hampshire. So we're we're fighting for health care for all. Uh, trying to raise the minimum wage. We have no minimum wage in New Hampshire right now. Uh, we've been pushing for better public education funding. There's been a decade. There's no minimum wage in New Hampshire? That's what he, that's what he said. I, 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 you know, again, I work for myself, so I, I, haven't, I haven't had to worry about that. So, so theoretically, I'm paying you legally. Zero? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. There's no minimum wage, and so slave labor. I get that. But you're not, you're not following the federal rules, though, which probably trump the uh, state rules. But he just said there's no minimum wage. He just said. Yeah, that would be a state. That's going to be a state, you know, rule. The estate. I happen to believe in states' rights, and there's no minimum wage in New Hampshire. I'm overpaying you. <laughs> All right, let's get back to this. 
decades-long crisis in terms of public education funding here in right, the state. Right, right, And we're fighting to combat the climate crisis. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was probably pretty easy to pick up Bertie as your candidate. It was. It seems like it was a no-brainer for our candidates. Uh, it was about 64% support for Bernie. Right. Um, Warren had about 30%. So, yeah. you know, a lot of folks liked Warren as well. And then sure. everyone else was, you know, below 5%. So, yeah, overwhelming support. Super majority of our members it wanted to endorse Bernie. And so now we're throwing down as hard as we can to make right. sure that Bernie wins the New Hampshire primary. Right. And uh, and then we continue build, building the movement no matter what happens from there. Right. And so you uh, you said you are from New Hampshire and um, your colleague before that you're a, you started like a small grassroots thing maybe in Vermont and stuff. So have you known of and has Bernie known of you guys for like quite some time since he's from Vermont and things like that? Yeah. So we started in Vermont in 2015 and shortly thereafter started growing in New Hampshire as well. Right. And Bernie's always been really supportive of the movement. Right. right. So he's someone that we could count on to come out to events, to speak truth, awesome. to be someone who'd really like, you know, bring people together right. uh, and help us in our local fights. And, right. you know, he's been doing that for decades in Vermont. Right. Um, and, you know, ever since he's, you know, really blown up since 2016, it's just exponentially grown how much positive of an impact he can have on supporting the movement and on supporting unions and right, you know that's right. what he's been doing for exactly. his whole career exactly yeah, yeah. He's, so, he's so true to his to his message and it hasn't wavered and stuff and it's just amazing and yep. gosh I mean it's time for him to freaking be in the office yeah, um, absolutely. so um, if you, do you you guys must have like a website or something that people could go to if they were interested or yeah absolutely so if you're in Vermont you should go to radvt.org that's r-a-d-v-t dot org and if you're in New Hampshire it's radnh.org so our organization is called Rights and Democracy. Right, our, our, a, acronym, great acronym. our acronym oh is RAD. We are yeah. RAD. Yeah, it works out. <laughs> that's a very good one. I'll have to check that stuff out when I get home, and uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time, so thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. And here's the five-day forecast for you hicks who live in Dover, New Hampshire. On Tuesday, expect rain and snow. You might want to bundle up. It's going to get down to 33 degrees. That's freezing. The wind will be east-southeast at 9 miles per hour with humidity up there at 82%. Wednesday, things get a little brighter. It's going to be mostly sunny. Zero percent chance of rain. A little windy, though. You might want to wear a hat if you have a comb over. Winds will be west-northwest at 19 miles per hour. Mostly sunny for the rest of the week. So go out there and make it a mediocre day, you toothless hicks living in Dover, New Hampshire. Wow. I think we I think we've stumbled into something. I think we can appeal to the morons who live in Dover, New Hampshire. What do you think? Well, I I, I, I don't think you're going to appeal to people by calling them morons. I, well, I don't think aren't they? I mean, they don't live in New York City, so they're morons. I mean, these are. This is like well, flyover country. This is like something you just placate them with platitudes and move on. New York is New York is fly into country. Oh, that's what Muhammad Atta said. Is that what you're saying? Too soon. Too soon. Is that is that is that your joke? Yeah, that was my joke. Yeah, that's pretty funny. That's that's funny, Bacon. That's pretty well, funny. Fly into country. That's right. Okay. All right. Uh, clipping letter three. What is this? Okay, so this was this was down in D.C. and I was in the 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 newer of the three office buildings. I can't remember what the name is, and but you know how there's the the the, the little check-in things where you have to go through the little uh, you put your thing on the thing like you're at the airport, and like all these cakes were coming through, and I was like, what's up? Oh with right, that? So, the sheet cakes. They were sending sheet cakes to impeach to to remove, right? right? 
great. So I interviewed one of the people. And so she's going to talk about the cake thing. Yeah, that made yeah, no that's... sense to me. Here we go. Well, here you go. This is David Dickin with the David uh, Feldman Show. It's uh, January 29th. I was just over at the Cap, uh, one of the office buildings, and there's the, all the uh, protest stuff going on. But there's a separate thing going on with some cake, and this lady, uh, I don't know if you, what, what, what's going on here with you. So um, they've made a special rule that's called the Valentine's Day rule for today, no cake allowed. So we're getting one cake through with each staffer. Cory Booker's staff was amazing, and they sent over yeah, a whole bunch of Corey people. Cory Booker's pretty cool. Um, so we've gotten a couple cakes delivered already this morning, but um, the cakes are just um, with this message from a bipartisan group um, of friends quite literally um, it's from both sides of the aisle what about urinal cakes considering hang on here's the joke that they're pissing all over us what do you think that's almost as good as fly into country what was your joke new york is fly what is it I know, that's something like that you said we were fly over country and i said yeah you, you guys are fly into country right or right. something like that yeah. and my urinal cake joke is kind of funny isn't it yeah, of course. The urinal cake is a good, good go-to. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> But um, we're just saying this to the senators. Um, hello, my name is, and um, we are stopping by with a message and cake for the senators. We know it's an important decision to make, um, but we also know that it's a, uh, difficult to make the right decision with blo low blood sugar. So please enjoy this cake while your office considers uh, the vote to hear witnesses. We and think it's really... This is one of the dumbest ideas ever. First of all, cake creates low blood sugar. There's a, a spike... And then your blood sugar gets even worse. And secondly, what the F does sheet cake have to do with removing Donald Trump? I have, this, I have, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. I, I and I was, I was in DC. I saw them and I go, what are you doing? We're, well, we're giving yeah. them cake. Why? They didn't really have an answer. Gee, I can't understand why that didn't work. Well, that can remove Trump from office. Cake. Really important to hear witnesses and for right. the information to come out. Right. So. And your cake says ignorance isn't bliss. Let Bolton testify. Now, yeah. why did your cake didn't get in, but the other cakes did? Um, they stopped uh, allowing the cakes in. Oh, so, at a certain point. Um, they had enough cakes, and <laughs> one of the staffers had to take possession of all of them, and I guess it was too much for him to hold. So, the. Um, the I just thought of a joke. Okay. Uh, like a really fat person goes to prison. Right. Okay. And they smuggle a cake in to the prison, but inside the cake is another cake because he's real. Because he's fat. Right. Not a not a file. Doesn't want to escape. Because he's fat. Actually wants the cake. Yeah. Right. Sure. It'd be funny if there was a famous fat person in prison right now. If there was a famous fat, there probably is. I uh, uh, I don't know who you're referring to. Mm. Okay, let's get back to this. Oh, oh you mean you, you? Yeah. What? Go ahead. What? I don't know if you mean that, like, molesting guy? Oh, Jared. The subway guy. Oh, well, I meant the newer guy, the, the, the mogul. Maybe he's not in jail yet. I guess no, Harvey Weinstein? Under, yeah, yeah, he's under trial or something like that. You call that, that yeah, molesting? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I haven't read up all of this thing, but yeah, you, you, you know, whatever, he was forcing women to have sex with him so that he would put him in movies and crap like that? Yeah, I, I believe uh, legally that's called being a little too handsy. Being a little... <laughs> Molest? He's a rapist. <clears throat> right. Well, I don't know if that's who you're referring to. Harvey Weinstein. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Security, we're like kind of, we can't bring any more kids Right, 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 in, right. So. You should bring it yeah. over because th- th- this whole group here is going over to the, the Capitol building yes. now. To, yeah. Are you going yeah. over there too? Absolutely. And stuff? Awesome. Well, hopefully I'll see you over there. <laughs> um, thank you so much for Absolutely. your time. Great. Interesting. What is clipping letter for? Okay. So this is going to be someone from the AARP. And, you know, the AARP were at every single event I went to. They they wore these, like, red shirts or red sweaters. And they're all about the the drug, getting prescription drug costs. It's the most, like, it's. How you could be against what they're, you know, it's very simple, like lower drug costs, you know, it's, it's very simple. It's obviously not as far as Bernie's playing. And, and who, is every, a, who is AARP? It must be the American, I don't know, Association of Retired Persons or something like that. Yeah, it used to be called uh, AARP in my pants. <laughs> what? That was, was the original name, was AARP in my pants. Oh, okay. But they shortened it. They they broke up with the, uh, you know, like there was the AFL-CIO? Yes. The the AARP merged with the In the Pants. In my pants. Yeah, in my exactly. pants. Yeah, they were, and then they they broke off. Now, in, yeah. in my pants is a separate organization. But it used right. to be, well, a, they- it used to be AARP in my pants. Hey, listen, I, you do not, do not f me on this, Bacon. The parking commission. I'm looking at the the calendar. Oh. Seven a.m. tomorrow. Don't be late. Yeah, that's. I'm not. I, there's. You, you can't get up. There's no parking for that. There's nowhere for me to. I don't know how to get there. Well, you're they covering. They, they, you're they, covering. They, they have it purposely set up so there's no parking for those things. I, no I, one ever goes. I want you asking the tough questions and throwing yourself completely into Dover, New Hampshire politics at the expense of your wife and your family and your career. Yeah. There's no minimum wage. I'm offering you yeah, celebrity. I'm offering you celebrity. For me. I don't want celebrity. You're, I'm going to make you famous. And we're going to... I don't put, like the... I don't like the computerized meters at all, though. You know, there you the go. I, I do like, because then, you know, when, when you do the quarters, and when it used to be that, like, if you left, like, say you, you finished your chores in town, and you still had, like, half hour on your meter, when you got your car and left, that half hour was still on the meter. But now with those, like, other kind, that half hour just disappears, you know? And then they, they really are selling that, they could be, in some sense, selling that parking space twice. Mm-hmm. Because you would still have that half hour. You've left, and then someone else moves in, and now they're buying that space. But have you bought, try with the parking? I, I want you to have the uh, police radio, the Dover police radio, by your bedside, and oh, the scanner. The scanner. I want you jumping out of bed in the middle of the night if there's a fire. I want you covering it to the, you know, to the detriment of your family. Do you want me to be like Ouija and get out there and get some shots? Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. Ouija. Absolutely. Yeah. And then and then later I'll go out and take photographs of like celebrity women. Uh, you know, he went he went for the dead people in the, in the New York City, and then he went out out to L.A. and then he took photographs of celebrities. I love that. You know, switch anyway. Yeah, I I, uh, I was going for a squeegee joke, but I didn't have it. Oh. Oh, well, yeah, you definitely could with the dead people. Squeegee? 
Yeah, because you know you got to squeegee off the dead people off. You know, because he, he, you know, he was out there first at all those, uh, all those, uh, the violent, you know, scenes in New York City back in the God, what was would have been the forties or fifties, I guess. Mm-hmm. So you know, a lot of those are you know, because he did have the police scanner, so he would get there first and you know just take all those crazy shots, and they're they're all, you, they're, some of them are bloody, and you could use a squeegee to clean up the. Uh, Oh, I see. Okay. I'm I'm looking for the Dover, New Hampshire police blotter, and they don't seem to be, well, they're hiding something. I want you to dig into this. Why can't I read the Dover, New Hampshire police blotter? Uh, I don't know. Is, that, is, it, is it some, probably not, I don't know. Uh, some stuff must happen. All right. I mean, again, that's a, All right. Yeah. Bacon. Uh, you know, I don't know why I have a bureau in Do- Dover, New Hampshire, if you're not showing up. All right. Our last clipping is letter five. Uh, do we skip the AARP? Oh. <laughs> we just talked about it, and then we you made fun of them, and we just didn't play Okay, it. so you interviewed some old people? Well, it's just they were at every freaking event. Yeah, they're pay- yeah. old people are a pain in the ass. They vote. No, old people are good. Again, no, they're it's bad. The, it's the they're youth. bad. Old people are bad. They're not all. They're not all bad. Yeah, they're all bad. They sh- and the vote should be taken away from old people. It should be given to sixteen-year-olds. And once you hit twenty-one, you should lose the right to vote. Why should old people have any say oh. in the future oh, of whoa, whoa, government? having oh my gosh, you you don't want to give. It's okay to give the vote to the 16-year-olds, but to only give the vote to people who are like 16 to 21 or whatever you just suggested before who your cares final court is fully developed is not a good idea. Who cares? If There's you're... a lot of amazingly good old people. No, there are not. The old people are the ones who have... Yes, there are. Just old people are the, also the ones who have the free time to actually do the stuff. Yeah, and they're all dangerous. Uh, they're dangerous. Well, they... there can be, without a doubt. Take the... If you... group. You turn 50, you lose the right to vote. In a Feldman administration... You turn 50, we're not putting you on an ice floe. But well, you've already moved it from 21 to 50, so I've already made, I mean, that that little bit was, I, know, I almost got 30 years there, so that's yeah. pretty good, 29 years. That's pretty good. Come on, look who destroyed this planet. All right, let's listen. It wasn't, to, the, it wasn't the old people. I yes, mean, the, it was. The, 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 the one thing that is bad about old people is that we do spend, it's like the majority of our health care costs are like the last one or two years of our life. So if there was a way that we could determine that last year or two and then wipe people out before that, that would be very good. Although well, all of that is, I'd go along with. Yeah, I mean, this but, is, the, and I think the problem with global warming is we're running out of ice flows to put old people on. We put, put them on ice flows? That's the way it used to be. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Grandpa. <laughs> bye-bye. See you later. Bye. On the other side. We're going to see on the other icebergs. side, Grandpa. What? I, there wasn't a lot of icebergs floating by. Okay. The baby boomers, the worst generation ever. Ever. Name one thing that the baby boomers contributed to this country. I'm being serious. What? Yeah, I, what what are the you know I don't you know I don't I don't know what the years are that they I'm sure they aren't they the it's not that like the it's not the World War Two people or something is that the people or no is that after them? that would be the children of the greatest generation 
Oh well, sure. You know, you gotta have. You gotta. Doesn't everything skip a generation? Yeah, that's right. Okay, boomer. Yeah. So. All right. Let's listen to these worthless old people complaining <laughs> about their pills. This is David Bacon for the David Feldman Show. Again, I'm at the uh, College Convention 2020 here in New Hampshire. Uh, there's a couple of presidential candidates speaking. And I'm here at the um, AARP table, and the, the people I've seen the most at the uh, presidential uh, events have been usually a couple women with a red shirt saying, Stop RX price gouging, and they often get to speak with a lot of the candidates. So here I am at the table, and I can talk with some of the people from or representing AARP. Just go over there in case oh, of, yes, of course. That's a great idea. We love Michael. Yes. <laughs> you want to have it all. Okay. So um, what was your name, and what do you do for the, the organization? Uh, my name is Patrick McDermott, and I'm uh, part of the executive council for AARP New Hampshire. Oh, awesome. And so what is the big uh, message that you guys are uh, putting forth during this primary and probably just in general? Sure. Well, what we do is we try to support issues, and it's all issue-based, support issues that impact 50 people that are 50-plus. And our big issue, particularly in the primary, presidential primary this year, is um, the cost of prescription drugs. Right. And we're looking to encourage candidates to take some steps to lower prescription drugs for the 50-plus and for everybody. Right. And one of the things your colleague was just talking to me about was how there's something they, that they can't negotiate prices or something. What was that? Well, Medicare, of course, is the biggest user or purchaser of, of prescription drugs in the United States. And by law, they're not allowed to negotiate prices with drug companies, which obviously supply and demand. If you can't negotiate, then the prices stay high. For example, the Veterans Administration, the VA, can, they can right? and their drug prices are lower. Exactly. And, and, and that certainly that's one of the things that, that we're, we're supporting is to allow Medicare to negotiate prices. Right, yeah. It, 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 it seems illogical to anyone who's not interested in just making as much money as possible, like apparently the drug companies are. Right, exactly. Right. And is there any other stands that uh, ARP is uh, uh, taking right now? Or? Yeah, they're looking to uh, make sure that we have more access uh, to uh, lower cost generic drugs, okay. um, make sure that that's available, looking at potentially uh, importing drugs from right. safely from other countries because the prices are much, much lower in other countries in many cases than they are in the United States, right. and finally looking at the cap out-of-pocket costs for the cost of prescription drugs. Some of these drugs can be extremely expensive, and if they're not covered by insurance, they can really be thousands of dollars a month. Right. It seems like all very sensible. Um, like, I don't even know how you would really uh, debate the other side of any of those things that you're arguing. Where some things in the healthcare, yeah, you could make certain debates about stuff, but it doesn't seem like just getting the prices down and having more access and all, who, who, who wouldn't be for that? It, it does seem to make sense. It seems to be very logical. But, of course, the drug companies, they yeah. want to keep the prices up. To, to keep their, right, their and they have up. lobbyists who they have lobbyists. We all know how the money system sort of <clears throat> yes. seems to work, and, and you know they're that that's what they do. And uh, I've I've seen or heard that they actually spend more money on lobbyists than they do on uh, research. And oh is, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, so yeah. Some of those things just don't make sense, and and that's why we're taking the positions that 
this is our number one uh, campaign issue or issue for the campaign that we're asking all the candidates to take a stand on this and, and to help lower the, the prescription drugs. Right. And it seems like the big thing now with all the drug companies is to make the drugs that you have to take again and again and again, rather than like something that would like, oh, like a... Uh, Oh, like, uh, 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 you know, like you got poison ivy or something the one right. time and you put right. a thing on. Like, they don't seem to want to do the research for that because they see the cash cow of that thing where you just are again and again taking that thing. Yeah, which yeah is exactly. Just, which is just too bad. Um, super. So one other last thing was sure. um, I didn't know. I thought you had to be 60 to join AARP, <laughs> but I found out just a bit ago that you could be uh, 50. What are the benefits to... Uh, to joining AIRP as a, as a as a person. Well, there there are some discounts. There's a, a lot of information. Right. Um, you can get it. There's written information. There's uh, um, information on the the website. There's information in, through email, through the internet. Uh, it can be anything from travel to medications to just health information. Um, so th there's a lot of lot of benefits uh, to do it. And for example, in New Hampshire, there are 200, uh, roughly 225 to 230,000 members of the oh, wow. just in the state of New Hampshire. Right. Oh wow, that's great. Um, so it, it's it's a very popular organization. Right. Uh, and doing a lot of good, like I say, for people 50 plus. Right. And then it, and then it, it's helping <clears throat> to pay for. Uh, getting that information out and, and having people uh, talk to these uh, candidates and talk to the, the people who are in office, I guess, to try to get these drug prices down, like uh, that all. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also a lot of activities uh, from um, movies for grownups to, ah. uh, uh, to ice cream socials. A lot of fun stuff, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of interaction and, again, trying to, trying to get the, the word out and so people understand what's going on and at all these things, the information that we're talking about, whether it's drug prices or Social Security or Medicare right. or other issues that we're involved with, you know, we, we have an opportunity then to talk to people about that as well. Excellent. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, so I just want to thank you so much uh, for uh, giving me the chance to interview you. Thank you. Awesome. That's my card. Yes, thanks, Patrick. Have a great day. You too. Great. Let's finish up with clipping letter five. Okay, so this is part two. This is that young lady from, I guess not the last one, but the one before, who I talked with out in front of that, uh, oh, uh, the, she had like the vote button on or whatever. This is just part two of a conversation with her, and she is very energetic and, you know, seems to know a lot about what's going on around here and stuff. So. Okay. You know, I'm a young person in New Hampshire that got involved in politics, so I'm going to the University of New Hampshire, right. and I was like, you know... That's why you lived in Dover. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. so I went to UNH. I, in 2016, I voted at UNH. I was a volunteer with a voting organization, and, you know, we as a our small community, we came together, and it was a lot of people that were volunteering for a lot of different organizations, and it was the day after, or two days after the 2016 election results came in, that we held, um, kind of, let's get together, we'll have three star times throughout the day in this barn and we're just going to talk about what do we want to do. Oh, nice. And so as we came together, people said, you know, I want to talk about reproductive rights. And so people sectioned oh, off into a reproductive great. rights thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of the people that were in the in that specific barn, they like became to be, you know, volunteers long term for different organizations. Awesome. Yeah. So that's the, I mean, that's the key real thing about yeah. getting the people involved is is, 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 is is kind of brokering that almost like convention of people who have similar interests. And then, yeah, 
right. and then they you go off and splinter off into the thing you're the most interested in. Right, because the question, some people get bewildered, you know, like the there's world, is, there's too many things right. in front of there's me, the world's pretty right. right. you got to so break up right. a little piece. Exactly. Right. We're picking up a little piece. We're saying, you know, what are the things you want to do? Like, do you want to talk about it in a media sense? Do you want to talk to business owners? Do you want to just, you know, create the graphics? And asking people, right. what's, what's right. a skill set right. you want to bring to the conversation? Right. And then what is that conversation you want to have? So we, like, that's what so it looks like. It's like a commune kind of thing, but yeah. without the house that you live together, we're like, okay, you're really good at planting, but you like to, like, you're the mechanical right. person and that kind of thing. Right, because yeah, 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 the hope is the that you're not spreading yourself too thin and you're just really having the level of quality that you want the impact on, so, you know? And that's how you get the I've asked people about this, too, and that's how you get the motivation yeah. is those other people who have the same interests doing the same kind of thing that you can play off of each other and then keep going because and obviously the there are days part. when it's so freaking frustrating, like this impeachment. Oh, crap that's going on. Yeah. So, like, you know, like, there's a lot of times that, you know, corporate media is trying to distract us or they're trying to tell us to think a certain way and we're making sure that people understand that, like, no matter what, there's going to be, like, people that you love that you need to take care of. No matter what, you're going to have to have a roof over your head. No matter what, you're going to have to feed yourself. And let's talk about those pieces, especially when we're in this time of, you know, consistent crisis is what's happening a lot right now. And right. Um, I spoke at the Seacoast Women's March. In, oh, yeah. Yeah. On, uh, yeah, on the I was at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I spoke that, and, like, my, my takeaway point for that was that you don't have to have news alerts coming into your phone. Like, I don't have news alerts coming into my phone. If I'm wanting to know something about it, I'm going to look it up. I don't need, right. like, a news alert to tell me, like, the current vote of the impeachment trial right. because I right. might be, you know, continuing on with my day and, like, passing out these climate test results. And well, I don't, you, yeah. you can't have that distraction. Right. Because what is that thing about, like, the, I mean, this is maybe dated, but, like, the email thing, like, oh, or any of those things when it like your focus when it like like say yeah. you're working on something and then that you get the thing yeah. and then you look at it well not only that but then you it takes a while to get your focus back to where you were so that exactly. one thing that took you less than like a minute to look at takes like five ten minutes of your actual thing to get back exactly. to where you were before and when that happens all day long you never freaking can focus and that's why you know and that's I don't why think there's people... so many camera angles in corporate media that's why there's so many different ways that they are trying to use you know the people who created Instagram oh, right? right the people who right. create Instagram they knew gambling specifically stuff. gambling right. from the slot machine mental, people the yeah they yeah. knew like right. the psychology of gambling right. and that's why it's so, like one of the really interesting things to really like help help people understand specifically for Instagram have you ever like opened Instagram and the first photo is something you're really interested in and then it reloads and now there's all these that's the I don't think I've ever <laughs> opened Instagram well hopefully but, you have listeners yeah, that open yeah. their Instagram <laughs> but if you think about it you open your Instagram and you the first photo you see is something you're really interested in but then it reloads immediately upon opening opening the app and what it's trying to make you do is dig for that photo. You're, they want you to scroll to find that photo that was the oh. first one. So what the algorithm of Instagram is telling you what you oh, want to so see like, and it's it like a timeline it. thing or something? Yeah. And then... So it's just a consistent scroll of photos right, right, right. and because it's only photos they want you to be able to interact with it and the only way you can interact with it is scrolling and then they added the stories. Right. Um, just like Facebook now has stories. Yeah, so, I don't know about and those. Things, so yes. the stories, same thing, same, same, same conversation point, right? right? So Instagram um, photos themselves, the posts that you're putting out to everybody, that is just a still photo or a short video. Right. But then when you're opening the app, they recently, in the last few years, added stories. And so stories are circles of the person that you are friends with. And it's telling you if they've added something to their story in the last 24 hours. So it's trying to tell you to keep on top of posting right. to Instagram. And the more people that you know, yeah. then the more of those things you're going to have. I and you can see exactly who watches your Instagram story. So you can really get dedicated to it 
is, you know, like my ex from Tinder looking at my Instagram stories. And those are the pieces where they're really just tapping into your personal psychology right. and making you have that kind of addiction to social media. That's a lot of the conversation yeah, right I, now. I think it was Instagram. I don't know. My my aunt was who lives in New York City was doing like these mm-hmm. koans or something. She's like needed things. And this was like a gazillion years ago when it was early. Yeah. And it was like, okay. So I'm like, okay, fine. And I was on it for like maybe two weeks, you know, and I, who was that evil man? Uh, I think Dick Ch- a lot. Well, I think, I think it was like Dick Cheney was around like okay, and stuff. Yeah. So I remembered like, fo- like, oh, I'll follow this. I think that's the Instagram where you follow people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. And, and then, so I was like, oh, I follow. And then after a while, like, then I found myself like, oh, then he followed me. And then I was like checking yeah. and then I would go and I was like, what Why am, am I, I doing? doing? Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever, like that's 10 years ago, I'm like, this is insane. Right, I, right. Know. And then, well, then going back to like, you know, where we're here. But socially, we're it's harmful. Right. It's harmful when you're not in, in that. Yet simultaneously, that these stuff. campaigns have to start organizing around social media, right? You know, like they oh, have, you know, right now they're announcing like when their little watch parties are going to be and they're going to have Facebook oh, yeah, events yeah, of their watch parties yeah, yeah, yeah. for the primary results. And they have to play with the social media side of it. They have to tell stories through Instagram TV, which is a whole separate thing that they added since then for longer form videos. Mm. And it's the social media side of piece that like is what people like me, I'm 25 ending. years this old. never ending nonsense. No, it's never ending nonsense, but simultaneously, like how else do you get to a voter? You know, right. like no, I know. who yes, answers the door, yeah. door knocking and those conversations and phone, are the no most important conversations. No one wants to answer a phone thing. Well, I guess people, I guess they t- uh, tweet or uh, Yeah, and you know, like, and then simultaneously, let's talk about that. Nobody wants to answer an unknown phone call right, right, right. and then people are making phone call polls. Right, I know. And okay. then they're talking yeah. about the polls oh, from yeah, the yeah, people yeah, right. who answer the phone. Who just so happy to be I'm a person, like, in my work, I answer any phone call, so I do answer. Like, I actually got one yesterday from some university asking me to take a poll. And I'm like, yeah, but let's talk about how nobody answers those phone calls except for me and some other people. And that's what we're using in the media storyline of taking those poll results up and, like, you know, blowing up that 400 people answered the phone and they had some thoughts. Um, So that's kind of the the story conversation. But to get back to, you know, how do we talk to people and make sure that they're voting, that's really hard, you know? And a phone is something that's always on somebody. So it's a really, you know... That's why they all have that... that usually the opener person for the candidate will be like, um, get out hey, your, your phone, phone text this text, to this. Text, but text local to the six-digit t- number. Yeah. But and they then, are so, like, they've done it so many times now that they're, like, not even enthusiastic. They, it's like they, they the need to improve that is, rap. The funniest bit. part of when candidates start to have that conversation of saying, take out your phone, text this six-digit number, sometimes there's so many phones in that room, you can't even send the text. Because there's just too much going on with there being a high-traffic area of all these people. Right, 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 so then that's the whole same thing too, right? It's, it's you know, we are in an age of technology. Again, like I'm 25, I have a laptop, I have a phone. I'm actively staring at this truck of a video. It's a giant truck of like at defend underscore Trump. I don't even know who they are, but they seem, seem to be anti-Biden and they've spent who knows how many dollars on a giant truck of a video. And it's very close to a crosswalk. That's the main crosswalk of Pleasant and North Main Street at Concord, our capital, and they're trying to influence people by showing specifically the news, you know? Like, they're trying to influence people showing the news itself. So let's, you well, know. Well, to call it news, <laughs> I, know. I, I know what you mean. Right, yeah. but there's an anchor, right, 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 there's right, ads, right, like that's, right. you know. It looks like it's supposed to be And news. that's where the critical yeah, thinking part comes in. Yeah, like, yeah. who's, you know, who's letting what ads happen? Who's letting what storyline happen? Who's, you know, 
know, kind of coloring what the conversation is and going sure. back to like, what is media bias? You know, like I graduated high school in 2012, never learned anything about media bias sure. until I got into these kind of circles where we're talking about, wait, let's, is there a system that we're in? Is this system the system we want to be in? And right. there's a lot of people that don't have access to even ask that question of themselves because they're trying to get a job right. and they didn't have access to even go to trade school. Right. It used to be like when I was younger that it was, I, there was a class I remember probably in high school, it was maybe about advertising generally and the okay. different techniques. And now, and, and it's 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 now moved on so much and, and those classes are probably not around anymore. Yeah. But now it's not just like this crap to buy, but it's like the whole, like it's the politics, it's just, you know, it's moved from the a product of a little thing that you have to worry about those. Going back to Instagram, like it's moved to not just the product you can buy, but it's moving to we're selling you a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, is yeah, that's yeah, what right. a lot of Instagram is turning into. Is like they're trying to sell you a lifestyle, and that's why there is a a big push for people to sell you products through. Look at how great my life is. Don't you want this energy drink? It's like homogenizing in a way. It's different to different. Yeah. Like they have those. They, what is that like? Where they have like the mar- I guess it's marketing thing where it's like they can divide everyone in the country into like let's just make this like 212 different like things. Yeah. Okay, like you are right. a yeah like this the age, this settings person, boom, boom, on your Facebook account that says, oh, you're uh, you're female, this is your age group, and they're yeah, and estimating then, that based off of what ads you all, clicked on. Yes, and all the things that you looked at. And they're guessing and, uh, yeah. all your demographics, and that's the data that they want to sell. Um, and every pro- every time, every it all is coagulating together yeah. of this, like, entire... Or, like, like the thing that I get a lot is um, Google will be like, hey, how is that coffee place you just went to? Do you want to review it? That's the one that I'm literally, oh, like, wow. like, you know exactly where I am. Right. You know, well, I've that written geofencing up- thing, too, with the, with the phone. I don't know. Like, so businesses, like, they could have a thing. I guess if it's your you know something in your phone you walk into the area and there's like a thing that will like they know like you're yeah, now so in that yeah so there's employees there's, right. there's yeah so they've so I, I think it's geofencing or something yeah at some point in the recent years Google like they had employees of Google who they would just walk around the inner like outline of a, of a shop so oh. that people would know you know we're so right now we're on like a very dense block right. but there are people and I think it's more in like bigger cities not sure, like sure, not, not you know Concord New yeah, Hampshire yeah, exactly. but they're like oh you're in this purse place and like right. we, they know you're in the purse place and not the juice place next door because right. they paid someone to walk, just to like walk around the, the, the outline of the purse store right. well, with the, their phone in their wallet. Right. Yeah. Well, the Roomba, the Roomba, that thing was, for, yeah. you know, like track and then like sending back the information of like the house strung things to right. like the people. Right. And, and now so the, connect that back to the politics, right? And so people are trying to figure out where exactly are you, what political things are happening there, how right. can we influence you based off of this data we have? You know, oh, we know that you go to X pizza place. Let's talk about pizza and candidates. You know, right. like it's that right. sort of information right. Right. that right. candidates are trying to figure out. Um, but not all of them, you know, but like if you're smart enough, like you have a social media team that's like, what are our target demographics? Sure, you know, what are the win. numbers we you need to win? To, you, you have to, you, you have to do that. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And I know Bernie is good at that. And so is, I think, Trump. I think the two of them, I don't know, but... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I need to take a chill. That was really good, though. That was really good. But you know, it's like a, it's like an you know. I just listened to yeah. the people in there, and you know, it's like you know, it's the, all good. The world, the world might be. Say you know, your name again. And, my name's Lisa Demain. L I S A D E M A I N E. And so, and you're just quick. So we didn't talk about any of my work stuff. So what, yeah. I'm, I'm just a resident of Epic, New Hampshire. Awesome. Yeah. Rock and roll. Thank you. Oh, are you there? Hey. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I. Had the mute on. Uh, great job. It's time for your performance review. My performance review? Yeah. 
we're yeah. obligated to sit down with the staff every three months and tell you how we think you're doing, where there's room for improvement. Uh, effective communication skills? Give you uh, an A on your communication skills? Oh, even with the, like, um, my, uh, uh, you know. This goes into your permanent file, so when we don't want to give you a raise, we can present evidence as to why you're getting below minimum wage. In terms of cooperation, D minus, we find you don't really share your ideas and techniques. You're not building strong relationships with others. There's no harmonious or cooperative spirit. What? Yeah. And, you know, and we're finding we're going to give you a C. You share your expertise, but not gladly. You do it in a way that's condescending and no. intimidating. No condescension. condescension. Well, that's not true. But I got a C and A and a D. That's pad, so that's well, cool. It's just, this is your performance review. You you don't encourage coworkers to solve their own problems. I have no co coworkers. And th that's again, you lack you lack skills in taking on responsibilities and accepting blame. An F. Oh, F. Yeah. These, these letters keep changing. You're not generating synergy. Oh. And most importantly, I, you, you fail to promote the David Feldman Show culture among your peers, and that's important. Well, that's all I do is promote the David Feldman Show culture amongst my well, peers. Yeah, maybe they're not my peers. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, uh, right. that goes into your file. Every three to four months, we do a performance review just to let you know where you stand with us. And cool. we, and we're protecting ourselves in case you decide to sue us. We're, of we're, course. So we're building a, course. we're building our own case against you to counter sue. I thought that non-disclosure form I had to fill out would keep me from suing. Well, there have been some complaints, anonymous oh. complaints, about some inappropriate comments that you've made in in the workplace, in the cafeteria. I'm just saying this goes into your file, your permanent record. It's sealed unless there's a lawsuit. Okay? Oh, well, hmm. Well, that, yeah, I think I'll be okay. All right, Bacon. you got to be up early tomorrow for the parking commission. Parking commission, yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to miss that one. What? I'm going to have to miss right, that one. I have to write you up on that one, little insubordination. You're Wait, I can probably just... I could probably just create some tape, and then it'll sound like I was at the parking lot. Okay, you're, you're failing to create a flexible plan to meet changing opportunities. <laughs> I expect my coworkers or the people who are part of my division to develop strategic alternatives to scheduling, and for you just to say I'm not going to cover the parking commission just to make a statement like that. It uh, it calls into question oh, your ability I, I, to master the resources needed to attain results. Was, I'm supposed to say that in the form of a question. Um, I, oh, I don't know how to do that. I can't. Why can't I go to the parking 
Uh, yeah, that doesn't sound right. You lack, you really do lack problem-solving skills. And, and I, the, the room for improvement is I want you to think more about solving problems rather than symptoms. How? Oh. And, and most importantly, turn problems into opportunities. Oh, that's a good, yes. Uh, that one, I, I like that idea. Turn and, problems into opportunities. That's, that's very true. And exceed yeah. performance Exceed performance goals. Can you I'm do that? I'm always exceeding performance. Produce know, I'm more than it, produce goals. more than expected. Bacon. Always That's exceed normal time. output standards here at the David Feldman Show. I, I bring more clips than anyone to your show. Every day in day out, I bring the most clips. And thereby, I have to write you up by saying that you provide the most clips. You're consistently failing to recognize the accomplishments of your peers. <laughs> well, I, their, their brevity of their clips, you know, it makes them very good. I just bring more. You're, you're failing to maintain work relationships that stimulate the growth of individual employees. You're divisive. I will be able to tell others how to take their clips and split them into two, thereby doubling the amount of their clips. All right. That's how I'll help them out. Okay. Yeah. Bacon, stay on the line. Great job as always. Parking commission sure, meets at 7 a.m. tomorrow. It's getting earlier. Yeah. Stay on the line. Nine and eight. Stay on the line. Sure thing. You're listening to the David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump. 